Okay, we're trying to listen to some um Julie Carson. Bizarre Space Anomaly Special. Dead into a reject. God power within the brainstorming episode. I paid off $495,000 in debt within 18 months using what I now call my.
the main goal and purpose behind that book, and I've read that book now probably 80 or 90 times. I've analyzed every single word, phrase. I've broken it down to from the, uh, Hebrew to the, uh, uh, Arabic to um, uh, all the different languages, uh, Aramaic. And I'm discovering that what's really being said here is if you take out all the garbage and all the crap that was orchestrated, bring heaven to earth. Be your own savior. That's the true story. That's the whole message. That's really the whole message. And if you do a good enough job, you'll be born again. Born again into another body. Like it says in the book of Revelation, with a new name and a new body. A new name and a new body. That's reincarnation. Just like we create video games. You try to beat the level, and if you're not good enough, you die, and then you get another chance to come back again, and you play again until you can get to the top master level. Okay? We duplicate everything. As we go so low, works on video games too. Because why? That's inside of our bodies and inside of our day. Everything we do is going to replicate that same exact process. Reincarnation, we built our own reincarnation system in video games. Same exact system. These neurons connect to the colostrum. The colostrum um, is like the conductor of an orchestra. It coordinates inputs and outputs, which then help download consciousness. It's, it's located in the hemisphere highly on, it's located in each hemisphere on a highly dense region for perception, movement, vision, and hearing. Okay? This is a powerful part of the brain, and uh, it's really important. You know, I'm amazed that I, it took me a long time to even learn this information. I was never taught this. And uh, even when I went to MIT for that course in neuroscience, we talked a lot about the brain, but they never told me about this. I had to find this out on my own. This is just, you know, magnified crystal here at the bottom. At the top, you see, um, you know, two uh, Marvel comic guys. You have Iron Man going against, uh, um, what's the magnet guy again? Magnet Magneto. So, you know, they, all the people who write these stories, you know, they have a good fundamental base of some of these, some of this information. They try to put it into enlightenment with pain. They try to put it out there in a way that people get it, but maybe not get it. But they're utilizing information that already exists. It's all about life. So let's analyze that for a second, okay? So you're in a body made of light, housing your light being. Now you have a brain that has the capability of creating these um, movements of synapses between neurons to create conscious thought or actual <laughs> conscious thought. And when they put a, um, you know, like a, a, a cover on your head with electrodes in it and connect it to a computer, they can see the light frequencies bouncing around inside of your skull. So every time you think, not only does it bounce around in your skull, but those thoughts leave your skull. Otherwise, how would they be able to capture those waves? So every thought you're thinking, including even at this exact moment, those thoughts are leaving your skull case and going out into the ether of space-time, interacting with other frequencies. But it's like a fishing line still connected to the real. Those thoughts are going out and still kind of connected to you. And sometimes they reel things in and sometimes they don't. But the thoughts are connected directly to your mind and going out there. And what's really amazing about this is these are light frequencies. So now we, we create, we, we take light frequencies that emanate from our skull and we turn them into solid objects. We manifest reality within the third dimension. How does that work? In my mind, on the consciousness platform, I'm now thinking about a cell phone. So in my mind, I'm seeing a cell phone. Oh yeah, I would like to have this phone and this is what it would do. This is what it would this is what it would look like and everything else. Okay, interesting. 
this is what I want, I want to make, I want to manifest this cell phone into reality, into third dimensional reality. So what happens next? The next part is, okay, I'm going to now send this information to a CAD designer. CAD designer is going to put it into a two-dimensional platform, or an artist is going to render it into a drawing, which is still two-dimensional. And then once I'm satisfied with that, then we're going to give it over to an engineer. And the engineer is going to turn it into a three-dimensional physical object that we can touch in the third dimension. So from a conscious light, wave of light that came out of somebody's skull, magically this, 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 this just appeared. It's a real thing that you can touch and hold and utilize. This is the power of light thought. And it's something that we overlook and don't realize that we have the capability and power of doing every single day. And if we didn't have this power, there would be nothing here. There wouldn't be a podium, a microphone, a laptop, a screen behind me, clothes on me, and there'd be nothing. We wouldn't have anything because we wouldn't have manifested anything. We are the gods of the third dimension. We are creating as we go, every single day, seven days a week. But we take it for granted. So when something comes up in our life, and now we're going, oh, facts against law, I can't figure this out, I, I don't know what I'm going to do, so forth and so on. Not realizing that the same light power in your mind that is creating everything in this dimension is the same light power that can, you can utilize to get out of your situation or change or try to make it better or fix it or learn from it or whatever. Okay, so you should never feel in a position of being like you're hopeless because the power that created everything that's here is, is inside of your body and inside of your mind. Every single thought is a wave of actual light. Kalel. You know, I mean, it's interesting because I like Marvel comics, but, you know, I like cartoons and stuff too, but, but Khalil means light god. It's actually uh, an Arabic... Uh... First off, if you haven't made money with AI yet, don't worry. AI is the biggest wealth-building opportunity in U.S. history. Um, but Khalil means light god. It's actually uh, an Arabic uh, or Middle Eastern name that they gave uh, Superman. You know, he's a European guy. That's kind of funny, but you know, it's all good. The story, the story is really a necessary message again. Uh, there's a couple things in this movie that are really interesting. The more, you know, whatever this one was when he came up with this new S. But the story overall really dates back to Tiamat. There's a planet, what well, used to be a planet in our solar system named Tiamat. And this planet now is the asteroid belt. That's what the asteroid belt is, and it's, it's an exploded planet. Uh, it's well documented in many ancient texts, as well as even the modern day Bible. It's called the Hammer Bracelet, the Sumerian Tablets. It's in the Illuminatus, it's in the Akra Esesepic, what actually happened there. But this planet was about six times larger than Earth, water bearing planet with land, and intelligent being, intelligent life on it. It collided with some moons of this Nibiru planet as it uh, was gravitationally um, uh, uh, captured by our solar system in ancient times. And it caused it to literally break into many, many pieces. One giant piece swung away with all of the organic material needed for life on it and recoalesced right here. That's where Earth came from. That's how we got here. We weren't here at the beginning of the solar system. We're literally part of another planet. The rest of it broke into chunks. Um, one of the chunks is still big enough to be called a planet. Has anybody here ever heard of Ceres? S E, I'm sorry, C E R E S, Ceres. It's right outside the orbit of Mars, a couple feet in the back. So you have Mercury, Venus, Earth, Mars. Oh, don't forget, there's another planet right there you didn't know about called Ceres. C-E-R-E-S, in our solar system. It has more fresh water on it than Earth. Yeah. 
previous planet that turned into an asteroid belt. So right outside of Ceres is the asteroid belt, and then you have the gas giants further on after that. So, um, you know, it's really amazing, but when you look at the story of Superman, you have the planet that he's living on that's got these geological disasters and the planet's going to explode. Same exact story, right? Really interesting. And then he leaves this planet and he goes to another planet, and because of the sun, they say, he's stronger. But in true reality, I believe it's his gravitational field and the way that his uh, body interacts uh, with, our, with our color of photons there. But what's amazing is if you went to Mars right now, which is two-thirds of its gravity in the Earth, every single one of us in there would be a superwoman or a superman. You'd be able to pick up a giant boulder. You'd be able to flip over a car. You'd be able to dunk on a 20-foot rim on Mars right now today. Yeah. Why? Because there's less gravity. So your bone structure grew up under more dense gravity. So and on another planet, you'd be a quote-unquote god. See? I think some of those people... Um, escaped to other places, and then when Earth coalesced and became a fresh planet again, some of them came back here. When you go into some of these deep, deep coal mines on Earth, they keep bringing up pottery 500 million years, 300 million years, 200 million years. Where's this stuff coming from? They even found this one stone with a computer circuit chip on it, embedded into regolith that dates back millions, millions of years. How is that possible? My theory is, and it's something that I'm working on with um, a few people and working on like a mini documentary about it, my theory is that these things are part of when we were part of another planet. I think that we were part of another planet in Tiamat, uh, and uh, so with, no matter how far down you go, you're going to find remnants of ancient civilizations that may not have been part of this epoch or this era. Can brainwaves interfere with radio waves? <laughs> not likely. Brainwaves are too slow and, and, uh, and are so weak that they're extremely hard to measure. But radio waves and brain waves are both forms of electromagnetic radiation, waves of energy that travel at the speed of light. That's why I put this article up here. Understand the power of your thoughts. Your thoughts travel at the speed of light. Okay, they literally travel at the speed of light, and they're powerful just like radio waves. So when you transmit a radio wave um, to a, 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 a crystal, it can pick up and decode that information and convert it into information that somebody can listen to. When you think something, Sometimes people who are on the same frequency as you can pick up that information, call it intuition, call it psychic capabilities, whatever. But it's real. Psychic powers, so a lot of people fake it, a lot of people make it up, a lot of people make money off of it, but there are a certain amount of people on this planet that have those psychic powers real, and it's not magic. It's because they're literally taking a download screen uh, of your uh, thought life, your thought waves, just like a radio signal. Now imagine beings coming here like these in, in the tour room. Uh, in ancient times that had abilities that were mind-blowing abilities, but they may have been integrated with technology. There's a student at uh, Harvard University that um, came up with this machine, this invention, that he just puts over his head like a headset, but it touches the bone right behind his ear. And by that method, he's able to hear sounds from this. So he sends his thought light wave directly into this device and not ejected, not do any operation, just resting on his head with a piece on his bone, and he's able to ask it questions, and that link, that headset, is connected to Google. And he asks any question you want to ask, and he will then look it up on Google, and it will transmit the answer right to the bone, right to his mind. You can't hear nothing audible. Yeah. And then everybody would think that that's what? God. This guy is 
tell you anything. He can answer any questions. He's God. As you go to another planet with that kind of capability, with a less uh, advanced civilization, you're God. You know everything. You know, the all-seeing eye. It has to do with that black man satellite that's in space right now above our head. It's been there for 13,000 years. It was part of AP's all-seeing eye system. He had the capability of seeing everything, everywhere. He was omnipotent and omniscient because of technology, not because he had any kind of special powers other than what uh, hominid, you know, you know, God gives powers already are, but eventually. <laughs> safe side hustle income in the bear market from crypto right now so this is unified see the point where these blue and black lines divert ancient maths pyramids maps like you can university and Greer. Project Starlight. See my grass popular. Guy original. Project Starlight, the event that triggered the disclosure. Disclosure with Dr. Stephen Greer. In this episode, we discuss the origins of the Disclosure Project. Welcome, Dr. Greer. Thank you. Great being with you. Dr. Greer, what events kicked off the Disclosure in 1993? Yeah, a lot of people don't know that the roots of the Disclosure movement were way back. As I mentioned, 1992, after the events in the CD5 that happened, um, that led to a series <coughs> rapidly evolving events, including the uh, people who reached out to me who were close to President Clinton uh, and who informed me, uh, quite unbelievably at the time, I didn't believe it, that the President and the Director of the CIA had been denied access to these unacknowledged special access projects. So uh, around that time, uh, I had a number of what I call the white hat, friendly people in military and intelligence circles some of whom had been in unacknowledged special access projects, which was a very top secret compartmented <laughs> operations, who wanted to help. And so uh, we, you know, began to talk and discuss what to do. Uh, this initiative that came from uh, people in the White House was to set up a briefing between me and, and the DCI, the Director of Central Intelligence, CIA Director Woolsey. In the letter, you know, it says, and rather astonishingly, there are the most powerful interests in the world are going to try to stop this, uh, and that we have to be very careful, and that, you know, these leaders in our country are not read into, which is military speak for briefed on this issue. Now, leading up to this, <laughs> I, some people who were with Lawrence Rockefeller reached out to me. And I did a series of trips up to New York 
to meet with those folks um, and eventually was invited out uh, to the Rockefeller Ranch in 1993 with a number of, of people in this field. And his interest was uh, mainly in the CE5 contact events. And he was supportive of doing this. Unfortunately, he was surrounded by a lot of operatives that diverted his interest eventually. Uh, and, you know, people talk about the Rockefeller Initiative. There was no wrong Rockefeller Initiative. It was called Project Starlight. I don't shop. I depop. Depop makes it so easy to buy and sell secondhand. There was no wrong Rockefeller Initiative. It was called Project Starlight. That I found it with a group of military people and administration people to get this information to the right folks in the government who were not being told the truth. And Lawrence uh, Rockefeller was very supportive of that. So he you know, hosted us there in September of 1993. In the meanwhile, now he didn't know this either. Uh, Lawrence Rockefeller was astonished. And he said, well, where are you going after here? I said, I'm going to Wright-Patterson Air Force Base to brief the head of the Foreign Aerospace Science and Technology Center which is where all the, you know, original Roswell debris and all that stuff was sent. And I was meeting with the colonel, um, trying to get them to deconflict their operations with our CE-5 contact operations. That's what that meeting was about. You know, interestingly, the colonel said, well, what if some of these civilizations aren't friendly? And I said, uh, or hostile. I said, sir, with all due respect, given the galactically stupid things we've been doing. If they were hostile, it would have been point set match the day we had detonated that first atomic bomb. And the intelligence officer was scribbling furiously, Bruce Ashcroft. It, it was very kind of comical. Uh, but, you know, it, it showed the kind of thinking in those military circles. We don't control these things, therefore they're a threat. Therefore we're going to kill them. I mean, it's boom, boom, boom. It's that simple. So just beforehand, I was at a meeting out here in Phoenix, yeah. and there was a group of folks who were members of this committee dealing with these classified systems, uh, dealing with UFOs, extraterrestrial intelligence, and it was late at night, 10, 11 o'clock at night. They said, look, we know all about your meeting with CIA Director Wolsey that's coming up. You don't need to meet with the president or the CIA director. They don't know anything, and they're not going to know anything. If you want to talk to people dealing with this issue, you meet with people like us, and this is conference room full of suits. We're the ones who do all the WFO, work for others, contracting for the government. We're the ones who are running the supercomputers, backing up the global financial system. We're the ones, and it goes, he goes on and on. And also, we're the ones cooperating with certain orders of Jesuit priests in the technology transfer programs and with the Vatican. I'm going, this is like something out of through the rabbit hole, and uh, at first I thought he had to be making this up. This turned out every word he said was true. So I got back to Peterson and said, look, there's a group that knows about this meeting, and he went ballistic. How can they know? I said, John, they have ways of monitoring things that don't require speed of light signals and phones. All right? They can interface space-time electronically, remotely, scalar, faster than the speed of light. So I said, don't, just don't worry about it. So we have the meeting. The first few minutes, I have all, you know, briefcase full of all these evidence and pictures and 
government documents and stuff, he says, I know this is true. I know these things are real. What I don't understand is why the president and I are being denied access. So the, the, the whole conversation was about the nature of these unacknowledged special access projects, that they are highly compartmented, that they are not, you know, people who are in the Senate or the White House, a few of them are read into them, but they're cooperating with the secrecy. Most of them have no idea. It turned out that the rank you have, like in the military, in the Pentagon, or the CIA, has nothing to do with whether you're told about it. It's whether or not you're willing to go along with the agenda of the secrecy. That's it. But what was interesting about this meeting, so we went through the material, I explained the structure of these unacknowledged special access projects and how they were being uh, run. And he said, yeah, I'm just sort of a guy who goes up from Capitol Hill and brings tens of billions of dollars back to the CIA. Wow. But he admitted that there were many projects he was not read into, even though he was a director. So uh, at the you know end of it, uh, I, I had put together a set of uh, executive order recommendations for the president. The, um, when I handed it to him, and I said, we really need your help disclosing this and getting this problem fixed. And he looked at me, he says, Dr. Greer, how do we disclose that which we have no access to? And my wife and I are at this meeting going, holy crap, you know, this is, this is really a bad situation. Yeah. That was my introduction to through the looking glass of mirrors and craziness of the national security state. Ultimately, the thing that was the most hopeful thing at this meeting was his wife, Sue Wolsey, and she had the insight to ask. She said, Dr. Greer, what I don't understand is how are they communicating across the vastness of interstellar distances? Because at the speed of light, it would take millions of years or thousands of years to get a signal from point A to B. And I say, yeah, that's right. And look at our Milky Way galaxy, 100,000 light years across. Now, a light year isn't a measure of time, it's a measure of distance. It's how far a beam of light goes at 186,000 miles per second for a year. Now, think about that, 186,000 miles every second for a year. That's one light year. The Milky Way is 100,000 of those. So 1% across the Milky Way galaxy, 1,000 light years, at the speed of light to say, hello, how are you doing, would take 1,000 years to get the signal there and another 1,000 years to get the signal back. Zillow helped me land this Airbnb listing. Yes, Zillow. And Airbnb paid me $2,200 literally today for this one Airbnb listing. Now, here's the craziest part. No back. Right. That's the time since the birth of Christ. Okay. So I said, look, so the speed of light is completely insufficient for any and all interstellar civilizations. Therefore, they are using transdimensional physics that involves faster than the speed of light interface with thought, consciousness, and devices. And it goes two ways. Technology, assisted consciousness, where your conscious thought is assisted by a technology and consciousness assisted technologies where your mind assists the device it flows back it's both directions and that's what they're using right is this likened to uh, quantum entanglement in quantum physics where you know two particles communicate instantaneously bypassing space and time yes it's what einstein called the spooky effect and uh, when you're dealing with that level of entanglement 
take that times infinity when you're dealing with consciousness and thought. So the whole cosmos is this interrelated, interwoven, non-local. And non-local means it's not a straight line in space-time, but it's within each other and proximity is right there. So we think, oh, the Andromeda galaxy is two and a half million light years away. At the speed of light, it takes you two and a half million years to get there. But within this entangled, interrelated cosmos on a quantum level, it's actually right here. It is right here. Now, what is here? I mean, it gets into this discussion of dimensions and thought and consciousness. But that's what all interstellar civilizations have to have mastered. And so I explained that. And that was actually, to me, what, what that said to me, because to be honest with you, when she first asked the question, I thought, I'd better not answer this because I would discredit myself. And this was the fulfillment of what I was told in 1991 by an intelligence officer who'd been involved in this area for decades. And he said, if you tell the truth, it hides itself. It, it will discredit you because the truth is so much more bizarre than the fiction that's out there on UFOs. Yeah. But I think it's time for people to know the truth and the whole truth. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Missed out because I was taking care of my babies. Martian oddities, bizarre space, anomaly, special. Um, a lot of Elizabeth, Elizabeth, Elizabeth. Seasonal remedies, personal success and financial freedom. The buying emotion color wheel. Personal success and financial freedom. Tight-fisted prospects into appreciative and happy to pay Billy true Carson's believers. matrix tricks, matrix hacks. People don't really believe or understand the power that they're using to manifest on a daily basis. So you have to start thinking positive about finance. Stop being afraid of it. Fear is a low vibration, low frequency. When somebody says, raise your vibration, raise your frequency, it's a real statement. It's a real scientific statement that can be measured on a, on a computer screen. But when you take your mind from the thought of hoping and begging to commanding, the brain waves flip and the frequency goes higher and the wavelengths get closer. And when that happens, Every thought that you're thinking goes out into space-time. And so all those thoughts are floating around in space with data on them. That data is picked up from the universal consciousness. And then it swings back around to you all the things that you need to make that those thoughts happen. 
One of our audience's favorite guests is Billy Carson, whom I've had previous wonderful, enlightening conversations. Billy is back with me today to talk about raising our frequencies and dovetailing that into prosperity. And I have to say, we just changed the open to the show this very minute because... You say, hey, Regina, I have a book for you. Yes. I, ha- you know, I do my homework. I have a whole script done here. Right. Well, you brought, woke doesn't mean broke. That's right. And I thought, whoa, 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 what's this all about? <laughs> and you started telling me, and so I, yeah. I made an executive decision on the spot. Yeah, right. So, first of all, in a nutshell, what's this about, and why did you decide to write it? And yeah. then we'll get into the book itself. Well, the book itself is about how to combine spirituality and spiritual practices with understanding how to navigate this financial matrix. I think often people say that people who are spiritual shouldn't have financial abundance, shouldn't be wealthy. They're supposed to be poor in some kind of weird way. They really believe that people who are chasing spirituality shouldn't have anything. I think it's the opposite. If you're walking around talking about you are the light, the power is in you, we can manifest our reality, and you can't pay a light bill, I don't think people are going to believe you. Yeah. I think abundance means something different for everyone, and that's okay, but you should walk in abundance 24-7. And then you need to understand the financial backing behind and, and, and instructions and information on how to actually achieve that. So I wanted to combine the two together. I don't know how you address this level mm-hmm. of people who are in service industry jobs that don't want to go back to them anymore because the pay is no good, yeah. the hours are long, and they feel more or less abused in a lot of cases. Right. Let's start there at mm-hmm. that level of employment. Yeah. And how do you address people in this situation? Those people in those situations are some of the most incredible people on the planet in terms of their creativity, mm-hmm. the way that they think. Their memories are phenomenal, especially in the service. And their memories are incredible at service. I mean, I go to restaurants a year later, people go, oh, you want this, 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 and this. I'm yeah. like, what in the world? <laughs> and so these people have specific passions. And so I would tell them the key is to find your passion. Get a piece of paper out, get a pen out, old-fashioned pen and paper. Start writing down the things that you like to do, whether it's a hobby, something you're passionate about, something you always wanted to do, and fill that paper with all these ideas. And then start choosing which passions are you, know, you kind of gravitate towards the most. And then once you do that, start researching and investigating what industries need this passion, what people, what companies need this passion that you have, something you have, who can use it? Because the key to making money is to find a need and fill it. Mm-hmm. And so you want to do that, but within your passion, so that when you find a need for your passion and you provide that need, that energy exchange will, the side effect is money in your bank account. And now you're doing what you love to do and you're getting paid to do it. You'll never feel like you worked a day in your life. No, that is very true. And that's how you live, right? Yes, and absolutely. I'm lucky to live that way too. Uh, most people haven't had a chance to really move into that zone yet because mm-hmm. it's not talked about or really encouraged yeah. in society mm-hmm. at this point in time. You can start off working that skill with some with another company. Mm-hmm. You have to start off from somewhere. You got to pay your dues. You always mm-hmm. have to pay. But while you're working that, you're learning all the aspects of how the business runs. Mm-hmm. You're doing your research. You're learning. And then on the side, you may start doing your own thing. That doesn't mean you're trying to steal business from that company, but eventually your main goal, your main plan is to be able to be your own boss. Right. And sometimes you've got to pay your dues. And you may even have a chance to branch off from that company, maybe start a franchise. But you've got, while you're doing these things, you have to be able to spend your money the right way. Live within your means, live within your budget, make the right investments. Don't keep blowing money on partying and hanging out and things that have no value. Right. You've got at some point you've got to say, look, I partied the most, the majority of my early years. I got to sit down and grind right now. Right. You know, early in my early years, I was grinding. Now I'm at the point if I want to, I can sit back and relax. Right. I flipped it. 
first of all, we have to realize one thing. You can lead a horse to water, but you can't make them drink because you're thirsty. I added mm-hmm. a little extra piece to it. And so people, somebody has to become thirsty for themselves. Yes, that's It's just the like key. being a, a addicted to any kind of a drug or anything. If you don't admit that you have a problem, mm-hmm. you'll never be able to get healed or cured. Okay, so the first thing is the person has to be real with themselves. I have a problem with handling and managing money. Mm-hmm. It's been generational. Through all the generations up until me, it's been like that, or at least some, within some time period, the way that I started managing money, it's been horrible. I have to admit, that person has to admit that they've got a problem with that and be wanting to be willing to want to learn. And especially if they have a family or, they, or if they started a family, they've got to realize, wow, I'm just burning through everything and churning through everything. I'm not leaving anything for my kids. Right. I'm not leaving anything for the future. And so, yes, you can't take it with you, but you can set up future generations who are still going to be here to have a chance, an opportunity to maneuver and do something in this world. And what's so amazing about you is, uh, well, a lot of things, but you're, you're so highly developed in this area now, and we're going to yeah. talk about partly how you got there, um, and also the fact that you're so highly developed in the world of esoterica and understanding the underlying matrices and principles mm-hmm. behind how manifestation, how life, how reality itself. Mm-hmm. So I open yeah. the page to this. I... So this mansion at one time belonged to the grandson of Cornelius Vanderbilt, one of the richest men to ever live. But guess what happened to it just 40 years after Vanderbilt's death? Demolished. In fact, the Vanderbilt family once owned 12 mansions on Fifth Avenue in New York. And guess what happened? Demolished. All of them, the Vanderbilts successfully squandered away most of their wealth in mere decades. In fact, within three generations, the first Vanderbilt heir died broke. Now, contrast that with the Rockefellers. John D. Rockefeller died (laughs) nearly 100 years ago, but today... There are over 200 Rockefellers still living off the family trust. And it's because Rockefeller put together a system that has perpetually grown the family's wealth for six generations. You see, Rockefeller understood one thing that Vanderbilt didn't. Economic independence is not about cash accumulation. It's about creating systems that produce cash flow. So instead of just giving heirs a lump sum of cash like the Vanderbilt family did, the Rockefellers created a system that gives each heir access to cash flow from the family fortune without giving the power to destroy the family fortune. This creates perpetual growth and ensures economic independence for each Rockefeller that's born. Here's how it works. Each family member gets access to the family fortune through a special financial tool called a wealth creation account. This is a special account that grows your money at 10 to 15 times the rate of a standard savings account. The money grows tax-free and it's not invested in the stock market, so there's no risk of losing the money in a downturn. The wealth creation account also acts as collateral, allowing you to take out guaranteed low-interest loans against the value of the account. So it works like an opportunity fund for family members. They can access the money to buy assets that produce cash flow and then use that cash flow to fund their lives without touching the family money. And here is the ingenious part. There can be an insurance policy attached to the account, so there's no risk in ever losing the money. Whenever a family member passes away, the insurance policy repays the trust, allowing it to grow perpetually, forever. Essentially, it allows (laughs) each family member to become 
their own bank, invest in cash flow assets, cut out the middleman to keep all profits for themselves, and do it without risk of destroying the family fortune. And this Rockefeller method for building economic independence isn't just for the wealthy. Anybody can use this system to become their own bank and increase their current and future cash flow. In fact, after World War II, it was one of the most popular financial tools in America, with over 150 million people using this very strategy. Unfortunately, the financial institutions started to abuse and corrupt what was an amazing wealth-building machine, adding all sorts of bells and whistles that didn't help account holders, but earned the banks bigger and bigger commissions. However, we have found that the wealthiest families in America like the Rockefellers, still use this system in its purest form to this day because it's a low-risk way to ensure consistent cash flow and perpetual wealth creation. In fact, our team at Wealth Factory first came across this strategy while shadowing a group of financial advisors in New York who worked exclusively with families whose net worth was $50 million or more. Now, if you want to learn to use the Rockefeller method, the entire system is outlined in the book, What Would Billionaires Do?, which you can get access to by clicking the link below. It's behind how manifestation, how life, how reality itself. So I open the page to this. You can give us a setup before this, and I want to talk about your Billy Club plan. Uh, It says control the matrix. You have to play in this matrix. Yes. So let's start there. Well, we have to first understand, like admitting that you're an addict or addict or something like that, or a poor money manager. You have to admit it. Well, we have to admit that we're in a matrix. Some people don't want to admit that we're in different levels of matrices. We have the financial matrix, we have the esoteric matrix, we have the, you know, the holographic matrix, there's different ones. The financial matrix, everybody can relate to that. It's a system that's been set up globally that keeps us working and paying and paying taxes and churning and churning and churning, right, until we die. Well, we have to admit that it's real. Some people don't want to admit it's real. It's a real thing, and you have to know how to play in it. So you have to understand that you un- there, there's a system here but just like Neo in the Matrix movie, he mm-hmm. was able to maneuver through that system, understanding the inner workings of the Matrix. He mm-hmm. was able to make it bend to his will. Mm-hmm. And so if you're just going to play by the exact rules that have been set forward and you're not going to figure out all the different loopholes that they've actually provided you, then you're going to actually be fall prey or fall victim to suffering in this Matrix. Mm-hmm. But there's a way to play in this Matrix to make it work for you. You just have to understand the inner workings of it and what things you can and can't do to make it work to your benefit. Well, everything starts on the consciousness platform. Just like you have a platform, which is like social media platform, you have a TV network platform. Everything, the consciousness platform is the original and first platform. Yes. And so on that platform is a platform of light, light waves. And so people don't really believe or understand the power that they're using to manifest on a daily basis. But if you look around us, everywhere, everything has been manifested from thought to reality. Even this cup was thought in a brain, and now it's here, and I can touch it. So it works the same way in the financial markets. It works the same way in abundance. You have to first go into a mindset that you want abundance. Not that you're hoping to get it. That's a different mindset. Hoping and wishing for things is a low frequency. Mm-hmm. You want to create a wavelength, an amplitude and wavelength in your mind that oscillates at a very fast pace, which means that the waves are very close together, not spaced out. Mm-hmm. And so if you see, if you put a wave cap on somebody who's hoping and begging and wishing for something, you'll find that the oscillation is very slow and wide and that the amplitudes are very high, the trough and the height. When you get into a person that is now believing that something is happening or believing in the moment that it's actually occurring, 
that they were active participating in the now that it's, it's for them, the wavelengths will be very quick and very the short, and the wavelengths will be short and very close together, which means they're at a high frequency. So when you when somebody says, "I'm gonna," you know, get in the high, raise your vibration, raise your frequency. It's a real statement. It's a real scientific statement that can be measured on a on a computer screen. Getting getting in, digging deeper into this 688 yes. uh, page book, uh, we only skimmed the surface of a couple of things, a yeah. couple of principles. I love that you shared the bowl meditation with us because we can see this can be used for any number. Yes. of manifestations or for clarity and understanding and discernment. Yeah. So give us a couple more principles we can go away with for those who aren't going to get around to reading all the, <laughs> the whole book. Right. I think you have to be willing to be very real with yourself. That's the biggest problem we all have. A lot of people don't want to be real with where, where they are. We can have a private conversation. You may want to you know, admit to me that I'm, I'm weak at this or I'm weak in that area. Be, be um, firm with yourself. Like, I'm really weak in these areas. These are things, uh, get a piece of paper and a pen, write down the areas financially that I'm weak in, and then say to yourself, I need to learn this. I can go out here and I can research all these things. I can watch all these YouTube videos. I can study all these other things. Why can't I study this? Something that's going to directly affect me and future generations. Mm -hmm. So that's the first thing I would do. Be honest with yourself. What are you weak in? Stop putting it away. Stop hiding from it. We hide from the, the things. Yes. We still want to be able to do what we want to do. Right. Instead of making certain sacrifices. In order to get ahead with yourself financially and uh, your other generations, you have to be willing to make sacrifices. It can't all be fun and games. When you find your passion and you work within your passion, that's the most important thing. That's the big trick to this whole thing. Then you can smell the roses while you work. You're, first of all, you're enjoying the work. Yeah, you're, really. you're, you're getting satisfaction from the outcome of your actual work. Billy, thank you so much. Thank you. I need to hire you as my coach. <laughs> Full of such tantalizing scientific <laughs> wisdom. And you can find out a lot more by visiting his site at ForbiddenKnowledge.com. That's with a four, ForbiddenKnowledge.com. You can also see my previous interviews with him here on Gaia and check out his own work here on Gaia. Until next time, thank you for joining us here on Open Minds. Here. Earth's orbital mysteries, Anunnaki's earthly dominion, unraveling the secrets of control and destiny. Sounds pretty good. I don't shop, I deep up. I saved on outfits for the weekend, vacation, and every day. If you love that. narrative to explore the hidden truths. I'm your host, Sean Stone, and with me today is a familiar guest, Billy Carson. So let's start with this. Kazakhstani scientists have come forth with this paper talking about uh, the number 37 that mm -hmm. appears, they say, about nine separate times in the human genetic coding. Yeah. And so they're saying, look, the coincidence like that, this would occur about one in 10 trillion times, mm -hmm. right? So their, their whole thing is just based on this number 37 popping up so many times, yeah. they think 
it's a sign of intentional design. Does this look like vindication for the Anunnaki theory? So what I think has really happened is not only is it vindication that the Anunnaki came here and genetically modified the existing hominids on this planet, but I think even prior to the Anunnaki, there may have been other species visiting this planet and, and basically genetically encoding us as well. So even the existing hominid might have already been modified before the Anunnaki got here, and they may have just put the finishing touches on that modification, because I really do believe that Earth is like a gigantic uh, laboratory. Mm -hmm. um, well, in fact, that's, that's the argument made, is that um, on one hand, there are those who say the Anunnaki sky gods mm -hmm. are the ones that created mankind, mm -hmm. basically from some kind of, you know, uh, sapien, mm -hmm. right, merging the sapien, right. or, you know, some kind of monkey creature with, uh, mm -hmm. with, the, with the alien to create a human. <laughs> But then there's the other argument that says, wait a minute, the Anunnaki just were sort of the last ones to come and to basically create the modern human and then proclaim themselves our gods. Right. What's your take on that? There's a couple of takes because one is Neanderthal, who has thought, was thought now currently to be um, a lower IQ than a human. Some scientists are now coming forward saying, wait a minute, the, the actual Neanderthal may have actually been smarter than the modern day human. Uh, with more cranial space and so forth, and just some of the research. And smarter, not meaning uh, do they know quantum physics, and th but they were more in tune with the planet, with the Earth. Uh, they were more in tune with nature. They may have, have had better access to their higher sensory perception. Uh, you know, like how animals can tell there's an earthquake coming, and they get out of Dodge long before it comes, or the animals in the Philippines before the tsunami hit, the wild animals all left. Mm -hmm. You know, so uh, those type of uh, intuitions and things, they may have been better tuned than the modern-day human. Um, but it really is showing that there's po it's possible that even like the Ubaid culture, who was here prior to the Anunnaki, and those Ubaid statuettes have been discovered in Iraq, where they actually look like reptilian people. Hmm. They're, they're, they're prior to the Anunnaki's arrival, or prior to the Sumerian civilization, I should say. Uh, and they actually show, depict humanoid reptilians, even breastfeeding. Uh, and these are some amazing artifacts that are real, that are actually in museums, and I actually have a replica of two of them at my house. One is a male, and one is a female that's actually breastfeeding. Mm -hmm. Now, when the Anunnaki <laughs> get here, they really want to um, uh, take us to another level, but to make us subservient at the same time. Mm -hmm. So it's very possible that the main objective that they had were, was to uh, make, a, make a slave race that would be subservient to them, that would worship them, and that they would do all their bidding uh, with no questions asked. And that's exactly what they achieved. Whether or not the Anunnaki could still be living here amongst yeah. us, basically okay. as our rulers, as right. the elite bloodlines, for example. So the Sumerian text is only 6,000 years old as far as we know. So based on that, we'd have to think that these, these, uh, these gods, these, these people, these beings could potentially still be alive and they could be anywhere. They could be on Earth. There's some of their offspring because we do know that Enki married or had uh, made it with humans. Thoth mm -hmm. also mm -hmm. took on a human wife as well. Uh, and this bloodline could be still here today propagating. And I really believe that's the bloodline that started the pharaonic bloodline, which then migrated after the last pyramid war into Arabia and then into Europe. So the bloodline actually evolved over time, but it, they kept it along a specific route. When it got to Europe, it was the Plaginet bloodline that is still ruling the planet until this day. And that Plaginet bloodline is John Lackland's line. John Lackland is the king of England that signed the Magna Carta. But every single... Like King John from... Exactly. From the Robin Hood legend. Exactly. Yes. Mm -hmm. And every president of the United States of America is related to John Lackland and that Plaginet bloodline, which goes back to the Arabian kings, which goes back to the Egyptian pharaohs, which then goes back to the Sumerian kings list in Iraq. Think about that for a minute. The only one president that's not related to that bloodline is, uh, is Van Buren. So if we look at the nature of the Anunnaki society... And we talk, we talk about pyramid wars, obviously the rivalry 
that existed between various seven months um, ago. Blood, even though they were half brothers, for example, Anki yeah. and they were half brothers, but there's a rivalry between them, and then their children, obviously, having rivalry between them, and how the children are essentially um, lording over different cities. Right, yeah. each city took on a personal god. What can we understand about the nature of what's happening on Earth mm-hmm. to say that is it? It doesn't seem like it's just one faction that's in total control. It does seem more of yes, there are secret societies and elites, but it doesn't seem that they're always only you know getting what they want. There does seem to be a bit of a conflict mm-hmm. and a bit of a power struggle between the various yeah. you know elite Illuminati, if you want to call it. Right. How would you say that Illuminates. we can learn about what's happening on Earth and the power struggle on Earth based on Anunnaki society? Oh, yeah, it goes all the way back. If you look in the biblical times, you have Cain and Abel. As you go up in time, you just see these scenarios where you have this conflict going on. In the book of Deuteronomy in the Bible, when you really analyze it and break it down, you begin to realize that these wars that are going on in Deuteronomy are actually individual gods or relatives in different cities sending human beings out, kind of like we do now, to war against other cities that they've never been to to destroy and pillage and bring back the riches and so forth and so on so that this particular entity or this god can take over that land and now he's got ex- expanded his kingdom. And this has been so embedded into the human culture, this, this style or this technique like of, of conquer, divide, and, and acquire. Uh, and then you still have these bloodlines which are still here, you know, even down the line, they're down the line, but they're still here and they still have the same mentality. Those in-secret wars or behind-the-scenes war, behind wars are still Flash going job. on to this very day. It's like hustle income. In the bear market from crypto right now. So, when Brandon is part of this genocide <clears throat> against the Palestinian people, that is disqualifying. That makes him ineligible to run for president. I think he's dragging us into war. Illegal wars, genocide. Very day. What can we learn about the Illuminati from the Illuminati religion? The, the Illuminati Illuminates. is an extension of the mystery school. Fucking nuts. Which started way before Egypt even existed. It's from the land of Cam. And the Emerald Tablets, the first thing that Thoth does is dad, they're all actually on it starts on Atlantis, the actual island itself. Thoth's dad sends him to the land of Cam. He gets in a ship and he says he rises up and then he actually lands on Kim. When he gets out, there's barbarians. His job is to bring them to a higher level of civilization. From there, when they get to a certain level, he opens up the mystery schools and he begins to teach these people the higher things, dimensions, technology, quantum physics, all the stuff that they need to know, you know, the universe and everything else, how things work. Even to a higher level, talking about even manipulating the ether through vibrations and thought. So these mystery schools maintained for many, many years and they were for invitation only but they were for enlightenment of the race over time as some of these gods left and disappeared like so for example after he was gone he became a deity he wasn't a deity when he was here he was a deity after he left Mm. and many years after he left and then all of a sudden the pyramid priests figured out oh wow we can use this as a control method so that was one of the beginning of the of one of the very first secret societies was the mystery schools when the gods left, and well, Thoth left, Enki left, and it was able, okay, now we can manipulate this, we can use this on the people. And they began using it against the people for many different things. And it evolved over many years. So even though the Illuminati began, maybe started up as another, another branch to say we need to do this because we're trying to get, create our own revolution, mm-hmm. 
But then again, it always turns out to be the same thing, control and manipulation. And in terms of religion, it does, obviously we've heard people who proclaim that we're reaching the end times, right? There's a lot of symbols around, you know, yeah. the nature of the trumpet, the trumpets are flaring and revelate, we're entering revelations. Yes. And that begs the question of who do you think is in charge? Is it Anki or Enlil or any of their children that ultimately believes that they have the mantle of you know, tablets of destiny, for example, the mantle of kingship over yeah. the earth at this point. It's actually Amin Ra, who's uh, Marduk, Thoth's brother. Because during the last pyramid war, he was defeated. I don't think he took that too well. Um, he had to escape, number one. And during his escape, right before he decided to, to leave and like rule from space, is what he basically says, um, is he actually turned over the riches of the kingdom to the Rakam. The Rakam means offspring of. And when you translate the word Kam, K-A-M, into more modern terms, the word Kam is shield. So he transferred the riches and the, and the rulership of this earth and the kingdom to the raw shields. As far as the actual controllers within the system, they don't really seem like they, they themselves run the system. Obviously, they're, they're part of it, but aren't they also enslaved by the system themselves? Yeah, see, one of the biggest things that a lot of people don't realize is not only are we the prisoners, but we're also the prison guards. And when, when, you, when somebody really understands what that means, then they go, oh, my God, you're right, because we're, we're, we're governing ourselves. And it's like the crab in the bucket. When you have one crab try to climb out of the bucket, the other crabs grab it and pull it right back down again. And all these systems are designed to keep all of us in check, including them, because they've got to follow orders as well. If they don't follow orders, then they lose out. We're still on, all on the same playing ground. There's still somebody above them, and I really believe it, it potentially could be Amin Ra, who's also named Marduk, still running the show. From behind the scenes because he had to escape out of here i think i don't think he took it that well he already had took a war according to the text to take over uh earlier than he was supposed to before his constellation arose he took over a little early and that caused a lot of battles battle between him and his brother and um he actually ended up both ended up leaving egypt because of of amun ra mm -hmm. they were fighting too much mm -hmm. how did the demons play into the anunnaki story People began to realize that Enki and Thoth were really helping mankind and taking them to another level. And they would go around really helping people. And Lil despised that. He, he didn't want any interaction. He didn't want people helping any humans. It, it made him an enemy of his own relatives. And he began to call Enki uh, Satan and the devil and so forth. So he's the one who actually is the, is the evil person, but then tried to flip it on his own relatives and make it say that they were the serpents and they were the evil devils and so forth and so on. Do we have any indication that Anki and sort of the more positive uh, side of the Anunnaki are trying to basically reassert any influence over Marduk and Enlil? I haven't seen anything yet. I've heard some things that Doth is coming back or that he's here now and he's going to try to work with you know his dad and try to uh, bring things back into balance. Um, it's very possible. A lot of the ancient texts always talk about them coming back. They've always said they're coming back. Mm -hmm. It's fascinating. Fascinating insights. Thank you so much, Billy, for your time. I appreciate it. Space anomalies, interstellar travelers, friend or friend or foe. Merkabez Mysteries unveiled. Okay, guys, we are back for the final part three of this entire workshop. 
we part one was two and a half hours. Part two was a little bit uh, more than that, almost three hours. And now this is the final section for the workshop. Okay, so we're going to get into now understanding the Merkaba, Merkaba, however you want to pronounce it. We're going to first start by understanding the fundamental, fundamental nature of our reality. Like what is the third dimension? Scientists have now discovered what the ancients already knew that the third dimension is a hologram of what the ancients or sages would call sleep, uh, dream world or dreamy world or sleepy time. And that we were a mere shadow of a higher dimension. Okay, this is an ancient text, guys. And now we have modern science confirming what ancient sages, texts, and tablets have said for... Hi there, we're listening to Billy Carson on YouTube. This is called Merkaba's Mysteries Unveiled the Ascension Vehicle. I am Magi, Magi Nation. Okay. The Merkaba, Merkaba, however you want to. As we are back for the final part three of this entire workshop, the part one was two and a half hours, part two was a little bit uh, more than that, almost three hours. And now this is the final section for the workshop. Okay, so we're going to get into now understanding the Merkaba, Merkaba, however you want to pronounce it going to first start by understanding the fundamental, fundamental nature of our reality. Like, what is the third dimension? Scientists have now discovered what the ancients already knew, that the third dimension is a hologram of what the ancients or sages would call sleep, uh, dream world or dreamy world or sleepy time, and that we were a mere shadow of a higher dimension. Okay, this is an ancient text, guys. And now we have modern science confirming what ancient sages Text and tablets have said for eons, for millennia, important to understand these multidimensional crystals because when you get into Merkaba talk and you're talking about portals and wormholes and stargates, <clears throat> you're talking about um, using angles to enter into other dimensions. All dimensions are in angles of each other. Right now, <clears throat> we're in an 11-dimensional universe. We have 11 dimensions in this universe or it would collapse on itself. The structure of this universe is made of 11 dimensions. Now, each dimension, people think of dimensions as something being so far away. Each dimension is stacked right on top of each other, literally so close that they're touching. And the only, the only thing that keeps you from entering into another dimension is your frequency. If your frequency doesn't match that dimension, you cannot enter it. Okay, you can't phase shift from the third dimension into the fourth dimension. However, from higher dimensions, it appears <clears throat> that it's easier to phase shift down into uh, uh, thicker densities, which is incredible. But from the third dimensional platform that we are, we can't move up as easy. It takes a great level of knowledge, understanding, and frequency and vibration to move up or technology, which we're going to talk about shortly, as the ancients had the same technology that I'm going to show you. Um, now it's easy for us to move down, just like it's easy for them for them to come from higher to lower dimensions. It's the same for us. We can easily get into the second dimension. You can you can see that just as plain and simple by drawing something on a piece of paper or creating a two dimensional structure inside of a computer and uh, and observing it from every angle. And then even going down to one dimension, just drawing lines. We have the ease of going down dimensions, but the, the hard part is ascension, moving up. That's where the hard part is. 
Uh, Merkaba meditation is designed to move you up dimensions. <clears throat> Merkaba, also spelled Merkaba, translates literally to light, spirit, body. Merkaba symbol is a, uh, is a shape made of two intersecting tetrahedrons that spin in opposite directions. Counter-rotating star tetrahedron is what you're going to be getting inside of, creating a three-dimensional energy field. And this energy field is a vehicle of ascension utilized to take people from one place to another or one dimension to another as well. And this is what the ancients used it for, the Merkaba light energy vehicle. It's talked about ancient times tremendously. Remember, what, where does the power source come from? Remember we talked about this earlier? 3.75, uh, 37.5 trillion cells in your body, each cell generating 0.07 volts of electricity, creating a total of 2.63 trillion volts of electricity in the human body. Remember that? That's your power source for your Merkaba. <clears throat> this is the cover of uh, the Emerald Tablets of Thoth, uh, which is a famous ancient writing. And you can see what he has in his hand. He's got a star tetrahedron. He's got a Merkaba in his hand. Very plain to see, very easy to see. He's got the Merkaba and uh, on his arm. We're going to touch on these two um, objects right now. We're going to go in deep. Who is Thoth? He's also known as Hermes Trismegistus. He was a real person. Some people think he was this fictional make-believe character. No. The guy was in the physical form. He had the capability of transferring his consciousness into other avatar bodies, as he said himself. The halls of Amenti were discovered underneath the Great Pyramid at Giza, right where he said they were. And I talk about that and show the location of the halls of Amenti in my book, Compendium of the Animal Tablets. You can even access the halls of Amenti on the mapping system on your cell phone device. It'll take you right to Giza, right where the halls of Amenti is located. They have a little pinpoint after that. Um, who was he? He was the master of all arts and sciences, perfect in all crafts, ruler of the three worlds, scribe of the gods, and keeper of the book of life. Remember we talked about earlier that everything that you think goes into space-time? Every thought, even right now as you're thinking, creates an electromagnetic wave that leaves your brain skull, your case, your, your encased brain, travels out into space-time forever. That information is then recorded and stored because the, the universe <clears throat> stores information like a hard drive. The universe does, as above, so below. So every thought, since you were a conscious being, and every thought of every other conscious entity and being is stored in space-time. And remember I said that both claims to have uh, be the keeper of the book of life. He has access to the Akashic records. <clears throat> the the modern-day Bible calls it, you know, the book of life. Uh, they got it from the Emerald Tablets. That terminology came from the Emerald Tablets and made it into the modern-day Bible. This book of life, these Akashic records are real. They exist. If they exist, because why? Information cannot be destroyed. Information is energy. Conscious light waves can't be destroyed. They can only be transformed. All energy is saved. Even, even going into a black hole, scientists used to think that if you went into a black hole, as soon as you cross the event horizon, you would be pulled apart and you'd be destroyed. Then they found out that, oops, we made a mistake. Not true. If you fall into a black hole, the newest calculations say that the information about you is going to be stored in the event horizon, on the rim of the event horizon, because the data cannot be lost. Uh, so
was regarded by the ancient Egyptians as the embodiment of the universal mind. While in all probability, there actually existed a great sage and educator by the name of Hermes, it's impossible to extricate, uh, uh, I'm sorry, extricate the historical man from the mass legendary accounts, which attempt to basically Manly P. Hall did a great book that you gotta read called The Teaching of All Ages by Manly P. Hall. Phenomenal, phenomenal book. You have to check it out. He goes in deep on both and the Atlanteans and um, uh, the, the power that this being had, his intelligence that he had, how he taught people all around the planet, how he interacted with people, not only on Earth, but on other planets as well. He actually traveled to other planets to watch civilizations rise and fall and even lend a helping hand. Incredible story, incredible information, incredible person. And the person who started the very first Egyptian mystery schools, well, they weren't called Egyptian mystery schools back then, they were just called the mystery schools. Uh, they were for adept initiates only, hand-picked people that, uh, that himself and others, uh, I guess in his... Um, uh, you know, I hate to call him his priest, but you know, his maybe his sages that thought that this particular person or people were worthy enough of gaining this high level knowledge. Okay, that was the beginning of the mystery schools <clears throat> after the great flood about 36,000 years ago. <clears throat> Hermes states that his knowledge of the three parts is the reason why he received the name Trismegistus, thrice great, ao, 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 which means the greatest. As the story is told, the Emerald Tablet was found by Alexander the Great at Hebron in the tomb of Hermes. So yes, he has the tomb. Guy was real. He has avatar bodies and he's exchanged his bodies many times. So when one avatar body wears out, he just transfers to another, another, another body. And this is why he's got many names all around the planet. He's known as Thoth, Dehudi, Tehudi, Jehudi uh, in Africa. He's known as, in the, in the uh, South Americas, in Mesoamerica, he was known as Kuku. Hey, you have an hour this week, right? Yeah. Great. I can teach you how to play a hundred songs on piano in an hour. No way. Americas in Mesoamerica, he was known as Kukukan, Veracocha, uh, Lord Pakal, um, Quetzalcoatl. You know, he's got all these other names. He was uh, one of the original Teotihuacans. Original he left from Africa with Africans and kickstarted the whole civilization out there in Teotihuacan. Creation according to folk. This is important to understand the creation um, myth, if you want to call it that. I call it the creation reality <clears throat> because it really gives us a concept or an idea of where this star tetrahedron concept came from, this Merkaba um, concept came from. <clears throat> it comes from the original source, which is both an actual creation of biological organisms. Uh, even planets, okay? <clears throat> so you look in here, um, creation according to Thoth. In the creation myth, we are introduced to astrology and the influence of the planets upon man and from which man is expected to rise above. We have dualism, a god of the heavens and one who created earth. We see the idea of man as the sun or part of God. We have man being given the power of creation. You create your own reality. The idea that man has dual nature, one in heaven and one non-material, which is the solar spirit, and one physical in the world of the matter, of the body, and then you have the fall, leaving heaven to be with nature. So these are the fall. <clears throat> human beings, I say it all the time, human beings are the fall. We are the fallen angels. Uh, our spirit has descended from higher dimensions to inhabit avatar bodies in a, in a lower density. In case and point being that we are literally fallen angels, fallen angles of light. What is your consciousness? It's light, light waves, light waves that did what? 
fall from a higher dimension to a lower dimension to inhabit a deep, a, a lower density in the third dimension, which is where we are now, this soup that we're living in right now, to experience life in the third dimension. <clears throat> so you see, that's, this is what the fallen angels are all about. It's not what's been told in these religious books. It's something totally different, okay? Creation according to Hermes. In the beginning was Noah, which is also known as God in ancient texts. Noah's created like Noah. a second Noah, who became <laughs> both craftsman and created <laughs> Noah's two create seven powers and seven spheres around what will become the earth. The spheres have control over what will be the earth. They control what we know as <laughs> destiny. The seven spheres are the moon, sun, Mercury, Venus, Mars, Jupiter, and Saturn. Here's the beginning of astrology. Noah's two sets the spheres in motion, and life begins on earth. <clears throat> what we're talking about here in ancient times is they're describing something that we now call in biology mitosis. Okay, so we're going to take a look at that. We have the seed of life, six circles around in the seventh. Here's a cross section of human DNA. Look familiar? <laughs> yeah. This is inside of you. This is what you're made of. You are made up of Merkaba technology, this avatar body that you're operating. And also this flower of life pattern, it emanates and perme permeates the entire universe and all biological entities. You can see here in the mitosis, the migration from a single sphere to multiple spheres and how they organize themselves into this pattern, this pattern here, the flower of life pattern eventually, which houses a 64 grid tetrahedron that we're going to talk about. What is the light language? An explanation of light language by Yvonne Perry. Light language symbols on drum light is information that contains the codes of creation. Drum Remember lights. what we talked about in the first half of this workshop, that lights create a photon, photonic light and radiation, which is also a form of light, create physical matter, create physical reality. <clears throat> Geometry is the foundational structure for art, science, music, and architecture. Its images, codes, and shapes are found in DNA, crystals, atoms, mandalas, hieroglyphs, and pyramids. The language of light is a sacred geometry produced by vibration. Light language is a powerful sacred gift, a purposeful expression of love from the creator. Okay, so this is what we're talking about, tapping into this Akaba light frequency energy and utilizing it to help manifest, utilizing it to guide us, utilizing it to get into deeper meditations, and also even utilizing it to understand how to exercise the power that's already inside of us. And it operates off of these specific um, frequencies called cymatics. <clears throat> Hollywood has hit the test rack in plain sight for decades. It's been called the Cosmic Cube, the Hypercube, as it appeared in uh, Avengers Infinity War, Captain America, the first Avenger, A Wrinkle in Time, Iron Man 2, X-Men, The Matrix, Thor, <clears throat> the Avengers Interstellar, Thor, The Dark World Prelude, Transformers, even call one of the characters in Transformers Megatron, even though it's really Metatron's cube, and many more. The Tesseract um, more recently debuted in A Wrinkle of Time, also known as uh, the Cosmic Cube. It is an en enchanted object of unparalleled power. Metatron was originally born human and elevated to Archangel by God for his services as a scribe. Foremost communicator between humans and the divine, he is best known for his cube. To understand the meaning of sacred geometry symbols, Metatron's cube is based on a deceptively simple pattern called the fruit of life, which is 13 connected circles, which is concealed in the ancient flower of life inscribed on the walls of the Osirian temple at Abydos. 
The flower of life, uh, which is a specific regular repeating pattern of circles rotating around a central point, contains a vast Akashic system of information. Vast Akashic system of information. This, that flower of life grid you just saw is what's responsible for storing all of the light waves that come out of your mind, including templates for the five platonic solids, key sacred shapes, which are the building blocks of creation, and, um, and so on. Sacred geometric, uh, uh, geometric shapes form life. Life begins as an open or a sphere, becomes a tetrahedron, then a star tetrahedron, a cube, another sphere, and it finally becomes a torus. Metatron, the Metatron cube, also known as the um, Ark of the Covenant to me. In my opinion, Metatron's cube is, is, is the Ark of the Covenant. It was, it was inside the box that fit inside the box inside the Grand Gallery at the Great Pyramid at Giza. Uh, that's my own personal theory. These are all the same thing. So we're walking around with a Merkaba around us right now. And we're not even, we don't even know it. There's a Taurus energy field coming out of us, which we saw earlier. The Sri Yantra represents the same field. The Merkaba is also a part of the Vitruvian man uh, system you see here. And then your aura that you're walking around with automatically, we already have this energy source, but we're not tapping into it. Okay, we're not really tapping into it. <clears throat> now this source, opens up stargates uh, to other dimensions and even to other areas in regular space-time. Nikola Tesla had knew this and he figured it out. And um, he knew that the connection between Merkaba, the connection between uh, understanding the fabric of space-time itself had to do with these sp uh, specific numbers, three, six, and nine. And it takes us into vortex-based mathematics a little bit. These math synchronicities create sacred geometrical structures that not only um, allow a Merkaba to exist, but even allow stargates and portals to be accessed by it. This is what you're looking at, okay? So let's move on to the next, toroidal energy flow, which is the toroidal energy as above, so below. The universe has a toroid surrounding it. That is where you meet to the exterior edges of the universe is this toroidal energy flow that moves up, out, and in uh, uh, with this uh, flow of galaxies and the movement of planets and everything else in through this system. The same thing happens down to on, on the um, avatar body level. You have the same exact flow happening, coming out of your heart and then encompassing about 12 feet away from your body. Some people can project up to even 20 feet away, creating this toroidal energy field. We see this field on everything. This is what you really look like. Animals that is, back. if you could see the energy field that surrounds your body. Animals the shape back. of this innate energy field forms a torus. And it is a preferred shape that the universe uses to create matter from energy. The universe uses to create matter from energy. Take a look at the picture uh, and observe the similarities of structure in the tree, orange, tomato, dividing cells, the Earth's magnetic, magnetic belts, and the shape of the galaxies themselves. You see here, the Merkaba and this star tetrahedron is prevalent throughout the entire universe. This energy field, this source energy, this star tetrahedron that creates this flow, this toroidal flow exists everywhere and virtually in almost everything. We talked about this earlier, the toroidal structure of the human energy field being mapped out. This is uh, by the uh, Institute of Heart Math. 
your field uh, is your, uh, you know, is what you're going to get into. Really, your star tetrahedron operates within that field, and it can even interact with others as well, as we talked about earlier in the uh, in the workshop. Need your help. <clears throat> so, let's look here. History has talked about the Merkaba mostly as a vehicle that allows a person to ascend or descend into the higher or lower worlds. But actually, the Merkaba is much more than just a vehicle of ascension. It can be really anything. It can be anything. Since it is a primal pattern that created all things in all universes, both visible and invisible, in the Bible, there is a reference to Ezekiel and the wheels by which Ezekiel ascended into heaven. In the Torah, there's a reference to the Merkava, which oh, is spelled wow. in Hebrew, that's why it's spelled in Hebrew, which has two different meanings. One meaning it's a chariot, and the other one is a vehicle. The other is the throne of God. So when the two definitions are combined, the true meaning comes to life. In ancient Egypt, the primal pattern was called the Merkava, uh, and basically it was actually the three worlds, not one. Mer meant kind of a light that rotated within itself, Ka meant spirit. And in this case, referring to the human spirit, and Ba meant the human body. Though it uh, could mean the concept of reality that the spirit holds, and so the entire world in ancient Egypt referred to the rotating light that would take the spirit body from one world to another. Ironically, the atomic structure of gold is the uh, geometric shape of the star tetrahedron, aka the Merkaba. Okay, let's take a look at that. This is gold right here, okay? You're looking at the atomic structure of gold, AU, on the periodic table of elements. You see its structure? Oh. <laughs> Pretty interesting that the Anunnaki came here to mine gold, mine this planet for gold. They were literally mining macabas, is what they were mining. Hmm. Interesting. Wow. The Star of David. Uh, a lot of people who uh, believe in the Jewish faith they walk around with the Star of David, and they believe it's because they're God's chosen people. Mm -hmm. When you go deeper into the history of the Star of David, you discover it's really about a star tetrahedron, the Merkaba, coming out of Africa. Wow. And it has nothing to do with God being a God's chosen person or a star in the sky, to be actually honest with you. The Star of David in Hebrew, Magen David, which is Shield of David, again also spelled Mogan. Jewish symbol composed of two overlaid equilateral triangles that form a six-pointed star. It appears on synagogues, Jewish tombstones, and, and the flag these of the state of Israel. Of the symbol, which historically was not literally used by Jews, originated in antiquity. Originally not used by Jews. When side by side with the five-pointed star, it served as a magical sign for a decoration in suffering. the Middle Ages, the Star of David appeared with greater frequency among Jews, but did not pigs. assume any special religious significance. It's From found as well in some medieval cathedrals. The term Magen David, which is Jewish liturgy, which uh, signifies God as a protector or the shield of David, gained currency among medieval Jewish mystics who attached magical powers to King David's shield, just as earlier non-Jewish magical traditions had referred to the five-pointed star as the seal of Solomon. Kabbalists popularized the use of the symbol as a protection against evil spirits. The Jewish community of Prague was the first to use the Star of David as its official symbol. And from the 17th century, one six-pointed star became the official seal of many Jewish communities and the general sign of Judaism. 
though it has no biblical or Tal uh, Talmudic authority, the star was almost universally adopted by Jews in the 19th century as a striking uh, and simple emblem of Judaism in imitation of the cross of Christianity. The yellow badge which Jews uh, were forced to wear in Nazi uh, you know, Germany occupied Europe and invested the Star of David uh, with a symbolism indicating martyrdom and heroism. So you see this evolved over time. It started off as a Merkava star tetrahedron, a vehicle of ascension, uh, an energy field that allowed you to transform or, or travel from one dimension or one place consciously to another. And then much later, it turned into religion and it turned into from an energy field to, uh, you know, an energy shield and a protector and so forth and so on. Uh, but it's much, much more than that. Much, much more than that. So, yeah, it's uh, uh, a lot of people wearing this don't really know what they're wearing or even how to access or use it. Uh, this as above, so below slide, it shows the electrons orbiting a nucleus of an atom and literally it mimics obviously a solar system orbiting uh, plants orbiting a sun in the solar system as above so below it actually was a misplaced slide but a good thing to touch on we saw gold on the periodic table of elements the au already it has a form of shape of a merkaba uh, we're looking here at the jed pillar ankh okay as we're moving into talking about Stargate technology and how this all interacts and in getting into the Merkaba. We look at the Ankh and, you know, we say, oh, wow, this is a cool symbol, meaning of life and energy, life force and birth and creation. Mm -hmm. Yes, it has all of that as well. In more modern times, just as the Star of David evolved into uh, an unknown symbol that has been misprioritized, same thing happened with the Ankh. It's now jewelry. It's, you know, it's uh, earrings. It's necklaces and everything else and yeah it's cool i mean but the true meaning has been hidden for eons it has several meanings actually so here's the ankh the comedic womb of mankind representing the uterus uh so you see the uterus the womb of life the sunset and the sunrise uh the fallopian tubes the vaginal canals which is a portal of life okay this is uh, one representation of the Ankh that it has, one purpose that it actually has and one meaning that it has. Here's evidence of technology in ancient past. You see uh, a jet pillar holding up uh, what looks like to be a light bulb. This is wireless electricity that existed. You see the Ankh and a jet pillar inside the Ankh in the middle where you have a J magnet. You have large induction coils. You have copper windings on the shaft. You have a bar magnet. And, um, you know, you have the steel tube, which increases the intensity of the current. And this is technology. If you look here to the lower left, you'll see jet pillars and you'll see a jet pillar and an ankh and a staff here from um, ancient Egypt. <clears throat> on the right, you see again in Pakistan, you see it, you know, in other places around the world as well, this Nikola Tesla only rediscovered these Tesla coils and he rediscovered them and, and reinvented them, or I guess recreated them from ancient information that he probably was privy to or had, or, or had access to. Okay. What the hell? This is the Nikola Tesla electrical oscillator, and this is the Egyptian Ankh with the jet pillar inside. And the reason why this is important is because in order to walk through stargates and portals, the elite of the elite. The gods of old, the ancient Atlanteans, the Anunnaki, 
Each of them had their own jet pillar onk that was um, set to oscillate at a frequency of a harmonic resonance of their own DNA. And so that was the key code to walk through the portal. If this didn't resonate at your specific uh, DNA, uh, resonate with the onk, the jet pillar onk, when you walk into the portal, it would destroy you. You would die. You wouldn't even be able to get to from to the end point to your destination. Okay. <clears throat> Nikola Tesla rediscovered the power of the jet pillar onk. These oscillators are expressly intended to operate on direct and alternating lighting circuits and to generate damped and undamped oscillations or current of any frequency, volume and tension within the widest limits. They are compact, self-contained, and require no care for long periods of time and will be found very convenient and useful for various purposes, such as wireless telegraphy, telephony, conversion of electrical energy, formation of chemical compounds through fusion and combination, synthesis of gases, manufacture of ozone, lighting, welding, municipal, hospital, and domestic sanitation and sterilization, and numerous other applications in scientific laboratories and industrial situations and institutions. While these transformers have never been described before, the general principles underlying them fully set forth in Nikola Tesla's published articles and patents, more particularly those of September 22nd, 1896, and it is thought that there uh, that in a, independent uh, photographs of and few uh, I'm sorry, and it is thought therefore that the appended photographs of a few types together with a short explanation convey all information that they may be desired. The essential part of such an oscillator are condenser, self-induction coil for charging the same to a high potential, a circuit controller, and a transformer which is energized by the oscillatory. Discharges of the condenser, um, and there are at least three, by the way, but usually four, five, or six circuits in tune with the regulation and its effect in several ways, most frequently merely by means of adjusting the screw under favorable conditions and efficiency high, uh, as high as 85% is attainable. And that is to say that the percentage of the energy supplied can be recovered in the secondary transformer. Uh, that would be probably the, uh, the gate would communicate with the frequency and allow you through. While the chief virtue of this kind of apparatus is obviously due to the wonderful powers of the condenser, special qualities result from concatenation, concatenation of circuits under observance of accurate harmonic relations and the minimization of frictional and other losses, which has been one of the principal objects of its design. So Nikola Tesla really tapped into this ancient Egyptian technology and rediscovered uh, uh, the power of the, the Nikola Tesla coil, which can be inserted or worked with an onk to create uh, an energy field that can resonate with the human frequency and allow you to walk through portals. The jet symbol is also sometimes viewed as a pillar supporting the sky. The jet symbol is also used as a ceremony called raising the jet. The ceremony is meant to represent Osiris triumph over Set. During the ceremony, the pharaoh uses a rope to raise a pillar, which with the assistance of the priests. The jet also has been used as an amulet placed near the spines mm -hmm. of mummified bodies and the image painted over their coffin. Numerous hieroglyphic inscriptions and architectural structures integrate the jet, therefore hinting at its great importance and sacredness of the ancient Egyptians. But could we be missing the main picture completely? What if the jet was actually some kind of practical device for generating and transmitting electricity mm -hmm. Uh, or a, an yeah. acoustic device or instrument. Yes, the ancients were Speaker. very fond of sound and the present day knowledge allows us to see 
past in a different light. You go to Egypt, you see Maybe these shapes on, on the hieroglyphs all <laughs> over the country. You see inside of crypts and tombs, you see the jet. And you see that nearby there's wireless light bulbs, which is probably why you don't see any soot in the ceiling of any of these tombs because they didn't use torches. They used wireless electricity. Here's an Ankh and here's a jet. You have four levels of the jet pillar. On the right, you see what we have here from ancient Egypt. What is this doing in ancient Egypt? Okay. What are these things doing there? Now look below modern day. What do we have? We have the same exact thing, guys. We have only rediscovered what the ancients already had been using. We've only rediscovered it. You see here in the lower right corner, you see this on every corner in your neighborhood, same exact thing from tens of thousands of years ago. We're just now trying to get back to where we were. The evidence is all around us, literally. That's not supposed to be here. So we have to understand the power of the human body works with the jet to allow us to ascend to higher dimensions. The Hebrew language itself is structured in a way that is numeric and it can, it's also building blocks. So Yahweh or Yahweh, depending on how you want to pronounce it, also translated into Jehovah or Jehovah for the average English mind. Not only does the Yahweh in Hebrew, when stacked vertically, create the basic layout of a human, head, shoulders, and two arms, torso, and hips, and two legs. The, the numerical value of Yahweh adds up to create our 46 human chromosomes. It's read from left to right and pronounced Yod, which is fire, He, water, Bob, air, and He, earth, the four main elements of our planet. The fifth is disputed in the platonic solids as ether or aether, universe, and in Asian, Eastern philosophy as metal, Allah, meaning arm, leg, leg, arm, and head. Mm -hmm. Just to wake up to your God self. This is how we were structured and built for uh, based off of cymatic frequencies and understanding these frequencies and how to speak them the proper way uh, will energize you and energize your Merkaba as well. The human avatar body are pretty much built of a lattice of 12 uh, carbon-12 isotope, which is built from six protons, six electrons, and six neutrons. The isotope of carbon accounts for 99% of all forms of carbon. It is the isotope of which carbon-12 consists of six electrons, six protons, and six neutrons. Six, six, six. After oxygen, the most abundant element in the human body is carbon-12. On cremation, the body returns to its carbon-12 state after all gases like oxygen, helium, hydrogen are released. Carbon-12 is one of the five elements that make up human DNA. Carbon-12 is the most crucial isotope needed to create a living biology. And this is exactly what the winter, the writer of Revelation was referring to when he said that 666 was the number of a man. That's carbon-12. The ancients knew about atoms and quantum physics, and carbon-12 is the basis of the physical body, as we link that, and it's also the link that ties man to the physical universe. So don't be afraid of the 666. The carbon-12 isotopes, the lattice of carbon inside the body, uh, the jet pillar ankh, the understanding that the torch energy field exists around our body are all components needed to create this Merkaba uh, light vehicle to get it to, to access it and actually make it move. Uh, so the DNA is composed of four elements of hydrogen, nitrogen, oxygen, carbon, and when put together, 
you get the form YHWG, the carbon, which has made, uh, made us a physical and earthly being. When carbon is replaced with nitrogen, we have all the colorless, odorless, and invisible gases. They form the letters YH. So you're talking about the name of God, the name of the creator, whatever the name of the universal consciousness is actually encoded into the DNA of a human being, okay, of a homo sapien. Pretty interesting stuff, guys. You see here uh, this model. This is a planetary model that we've discovered that permeates virtually uh, the entire universe when you look at these points where the star tetrahedron touches the inside of any of these moons or planets. You see upwellings of energy coming from the inside, okay? Now, this same energy pattern surrounds the human avatar body as well. This is your Merkaba that you already have. Physics and scientists are just now rediscovering what the ancients already knew. The same power, the same energy is already in Carson, also known as Forbidden Knowledge. I want to talk to you about a very special event coming up July 30th, 2023, the Forbidden Conscious Awards. We're going to honor people who have been contributing to the conscious community for decades. People that you know and love that have helped you get to higher levels of thought and consciousness and awareness. It's going to be a live in-person event, but seats are going to sell out very fast. You want to make sure you're there in person. And guess what? You can help vote for the winners. Voting is available on ForbiddenKnowledge.com. And the categories are going to be social media influencer, podcast slash radio host, TV host, actor, director, producer, entrepreneurs, health and wellness, philanthropists, authors, field researchers, archaeologists, space anomaly hunters, and of course, a Lifetime Achievement Award. I'll be your keynote speaker that night at the Forbidden Conscious Awards. We have celebrity guests performing. We'll have a halftime show where we're actually going to perform music for you. And don't forget about the pre-event mixer, where if you buy a box seat, you'll be in the VIP section and you also have private access to a VIP mixture with celebrity guests, shake hands, break bread, network, and then walk the red carpet with us and take amazing photos. It's going to be a night to remember. You don't want to forget this. Make sure you hurry up and get your tickets because they're selling out very fast. I want to see you there for Bid and Conscious Awards 2023. This is uh, one representation of the Ankh that it has, one purpose that it actually has, and one meaning that it has. Here's evidence of technology in ancient past. You see. Uh, a jet pillar holding up uh, what looks like to be a light bulb. This is wireless electricity that existed. You see the onk and a jet pillar inside the onk in the middle, where you have a J magnet. You have large induction coils. You have copper windings on the shaft. You have a bar magnet. And, um, you know, uh, you have the steel tube, which increases the intensity of the current. And this is technology 
if you look here to the lower left, you'll see Jed Pillars and you'll see uh, Jed Pillar and an Ankh and a staff here from um, ancient Egypt. And on the right, you see again in Pakistan, you see it you know, in other places around the world as well. This Nikola Tesla only rediscovered these Tesla coils and he rediscovered them and, and reinvented them, or I guess recreated them from ancient information that he probably was privy to or had, or, or had access to. Okay. This is the Nikola Tesla electrical oscillator, and this is the Egyptian Ankh with the jet pillar inside. And the reason why this is important is because in order to walk through stargates and portals, the elite of the elite, the gods of old, the ancient Atlanteans, the Anunnaki, each of them had their own jet pillar Ankh that was um, set to oscillate at a frequency of a harmonic resonance of their own DNA. And so that was the key code to walk through the portal. If this didn't resonate at your specific uh, DNA, uh, resonate with the Ankh, the Jed Pillar Ankh, when you walked into the portal, it would destroy you. You would die. You wouldn't even be able to get to, from, to the end point to your destination. Okay. Like Nikola Tesla rediscovered the power of the Jed Pillar Ankh. These oscillators are especially intended to operate on direct and alternating lighting circuits and to generate damped and undamped oscillations or current of any frequency, volume and tension within the widest limits. They are compact, self-contained, and require no care for long periods of time and will be found very convenient and useful for various purposes such as wireless telegraphy, telephony, conversion of electrical energy, formation of chemical compounds through fusion and combination, synthesis of gases, manufacture of ozone, lighting, welding, municipal, hospital, and domestic sanitation and sterilization, and numerous other applications in scientific laboratories and industrial situations institutions. While these transformers have never been described before, the general principles underlying them fully set forth in Nikola Tesla's published articles and patents, more particularly those of September 22, 1896, and it is thought that there, uh, that in independent uh, photographs of, and few, uh, I'm sorry, and it is thought, therefore, that the appended photographs of a few types, together with a short explanation, will convey all information that they may be desired. The essential part of such an oscillator are condenser, self-induction coil for charging the same to a high potential, a circuit controller, and a transformer which is energized by the oscillatory. Discharges of the condenser, um, and there are at least three, by the way, but usually four, five, or six circuits in tune with the regulation and its effect in several ways, most frequently merely by means of adjusting the screw under favorable conditions and efficiency high, uh, as high as 85% is attainable. And that is to say that the percentage of the energy supplied can be recovered in the secondary transformer. Uh, that would be probably the, uh, the gate would communicate with the frequency and allow you through. While the chief virtue of this kind of apparatus is obviously due to the wonderful powers of the condenser, special qualities result from concatenation, concatenation of circuits under observance of accurate harmonic relations and the minimization of frictional and other losses, which has been one of the principal objects of its design. So Nikola Tesla really tapped into this ancient Egyptian technology and rediscovered uh, uh, the power of the, the Nikola Tesla coil, which can be inserted or worked with an onk to create uh, an energy field that can resonate with the human frequency and allow you to walk through portals. The jet 
symbol is also sometimes viewed as a pillar supporting the sky. The Jed symbol is also used as a ceremony called raising the Jed. The ceremony is meant to represent Osiris triumph over Set. What if I told you that a secret body of the U.S. government developed a type of pill that activates a small piece of Osiris triumph over Set? During the ceremony, the Pharaoh uses a discharges of the condenser, um, and there are to a high potential. Typical laboratories and any frequency. If this didn't resonate at your specific uh, DNA, uh, resonate with the Ankh, the Jed Pillar Ankh, when you walked into the portal, it would destroy you. You would die. You wouldn't even be able to get to from to the end point to your destination. Okay. <clears throat> Nikola Tesla rediscovered the power of the Jed Pillar Ankh. These oscillators are expressly intended to operate on direct and alternating lighting circuits. And to generate damped and undamped oscillations or current of any frequency, volume and tension within the widest limits. They are compact, self-contained, and require no care for long periods of time and will be found very convenient and useful for various purposes, such as wireless telegraphy, telephony, conversion of electrical energy, formation of chemical compounds through fusion and combination, synthesis of gases, manufacture of ozone, lighting, welding, municipal, hospital, and domestic sanitation and sterilization, and numerous other applications in scientific laboratories and industrial situations, institutions. While these transformers have never been described before, the general principles underlying them fully set forth in Nikola Tesla's published articles and patents, more particularly those of September 22, 1896. And it is thought that there, uh, that in independent uh, photographs of, and few, uh, I'm sorry, and it is thought therefore that the appended photographs of a few types together with a short explanation will convey all information that they may be desired. The essential part of such an oscillator are condenser, self-induction coil for charging the same to a high potential, a circuit controller, and a transformer which is energized by the oscillatory. Discharges of the condenser, um, and there are at least three by the way, but usually four, five, or six circuits in tune with the regulation and its effect in several ways most frequently merely by means of adjusting the screw under favorable conditions and efficiency high, uh, as high as 85% is attainable. And that is to say that the percentage of the energy supplied can be recovered in the secondary transformer. Uh, that would be probably the, uh, the gate would communicate with the frequency and allow you through. While the chief virtue of this kind of apparatus is obviously due to the wonderful powers of the condenser, Special qualities result from concatenation, concatenation of circuits under observance of accurate harmonic relations and the minimization of frictional and other losses, which has been one of the principal objects of its design. So Nikola Tesla really tapped into this ancient Egyptian technology and rediscovered uh, uh, the power of the, the Nikola Tesla coil, which can be inserted or worked with an onk to create uh, an energy field that can resonate with the human frequency and allow you to walk through portals. The jet symbol is also sometimes viewed as a pillar supporting the sky. The jet symbol is also used as a ceremony called raising the jet. The ceremony is meant to represent Osiris triumph over Set. During the ceremony, the pharaoh uses a rope to raise a pillar, which with the assistance of the priests. The jet also has been used as an amulet placed near the spines of mummified bodies and the image painted over their coffin. Numerous hieroglyphic inscriptions and architectural structures integrate the Jed, therefore hinting at its great importance 
and sacredness of the ancient Egyptians. But could we be missing the main picture completely? What if the jet was frequency. actually some kind of practical device for generating and transmitting electricity? Or frequency, uh, vibration. Or a, an acoustic device or instrument? Yes, the ancients were very fond of sound and the present day knowledge allows us to see the past in a different light. You go to Egypt, you see these jets on, on the hieroglyphs all over the country. You see inside of crypts and tombs, you see the jet. And you see that nearby there's wireless light bulbs, which is probably why you don't see any soot in the ceiling of any of these tombs because they didn't use torches. They use wireless electricity. Here's an Ankh and here's a jet. You have four levels of the jet pillar. On the right, you see what we have here from ancient Egypt. What is this doing in ancient Egypt? Okay. What are these things doing there? Now look below modern day. What do we have? We have the same exact thing, guys. We have only rediscovered what the ancients already had been using. We've only rediscovered it. You see here in the lower right corner, you see this on every corner in your neighborhood, same exact thing from tens of thousands of years ago. We're just now trying to get back to where we were. The evidence is all around us, literally. That's not supposed to be here. So we have to understand the power of the human body it works with the jet to allow us to ascend to higher dimensions. The Hebrew language itself is structured in a way that is numeric and it can, it's also building blocks. So Yahweh or Yahweh, depending on how you want to pronounce it, also translated into Jehovah or Jehovah for the average English mind. Not only does the Yahweh in Hebrew, when stacked vertically, create the basic layout of a human, head, shoulders, and two arms, torso, and hips, and two legs, the numerical value of Yahweh adds up to create our 46 human chromosomes. It's read from left to right and pronounced Yod, which is fire, He, water, Vav, air, and He, earth, the four main elements of our planet. The fifth is disputed in the platonic solids as ether or aether, universe, and in Asian Eastern philosophy as metal, Allah, meaning arm, leg, leg, arm, and head. Just to wake up to your God self. This is how we were structured and built for uh, based off of cymatic frequencies and understanding these frequencies and how to speak them the proper way uh, will energize you and energize your Merkaba as well. The human avatar body are pretty much built of a lattice of 12 uh, carbon-12 isotope, which is built from six protons, six electrons, and six neutrons. The isotope of carbon accounts for 99% of all forms of carbon. It is the isotope of which carbon-12 consists of six electrons, six protons, and six neutrons. Six, six, six. After oxygen, the most abundant element in the human body is carbon-12. On cremation, the body returns to its carbon-12 state after all gases like oxygen, helium, hydrogen are released. Carbon-12 is one of the five elements that make up human DNA. Carbon-12 is the most crucial isotope needed to create a living biology. And this is exactly what the winter, the writer of Revelation was referring to when he said that 666 was the number of a man. That's carbon-12. The ancients knew about atoms and quantum physics, and carbon-12 is the basis of the physical body, as we link that, and it's also the link that ties man to the physical universe. So don't be afraid of the 666. Carbon-12 isotopes, the lattice of carbon inside the body, 
the jet pillar onc, the understanding that the torch energy field exists around our body are all components needed to create this Merkaba uh, light vehicle to get it to, to access it and actually make it move. Uh, so the DNA is composed of four elements of hydrogen, nitrogen, oxygen, carbon, and when put together, you get the form YHWG, carbon, which has made, uh, made us a physical and earthly being. When carbon is replaced with nitrogen, we have all the colorless, odorless, and invisible gases. They form the letters YH. So you're talking about the name of God, the name of the creator, whatever, the name of the universal consciousness is actually encoded into the DNA of a human being, okay, of a homo sapien. Pretty interesting stuff, guys. You see here uh, this model. This is a planetary model that we've discovered that permeates virtually uh, the entire universe when you look at these points where this dark tetrahedron touches the inside of any of these moons or planets, you see upwellings of energy coming from the inside, okay? Now, this same energy pattern surrounds the human avatar body as well. This is your Merkaba that you already have. Physics and scientists are just now rediscovering what the ancients already knew. This same power, this same energy is already inside of us. Hey everybody, it's Billy Carson, also known as Forbidden Knowledge. I want to talk to you about a very special event coming up July 30th, 2023, the Forbidden Conscious Awards. Oh We're going to honor man. people who have been contributing to the mm -hmm. conscious community for... good they took a lot of pictures by the way i'm posting pictures from my podcasts on facebook in particular i take a lot of pictures so um it's for my artwork when i'm doing research so i kind of do some sacred geometry pieces Um, enter the Akasha, Return of the Jedi, Wisdom Keepers. Ooh, that sounds good. Wisdom Keepers of one mind and one spirit. I don't shop, I Depop. Depop makes it so easy to buy and sell. So mm. This was posted eight months ago. going on man our next keynote which we're going to bring up in a minute is billy carson and you can follow billy at forbidden knowledge that's with the number four we are broadcasting all around the world all across the united states i want to welcome everybody all around the world and i just got a text in to say hello to of course the united kingdom canada Australia, Denmark, Belgium, Poland, Romania, and Austria. You know who I'm talking to right now. Welcome. This is a great day. We've got a busy day today. And coming up next is Billy Carson. And can we bring in Billy? Can I say hello? Come on, Billy. Billy Carson. How are you, man? All right, fantastic. You know, uh, when uh, when I call Billy on the phone, everybody, little personal thing, Billy picks up the phone, he says, hello, Jimmy. And I say, Billy, Billy, Billy. 
And it's, it's our little personal thing going back uh, to the Caddyshack movie, and there's a scene in there, oh, Billy, 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 because a golf club is is named uh, Billy. Uh, but it has always stuck with me, and now Billy is not Billy Carson to me. Billy is Billy, Billy, Billy. I've had the privilege to write the foreword uh, to your two books and the presentations, but the knowledge is coming forward from you. And I think everybody, millions around the world, really appreciate your work. And I'm excited yeah. uh, uh, for this, the evolution of Come conscious on, light waves. Billy, yes. I'm going to hand it over to you. I'm going to be hanging right. out in the background, and I'll see you after the presentation. So let's get right into it, guys. Now the shameless plugs are all out of the way. <laughs> um, okay, so we're going to be talking about the evolution of conscious light and conscious light wave today. And so this kind of takes us back to the force from Star Wars. The force is actually a frequency. And what are frequencies? Frequencies are light, light waves, okay? You have the, the, you know, the dark side and you have the Jedi who operate on the light side, but all of it is all light. Dark energy, dark matter is still light. Everything exists is light. And I'm gonna show you the science behind this today. So. Those of you who have never seen my workshops or lectures before, you're gonna find out real quick that I back everything up by real science. If I don't, if I'm talking about ancient civilizations, I back everything up by ancient texts. And I can give you the sources and you can go look up the stuff yourself because I, I really believe in creating researchers. I'm just not one of those guys that just wants to talk off the top of my head and give you no facts and evidence whatsoever because to me that makes it very ambiguous information. And then when you go to try to execute these teachings, you're gonna have a hit or miss. I'd rather be able to teach you how stuff works behind the scenes so that you understand in your mind when you're focusing or something, or you're trying to manifest or achieve something, what's really happening? What are the actual interactions going on in the subatomic world that are allowing these things to propagate into our third dimensional reality? So we're going to be talking about the force pretty much for the entire workshop because that's really what it's about. <clears throat> Some of you may have heard of the return of the Jedi from Star Wars, as a matter of fact. Well, I'm going to read to you a little bit of an Osirian initiation, Osirian uh, also linked to the Orion as we get into this to let you know that the Jedi are real, the Jedi, D-J-E-D-I, the Jedi of ancient Egypt, before it was called Egypt, the land of Kem. Uh, the Jedi were actually this uh, private group of adept initiates that were on missions. And so I'll just read this. The return of the Jedi is synonymous with raising consciousness or raising awareness. Who were or are the Jedi? The Jedi were the stable ones, wisdom keepers of one mind and one spirit, who as the initiates of the Osirian mysteries comprised the living terrestrial body of the archetypal celestial Osiris. Contemporary Jedi are self-selecting regenerators of cosmos. They are those who regardless of race or creed are awakening to mission and service to the planet and the epochal imperatives of stability, continuity, and regeneration. The Jedi sense and know Osiris's arising as their own. As Osiris awakens from the sleep of the Aeon, the Jedi also rise to the occasion, moving into a resonant relationship as the reconstellated members of the collective Osiris. Therefore, 
as the mighty bones creak and the ancient one stirs. This is our historical moment of our awakening and our call. So prepare for the return of the Jedi because we have been here for a very, very long time, my friends, a very long time. So initially we were talking about light waves and light waves, which are really frequencies as well. Waves and frequencies really are almost the same thing. But we're gonna talk about these light waves. We're gonna talk about the very, very beginning of these waves, okay? So how far back do we go? We have to go back to both the Atlantean or also known as Hermes Trismegistus, master of all arts and sciences, perfect in all crafts, ruler of the three worlds, scribe of the gods and keeper of the book of life. And yes, the book of life is real. It's called the Akashic Records. And I'm gonna to touch on that today also. Both Hermes Trismegistus, three times the greatest. <laughs> he was the first intelligencer. He was regarded by the ancient Egyptians as- We're listening to uh, Billy Carson. Water, right? We 70 to 90% water. Some people say I'm basically almost 100% because even those things can be made up of water. Yeah. But when we're talking about water and the effect that light has on water, right? Because, you know, water is charged by light. Yeah. And water has memory in it. That's right. You understand me? I think it was Dr. John Pollock that was given a breakdown on the fourth phase of water. And it was one of the same doctors who discovered, I believe, HIV back in the day, who's trying to figure out ways to utilize uh, um, um, sound waves to create medicine. Yeah. You understand yeah. me? And basically that every disease has a frequency. And yeah. if he can counteract that disease with a dominant frequency of the cure, then he can cure yeah. that person. Right. Because water traps frequency in its protons. Yeah. You understand me? So that if our environment is a certain vibration, then we take on that vibration of that environment. Yeah, absolutely. It's the same study about rice and water. When you speak yeah. over certain things, you're trapping that, right? So yeah. that's why nobody who's angry should ever serve you food. Exactly. Or they dislike. If you make a waiter mad, don't yeah. eat the food from there anymore. No. Got to keep them happy and pleasant. Otherwise, they can give you food poisoning mm -hmm. just based on their negative energy. Right. Right? Exactly. But I bring that up to bring this. Um, you know... As human beings, the things that we should know the most about, we know the least about. Yeah. And that's being a human being. Right. Right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, water and light. Right. Mm -hmm. We are light beings and we are water beings. Yeah. You understand me? Holy. So I studied that to understand the effects that environment has on myself. Yeah. That's knowledge of self to yeah. knowledge of cells. You got to do that. So, you know, what is it about light itself as um, a messenger of information mm -hmm. that is important that we observe from the things that we eat, besides the breakdown just gay, yeah. <laughs> right? Where we go to, but at the same time being a, a, a way for our brains to be able to travel. Yeah. Right? Like, and then can you correlate it into biophotons? Mm -hmm. yeah. You understand me? Right. Um, you know, when I be thinking, I just be having thoughts so they jump <laughs> over. That's that's why I had to call this show a conversation. Yeah, yeah. Um, so as light beings, what does that mean? Well, one thing people don't understand is that we are all made of actual light. Well, everything in the third dimension is made of light. Mm -hmm. uh, and so we are light and light is us. Mm -hmm. We know that the illusion of this avatar body and this chair I'm sitting on and the table that you're sitting at, the illusion of it's there. But what, that, what, that, what, what is this? This is slow down light waves. Mm -hmm. When you slow light down, and the consciousness interacts with it, it collapses it into what we call solid matter. Mm. So solid matter is actually an illusion. 
Right. For example, the only thing stopping my hand from going through this chair is the repulsion of the electromagnetic frequencies. I don't actually touch the chair. You right. don't touch anything. Yeah. And so if I can phase shift the atomic frequency of my hand to match the same frequency of the atoms in this chair, I'd pass my hand right through it. Mm. Because atoms are 99.999% empty space. Right, like pouring liquid into liquid. Exactly, you know. That's why when galaxies merge together, like we're merging with a, gal a galaxy right now called Sagittarius, mm. you don't see any real collisions happening or anything Shout around. Shout out to my Sagittarius out there. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> because, you know, galaxies are mostly empty space, just like atoms. Everything's a fractal. So we are light beings, and also, because of that, we're a fractal. We have consciousness, which is also light. And what is a fractal? A fractal is when you take, for example, if you look at a, um, uh, a hologram and you go to one part of the hologram, one tiny piece and look at it, you'll see the entire image in that smallest piece. Mm, okay, the only thing yeah. you lose is a little bit of resolution. Mm. Okay? And so it's important for people to understand that this entire realm is a fractal of a whole. In other words, as above, so below. So if you look at an atom, it gives you the whole thing. It gives you the whole thing, absolutely. So human beings, would you consider a fractal of the universe? We're a fractal of the universe. And our consciousness, even though it's one consciousness, it's also a fractal of main master consciousness. And it's really incredible that every thought that you think in your skull, it leaves your skull as a form of a light wave. Mm. Every Talk time you think. Talk to yeah, man. Every light wave, every time you think. We know this because we could put a cap on your head at a laboratory, put a little electrodes on it, sensors, and tell you to think about something. And it's going to show up on the computer screen mm -hmm. because the computer's reading the light waves coming out of your skull. We can't see those waves because we can only see 1% of the light spectrum as human beings. Right. We're limited. We don't see gamma rays. We don't see right. ultraviolet. What and, affects us the most. Yeah, exactly. Those yeah. are the things that are all around us that are really, in, uh, 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 you know, interacting with us all the time and our brains. Too. Right. And, and that's what I was getting to with the water because... The ultraviolet radiation is what causes that fourth phase to flow, like mm -hmm. blood flow within yep. our bodies and things right. of that nature by creating a separation between positive and negative charge. And in between that small space right there is where it creates that charge and flow. And they was doing a uh, study where they tried to take two uh, prods, put one on the other end to create energy. Yeah. Right. But uh, go ahead. Yeah. So that's what it is. So, you know, we, we have this power to, of thought which you were talking about having the ability to even travel through light, leaving your mind and traveling light. Every, you can actually connect to other realms, other dimensions through conscious thought. Quantum entangling your light waves with other light waves that exist in the universe, not only in the third dimension, but even multiple dimensions. Right. So like quantum entanglement, for yeah. those who don't understand, are two basically atoms that are entangled with one another, even if they are at vast distances. Right. Right. And Einstein called it, you know, spooky. Right, because he didn't understand what was going on. Right, right. He he but we understand. He said the spooky action at a distance. Yeah. And you can entangle atoms, you can entangle photons, mm -hmm. which are lights. Right. So Do you think that's what happened when people fall in love, they consider to be soulmates? I think it happens. Well, your mind can entangle with somebody on the other side of the universe. Mm. A lot of the times, you know, you can say, oh, I came up with this great idea. Right. But you really didn't. You just right. downloaded that idea because you entangled with the information. Entanglement. That's all it is. <laughs> all information actually exists. And now, like, big-time mainstream quantum physicists and theoretical physicists are admitting that this is true now. Yeah. Like, it's not woo-woo science no more. This is like what you're getting taught in university. When I was at MIT studying applied neuroscience, uh, one of the things we learned about was this exact thing, the fact that 
not only can you walk in a room like you were saying earlier and you can uh, sense the vibe and you can actually transmit negative or positive energy mm -hmm. to somebody. If somebody's at a at a low frequency and you walk in positive and high high frequency enough, your light being can actually raise their energy level. Right, right. And if you're not high enough and they're and they're low, they right. can actually drop your energy level. Right. It depends on how strong you are consciously. Uh, and then also we talked about the fact that we can entangle with information throughout the entire multiverse. Mm. So information can even come from other universes into your own mind. And if you're able to discern that information, you can actually then, if you can put the action behind it, it could be one of the greatest inventions. It could be Web3, it could be, you know what I'm saying, whatever, whatever yeah. we got going on now. NFTs or whatever, all this stuff comes from other places. Um, so, biophotons is what I wanted to get to. Um, because biophotons to me is very interesting because I think it's like taking the concept of science and physics and being able to apply it, you understand me, in yeah. a real world sense and connect, you know, um, yourself and your willpower, right? Yeah. You know, um, it was Dr. Wesley, he has the Book of God. And he has a, a very, very dope book, very amazing book. I, I, everybody should study it. Um, but he gives a breakdown about photons, and this is one of my first introductions to it, when um, he was talking about a study that was done at this university, you know, to study uh, biophoton levels, which is basically, for those who don't know, is light within the human body. Right. And so one of the things that they studied was the fact that during a time that a patient was sick, you understand me, the light that they emitted glowed brighter, right? And of course, that was because the body was working to heal itself. Yeah. And the thought process was that if you go back to ancient human being origins, that those human beings were just light beings, complete light beings. Mm -hmm. And as, you know, as I'm positing this thought right now, as melanin, you understand me, overtook those bodies. Uh, and you're talking about, you know, that very dark melanin. And then you have light, you know, piercing out of that, which used to be where hair follicles are. You understand me? Then you're talking about a blue aura or a blue hue, right? Mm -hmm. And so in ancient texts where you see a lot of the blue representation of gods or beings, yeah. there were the representation of the original man and woman as light beings. Yeah. Now, the way that I connected to science more so is the idea that, you know, our mind has light within it, yeah. right? And it communicates directly with the light outside us and that... Yeah. This is scientifically proven that we can think things and bend the wheel of reality around us. Like exactly. the matrix play with the concepts and ideas. The spoon doesn't exist idea. Exactly. But more so is, you know, each one of us have different levels of consciousness and conscious power. Yeah. And the ability to bend and, and change reality around us, mm -hmm. which is also a very masculine trait because testosterone increases that biophotonic energy. Mm -hmm. You understand me within the body. So depleted testosterone depletes willpower as yeah. well. Yeah. So it's saying that, for me, I always say that one act of masculinity is willpower. Mm -hmm. The ability to take thoughts outside your mind and produce them into reality. Yeah. So if you have a people who are not able to produce their thoughts, mm -hmm. then those people are lost without that will, yeah. right? Without that power, without that godliness. Mm -hmm. And so that's something that I think about often as I see our brothers and sisters hoping and wishing yeah. and, and trying to bring things forth, but they just can't because that light inside them is dead. Dead. Plus, a lot of the male in, in this society right now are being emasculated. Oh, yeah, sterilized. And so, you know, and a lot of it is chemical-based. Yes. 
It's the food. Chemical it's castration. The, uh, chemical castration, man. It's, it's all these microplastics that are, uh, you know, we're, we're inhaling them, we're eating mm. them. It's in the food. It's in everything. They did a test on those microplastics. They were converting frogs, in, male frogs, into women. Right, right, right. You know, through, I mean, this is just crazy stuff. So that's a hell of a leap. It's a big leap. <laughs> a big leap. Good good myself, oh man, <laughs> but it's so true, you know. And so, uh, it's it's taking away uh, the, the the testosterone levels in men are the lowest it's been since they've been recording. Right. And so, to that effect, what you're saying is, you know, the, the levels are dropping, and the ability for people to make men to make a lot of logical decisions right. is also dropping. Right. You see men now operating more off of um, emotion versus logic. Right. That balance of logic versus emotion isn't there anymore. Right. Uh, a lot, sometimes there's a lot more men that are more emotional than women. Yes. So their, their plan is working out, you know, yeah. and, and the plan for them really is to not let us discover our light body, mm, not mm. let us discover our light consciousness and the power that we really truly have inside of us to change and bend and mold this matrix to our will and overcome and supersede where where, where, where they are. Right. What they want us to do is just continue to stay in these small little pockets, fighting each other over scraps, and not really ever getting to the higher levels and mm -hmm. realizing that we're supposed to be able to bring our heaven right here to this earth right, right. now. And see, that, that reminds me of when you talk about the beings that can see and they look down, mm -hmm. right? Like, you, you imagine somebody in a, a tower looking down on the people yeah. playing the game of the rat race, but yeah. they can see dimensions. They can see where the people are headed. They can see all different angles, oh, yeah. <laughs> right? And those are the people, the what considered to be the 1%, you understand me? And then, of course, that can be translated into multi-different, yeah. you know, uh, uh, names and forms and species and things of that nature. But the ruling class, if yeah. you will, you understand me? Uh, the manipulating class, mm -hmm. those who practice trick knowledge and deceit on the yeah. rest of the population to not know their power. Right. Like the greatest trick of the devil is to get you to not know that you are God. That's it. You understand me? Because the moment that you have self-realization of your power, number yeah. one, you stop looking at them to help manage you discover it. Exactly. Because if we go to chattel slavery times, and I like to say chattel slavery just yeah. because it's such a different form than mm -hmm. the rest of the slavery. Yeah. But chattel slavery is all about breaking that knowledge of self and that knowing of who you are. Because how can you make a slave unless he is completely dependent upon your will? Exactly. And the testosterone-filled masculine slaves were the hardest ones to break, yep. the ones that have their own faith and belief systems, mm -hmm. because they weren't going to relinquish that power to someone else. Right. No, they fought, and there were insurrections all yep. throughout times because that willpower was fighting another will. Yep. You understand me? It, it, you know... Uh, and so now what we got is more so Chris Rock, where you don't fight the wheel no more. You just let it slap you around. You understand me? I just had to drop another one. <laughs> I couldn't help myself. I couldn't help myself. <laughs> but the lack of... <laughs> I love jokes, y'all. I love jokes. I love comedy. But no, for real, though, because... You know, here we are in present day, and when we talk about chemical castration, man, this yeah. is very important. Like, yeah. we've went through so many different phases um, fighting those beings, yeah. you understand me, who bring in drugs, who bring in guns, who bring in propaganda, you know, who bring in, you know, uh, uh, MK Ultra. Yeah. you understand me, and toxins, and poisons, toxins, and poisons and from the air yeah. to every single yeah. thing. It's not black people doing that. No, definitely not. <laughs> we ain't got that type of we ain't got that type of control. No. Unfortunately, yeah. that's the issue. Right. 
so you know like you can take that back to it's, it's unfortunate that you know the greatest minds are producing destructive things their greatest minds are producing destructive things yeah you know and now what we are in this phase of reality is figuring out who we are because that's still always the biggest key to all of this yeah because the hardest thing is to teach another black man or woman who you are right let me teach you whether you want to call yourself black original you understand me more hebrew israelite yeah. you know alien whatever you want to call yourself you can describe yourself as an anunnakian yeah but understanding at the core you understand me that being of godliness that you yeah. possess right and that that is unstoppable mm. once you truly recognize who you yeah. are yeah not just from literature mm. not just through paperwork i'm yeah. talking about through spirit things that yeah. can't be taught that have to be known deep yeah. within you have to you have to walk in your own power when i walk places when i go places i expect the, the universe to unfold for me. I expect, Absolutely. I expect things to open up for me and things to just happen for me when I walk into places. I can just be going to the grocery store. I'm walking in power. People, if they can jump inside of my body and feel what I'm feeling, they'd be like, God dang. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This guy really, you know what I'm yeah. saying? I'm walking, everywhere I go, I'm walking in pure power. I, I, I act like I'm commanding and wielding the universe to my will. And that's something that scares us. But the reason why is because we've been programmed to think if you do that, that's of the devil and that's mm -hmm. evil. And you, you got to beg somebody else to give you this power. You can't just walk in this kind of power. But the same power that created everything we see in this entire universe, in this multiverse, is the same power that's inside of my body. That's a fact. Yeah. You know, I want to talk about something, because when we talk about power, culture is probably, our culture specifically, which is getting to our spirit, powers this world. We are the battery. Yeah. You know, I mean, melanin is a battery itself. Yeah. Right? And... When we talk about that, I was studying, you know, years ago, the Kardashev scale, okay. right? When we're talking about type zero to yeah. one, three, four civilizations. Mm -hmm. And when I was studying back then, I would relay everything I learned in physics and science to black culture yeah. and how it could be an analogy to where we can utilize, liberate ourselves. Mm -hmm. So for those who don't know, this Kardashev scale is a model of, you know, how civilizations can grow, if you will, right? right? Into uh, uh, more efficient system and models, more mm -hmm. control, right? Yeah. So we are currently, what well, I believe, you know, like 0 0.5, but yeah, yeah. type 0 civilization. Yeah, type zero. Right? Type we're 0. We're zero. <laughs> <laughs> we crawling, though. We're trying we, to crawl. We, we, we try. The yeah. concepts are getting out there. Yeah, yeah, yeah it is. It but, is. you know, the politics are in the way, to be honest. That's what happened. The polytricks. Yeah, the polytricks. <laughs> so type 0 is saying that we get our energy from dead coal and plants. Yeah. You understand me? That, you know, uh, our energy systems, number one, are inefficient. Mm -hmm. You understand me? And that's why we steady have these energy wars. Yeah. You understand me? That yeah. we are dependent upon these resources. Yeah. That we don't have the ability to reproduce ourselves. Mm -hmm. You understand me? Yeah. And or have control over supply. Yeah. And so, you know, that's why human beings are always at risk for extinction. Ideally, it's because we don't control external things outside you understand yeah. me we can't control the meteor hitting this mm -hmm. planet we can't control right. the sun exploding we can't control any of those things so that's why man now just wants to jump to another planet mm -hmm. you understand me because he don't believe that he will be able to gain control yeah. before it's too late right exactly. but a type one is more so talking about the ability to control weather control earth control the yeah. sun or at least in a sense, being able to, to absorb all energy from the sun and mm -hmm. utilize that to power the world yeah. that is today. And then you have the analogy of type one type systems, mm -hmm. right? Uh, type one language would be 
will be considered like English. English, you know, they're a language that's going to stinks every day. Yeah. You understand me? And English is rapidly fast growing all across the planet Earth to become a type one language where everybody on the planet speaks English. Yeah. So that is a method, you understand me, uh, uh, of energy transfer, communication and translation that all being on this planet Earth will be in understanding. Yeah. Then we'll be talking about systems like music. Mm -hmm. Hip hop is a, I consider hip hop a basically a type one system when you're talking about music. Yeah. Because hip hop produced beings, number one, and tones and frequencies and rhythms that are known all across the planet Earth. Yeah, that's mathematical. Right. And then you have other beings, the Beyonce's of the world, the Kanye's of the world, who are known by people all throughout the entire planet Earth. Yeah. You understand me? From a one world system, yeah. these are very identifiable symbols, mm -hmm. right? Because they're not, you don't know the person. Yeah. So the person is, the brand is a symbol, mm -hmm. which is a representation of a, a energy. Yeah. You understand me? That has a translation that creates feeling, right? From yeah. each person that knows it in their perspective and right. their connection to it. But after I say all of that, I say all that to say, Hip-hop culture is the most powerful energy that exists on this planet Earth. You understand me? Because it can move reality in yeah. ways that we don't even understand yet. Yeah. Because it's a one-world communication system to all melanated people across the planet Earth. Mm -hmm. That we can literally put everybody on the same vibration and frequency, mm -hmm. you understand me, by exporting culture throughout the diaspora. Yeah. And if we understood how powerful that concept was, we have the ability to leap past and make quantum leaps over everybody with this system that yeah. we created called hip hop. Yeah. And this is why we have so many culture watches, because culture watches understand this express way throughout the world. Oh, yeah. If I connect to a rapper, if I'm a white guy, mm -hmm. and if I'm a smart white guy, I need to, and if I can afford it, I need to get close to the rappers. Yeah. The rappers don't realize they have more leverage than I do. They're the big They're influencers of the world. Big world. I've never seen a rapper understood their value so much when they stand next to a white guy and give them their presence. Yeah. Because what you're doing is you're giving them an entry into the culture and you're giving them an audience where you're spreading their message yeah. and connecting them to hip-hop. Right. And it's wildly known that there are a lot of culture vultures, we just don't speak on it. Yeah. You understand me? Because people are, you know, favored for this, favored for that. But once you really understand it, there was a, I'm not going to name a name at this point, um, famous, I think might be a billionaire, yeah. maybe a couple hundred million or whatever. Yeah. Um, but I was speaking in the same arena he was speaking in. He was speaking right after me. Yeah. You know, and I, I kept trying to rub shoulders. I'm giving him the cold shoulder. Yeah, yeah. I don't want no pictures, no nothing. Right. Because what I realized that he would get more value if I took a picture with him than he would get from me. Right. Because now he's connected to top thought leader in the culture. He seems down. You understand yeah. me? He seems connected. Yeah. History will look at that picture and say we had a relationship. Yeah. You understand me? How could he be other than, you know, in the way we're trying to depict his morality if he was connected to 19 Keys at that time? Yep. So why wouldn't I utilize that as leverage? Mm -hmm. Why would I just allow somebody to absorb my value, yeah. connect to my culture, but we don't think about time? Mm -hmm. We don't think about our true power at yeah. all. Energy vampires. Cause, yeah, energy vampires. Yeah. And we utilize our dead leaders as our coal and our energy. You understand me? Yeah. So we're not operating in the present system controlling yeah. our weather, controlling our culture, controlling yeah. our time, controlling our language, our mind, our music. Yeah. So for me, it's about taking, 
you know, melanated people from a type zero civilization to a type one civilization. Yeah. And then, you know, type two and three, those civilizations, you're talking about controlling planets. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, all kind of stuff. We don't even need to go there yet. We're far off. But it's an interesting model and it's an interesting idea when you're talking about measuring progress of a people mm -hmm. that have been trapped under another people's thumb. Yeah. You understand me? And working to increase the aggregate efficiency of our output. Yeah. What we put out based on the energy that we get back. Yeah. And how do we increase that as a people, right. you know, for a revolution? Yeah. Right? But I want to talk to you about something else because I heard you talking about AI. Mm -hmm. Now, I look at, uh, we know we are in a time of declining population. Yeah. Right? Uh, specifically in America, anyway. Mm -hmm. You understand me? When Elon Musk said that, you know, we need population growth, and Bill Gates say <laughs> we need population decline. Yeah. But what I realized, they were talking about two different places. Elon Musk was talking about America. Bill Gates was talking about Africa. Yep. So Bill Gates was saying that they're going to have another 2 billion people by 2050. <laughs> uh, we need population decline over there. Yeah. Elon Musk said, well, listen, we already have fewer uh, births than we do deaths. Mm -hmm. You understand me? <laughs> so therefore, we're on a decline. Yeah. We need more birth. Right? So he's trying to get out of here. <laughs> yeah, he's trying to go. He's trying to get out. He said, I'm out, man. The party too crowded. You feel me? He grew up in South Africa, so he know what it's like where it's 7% yeah. of them over there. You know. So it, it, it's interesting because I look at those who are in power, of course, power wants to maintain power. Yeah. Right? So it only makes sense that the people that are in power wants to continue to see power, and they don't want to concede power to anybody else. So yeah. when you're talking about playing God, that's what they want to do. If you can't have the population size, mm -hmm. we have to figure out another way to maintain control. Yep. And AI, to me, is one of those ways to be able to maintain control. Mm -hmm. You won't have the brain trust anywhere because people outside are no longer just coming in and saying, well, we'll give our brain to America, spark invention and innovation. Yeah. There's decreasing innovation and invention in this country. Yeah. So not only you got AI in the form of artificial intelligence, yeah. and I'm 19 key, so I break things down into 1-9, yeah. but A is numerical uh, 1 and I is numerical 9, and that 19 is representation of Male, female, mass, uh, uh, conscious, subconscious, mm -hmm. you understand me? Uh, um, God itself, because yeah. everything is between that one through nine. Gotcha. Collapsed back into a one. When we talk about artificial intelligence, it's more so not even just AI of artificial intelligence, artificial insemination, artificial ingredients as well, yeah. right? And these are all the ways that I see that those are in power are working to maintain power, utilizing oh, yeah. AI. Can you speak upon the future yeah. of AI and where we headed. Yeah, definitely. <clears throat> the AI is uh, it's dangerous. Mm. If you look into the ancient Sumerian tablets, you'll discover in the epic of Gilgamesh, Gilgamesh, who was considered to be half human, half God. They call him a demigod. His father was uh, Enki, and he had a human mother, according to the tablets. Yeah. Uh, now, they want to send Enlil, who was, who was his uncle, sent him on a journey, a hero's journey, this is the original story of Noah's Ark, by the mm -hmm. way. This is where the Bible got it from. So Sumerian, for those who don't know, the, yeah. the Anunnaki, uh, first civilization? First civilization, uh, uh, the cradle of civilization, they call it the cradle of civilization coming out of Mesopotamia. What did they invent? Uh, roads, city, uh, grid, city grid streets, uh, bicameral congress, uh, plumbing systems. Mm. I mean, you name it, everything you could think of, schooling and... Uh, chemistry and mathematics and they even had a metric system uh. back then We're talking about you know thousands hundreds of thousands of years ago yeah. they had a metric system and so they literally the whole modern society we have today
came out of Sumer. There's a tablet that where Enlil is speaking, and he's showing his sister this crystal tablet, by the way, is what it's called. And he's showing her his plans for all time on this planet. He for said, these plans time. I have here, these plans are going to last for all time. And that's where we still, we're still in it today. We've still got the same poly trickster program he put in back then. They had their own numerical kingship, the way they ran their, their selves. But they gave humans the, uh, the political system. That's a very And they also installed idea. inflation at that same exact time. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. And that's a very, 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 very interesting idea. Yeah. Uh, that, so in that system, right, I know that children who are born, and the same time you're born in any time, you succumb to a dominant paradigm. The dominant frequency wins, yeah. right? And so, do you believe that based on, you know, the Anunnaki or Enlil having this crystal tablet, you understand me, where he wrote down his time, his plans for time dominance, yeah. you understand me, so that he can conquer ages of time, do you think that it's possible to go against that plan, you understand me, and create our own will for the planet? Yeah, it can. The program that he put in was so good, you know, we're born, we're given a name, a race, and a religion, and we're basically, we, we grew up defending that whole identity. It's a fake identity. It's not really us. We've kind of forgotten and relinquished who we really are and given it up to this system, this, in, in this, um, this institutionalized system that we put in place thousands of years ago. But if we really come together, that's the biggest part we got to do. We got to come together and stop all, stop all this divide and conquer. Uh, you know, you're this religion, I'm this thing, or you're this light skin, and I'm this dark skin. All this stuff, we got to, you know, black people, black men want to fight black men all the time. We want to attack each other socially now on social media because you're doing too good and I'm not doing as good as you. We got to drop all of that. We got to stop all of that. We got to synchronize. We got to realize that we're better together than apart. Not tearing each other down, fighting each other, slapping each other, all this kind of crazy stuff. Yeah. We got to come together and we got to realize, man, how can I bring a piece of the puzzle? How can you bring a piece of the puzzle? You know what I'm saying? Just sitting here talking to you, you got pieces of the puzzle that I don't have, and I got pieces of the puzzle that you don't have. We can start building a whole doggone puzzle. We can put a puzzle together. Mm -hmm. And you add more people, next thing you know, that picture, that painting is amazing. Yeah. We, can, we can make a mosaic. Yeah. And so um, until we get to that point, though, we're always going to be bickering and fighting and arguing over resources and pocket watching and hating and worrying about this, worrying about that, because that's the program they instilled into us. We got to now override this DNA and this RNA programming code. We got to say, you know what? We got to we got to talk to ourselves. You know what? I'm being a hater right now. I'm being a troll right now. I'm 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 pocket watching right now. I'm being jealous right now. Why am I doing that? And analyze inside of ourselves. Why am I doing this? Why do I feel like this? And work on our internal self and learn how to not be that way. Learn how to. Give somebody the benefit of that. Learn how to try to work with somebody. Learn how to ask better questions so you can understand better instead of getting angry. And, uh, you know, learn how to control your emotional state. And when we can do that and we can link up and we can make big power moves together, that's when the world's going to change. Mm. Mm. That's very powerful. You understand me? And, of course, it's something that, you know, we've known but not been able to do. Yeah. So we talk about DNA, right? Because um, really in order to... Uh, give a breakdown on, you know, the Anunnaki and the Sumerians. We need to dedicate an entire oh yes, whole right breakdown for that story, and, and we can you know say that for another day and time. But I want to go and talk about DNA and the ability to upgrade our DNA. Yeah. You know, one of the ways that I upgrade my DNA is through travel. 
you understand me, and through meditation and eating and environment, things of that nature. But can you talk about DNA and our ability to upgrade our DNA and some of the methods that we can utilize practically? First of all, people have to understand that DNA is a storage medium. It actually stores data and information. So when we say things like your program code and you're operating off your code, it's actually a true scientific statement. One gram of DNA can hold 433 petabytes of data. There was one scientist, George Church, replicated his ebook 80 billion times and downloaded it onto one gram of DNA, which mm. is one drop on the tip of your finger. 80 billion times. 80 billion. What he did was he realized that DNA stored information. He was like, wow, our body is full of data. The whole human body is full of data. Billions and billions and billions of petabytes of data. And what he said was, he realized you can take a data from a server, a computer, I mean, and convert it from zeros and ones into A's, C's, T's, and G's, which is what your DNA reads. And then you can actually download the data into the DNA and store data in a volume instead of storing it linearly, linear, linear, like time, one arrow. But when you can store it in a volume, you can store much more information. So then he replicated it 80 billion times, and then he transferred from DNA, from A, C's, T's, and G's, back into zeros and ones and uploaded it back into a computer. So he recognized that DNA is also a server. He's like, man, this is incredible. Mm -hmm. So we have this ability in us to move data and information. Now, because of uh, something called epigenetic memories, we know that 15 to 20 generations before us, that programming code was downloaded into our body. So you're born with this hard-coded information already in your body. Most of it is only, though, this is the sad part, it's only uh, trauma that came from previous generations. All the slave beatings and whoopings and the separation of loved ones and the buck fighting, all that stuff, it's in your body. Mm. That's why when black people start feeling like I'm depressed, I got PTSD, but they don't know why. I feel in, uh, you know, I feel I'm down or ill or angry or whatever. A lot of it is it's the epigenetics. So to overcome this, what scientists realize, you can actually start to re-encode that DNA by doing simple things. Simple. One thing is, write down 10 positive affirmations about yourself. And then speak those out loud three times a day, out loud, Mm. for 21 days. And your DNA begins to change and rewrite itself. You begin to start to believe those cymatic frequencies coming out of your mouth. That your body is actually listening to the information. Like you said before, the body is mostly water. The water has memory. Mm -hmm. The water in your body speaks conscious energy. So when you are releasing that conscious energy into the atmosphere, your body is then absorbing it back into the water, and then that light force energy is rewriting your DNA. And so we can actually rewrite our DNA. We can change the way we think and see and feel about ourselves just by speaking out loud, like you said, meditation, and I love travel. That's all I do is travel nonstop. You already know that. That's going to enlighten and open up, broaden all your horizons. It's going to make you see things from other perspectives and understand it's going to raise your consciousness traveling I tell people all the time, leave your zip code. You got to. No, that's a fact because you got to think about the making of a slave. If I want to make somebody a slave, I don't want them to see the world. Right. You understand me? I need them to only see from my perspective. Yeah. You understand me? Because therefore, they're going to have my same biases engineered within them. Mm -hmm. And I can control the radius of where they go. Yeah. You may think that, oh, if you walk over here, you might die. Somebody's going to attack you. (laughs) But if you actually travel, there's no way a person can make up that lie that causes you to haunt yourself within fear, yeah. right? And most people, God is fear. Mm-hmm. You understand me? Everything that they fear creates the radius, the circumference, the diameter of their thinking, their movement, yep. right? Their entire being. And so breaking away from 
you know, those connections of fear allows you to be restored into who you really are, to yeah. walk around as a child. A child doesn't know fear. Yeah. A child is programmed into fear. A child is programmed into civilization. Yeah. You understand me? Coming under jurisdiction and code to operate in a manner of behavior that allows them to, you know, be so-called uh, free within a world of this social contract that yeah. we have. But the reality of it is, is that for us to be able to develop and to grow into who we are and to be able to transition out of these thought forms that control this world, you understand me, um, and, and to break these cabals of power, yeah. it has to start with this realization that becomes a field. Or you talked about unity. You know, Elijah Muhammad say our unity is more powerful than an atomic bomb. But then when you think about what is an atomic bomb, you understand me, the breaking of those atoms, yeah. you understand me? And, you know, when we build, you know, the guys always talk about, you know, we're we cracking atoms, yeah. you understand yeah, me? Yeah, yeah. We create new worlds. Mm -hmm. But it, what we think about all of that energy coming together because, you know, human being energies are jewels, yeah. you understand me? And if we were able to bring that electricity together, it literally would be an atomic bomb. Oh, yeah. And that sort of energy has the ability to create atomic shift on this planet. Yeah. You understand me? That can create new paradigm shifts mm -hmm. on this planet Earth. Yeah. So anytime anything is observed uh, through the collective, a shift happens at that moment. Yeah. There's no collective observations or world events that don't change the world. Yeah. Because once the whole entire world gains a collective perspective on something, it creates a new dimension, a new angle, a new inventions, innovations, realities. Everything starts to happen from that moment. Mm -hmm. And we've been through many of them in our lifetime already. It's just in the last 10 years. Yeah. <laughs> we, we, we'd have been through recessions, paradigm shifts, different new presidents. We'd have been through 9-11. We'd have been through so many different things. Yeah. Today, during the timing of this filming, there's a terrorist attack that happened. And April happens to be one of the most observant uh, months of white terrorist attacks, mm. right? From Timothy McVeigh, from the Oklahoma bombings to yeah. the uh, 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 Columbine, oh, Columbine, right? right. Wow. And it's a few other ones. April is one of those, you know, it's the fourth month. It's a lot of things that happen on the fours. Yeah. And once we understand that we, we living in this world of a four-corner contract, you understand me, yeah. that... You know, paperwork rules this world and it lifts us off of being attached to the land itself. Yeah. That when we walk around, we don't look down at our feet and say we own the land. We have right. dominion over the land. Yeah. We think that we are always on someone else's land. We yeah. are always under someone else's control. Mm -hmm. And that mental observation depletes the soul of being able to have a real connection with the earth itself. Yeah, it does. When you look around, you, there's somebody who has sky rights and land rights. Yeah. Not ownership, but rights. Rights. Right. And once we realize we live in, we living in someone else's plans, as you say, mm -hmm. whether you believe it's the Anunnaki, whether you believe it's the one percent, whether you believe it's these families of control, you have to know that we're living in somebody else's time system, yeah. and it works very well. Oh, very well. Very Jeez. well. They very mastered this sucker. Way too well, Man. matter of fact. You know, and we are controlled by invisible forces. Yeah. And if you don't think you do, you stop at a stop sign. You, you stop when there's a street light, you understand me, and you don't cross that line because something may happen to you. In a visible force, no police around, no people, yeah, yeah. but you still listen. Yeah. You understand me? That is, I mean, you're talking about some people, it may not be cars for miles, yeah. and they will still follow that system, yeah. right? 
I want you to touch on the ideas of systems. You know, because institutions is what I focus on, like the reality of we building institutions are only things that can dominate existing systems. Right. But what is the energy form of a system to where it actually has real power and control over human forms? Yeah. Well, the, the way that they built all these institutionalized systems that we have that are controlling mankind, they're all predicated on fear. You'll find that fear is the biggest thing. For example, you go to school, if you don't get good grades, you're going to get in trouble. You know, you won't pass the next grade. If you act up in school, you might get, you don't know, stay in line or whatever. You might get spanked with the ruler or the paddle or whatever. You know, obviously on the street is follow these exact rules or you're going to go to prison. You know, so they have all these systems in place. And these systems that they put in place, when they when they have these little fear factors built into them, even religion has a lot of fear factors put into it. Absolutely. People fall in line because why? Fear, the body pays attention to fear first. The mind is always, okay, there's fear. I got to stop this fear. I got to do whatever it takes to not allow this, whatever this fear is, to happen. I don't want it to happen to me. So the body goes into fight or flight mode, and then it just, it's, it does that. These people who rule, the ruling elite, they know that we got them with the fear. Now we can manipulate them to do whatever we want. So they always do the same thing. They create the problem. Okay, they wait for the reaction, and they, then they provide the solution mm -hmm. to that problem. So they're actually manipulating all sides of it based on fear. Mm. The fear is a key thing in all these institutions that has us locked in because people, when that fear hits them, they don't recognize that fear is not real. False evidence appearing real is what mm -hmm. fear is, right? The acronym. And, but for them, it's as real as it can be. But in true reality, fear is a choice. Yeah, fear comes from ignorance. Yeah. You know, once you know something, there's nothing to fear because you have all the data. You you know exactly how to move, what not to do, exactly yeah. what it is, what's not. You know, and once you come to that realization, it gives you so much power over all. Yeah. Right. And so becoming fearless, mm -hmm. you understand me, is key. Yeah. Our bodies are automatically store systems to tell us fight or flight. Yeah. That in moments and situation is giving us a signal that you are in danger. Yeah. So this danger needs to teach you to make a decision. Exactly. Either this tiger that's coming right now, <laughs> you understand me? You're going to stand very still and hope that it doesn't attack you, or are you going to run, mm -hmm. right? Or are you going to fight? Yeah. You understand me? Because they're fright, flight, then fight. Mm -hmm. You understand me? And I think that that's one, and the fight is the decision that you have. Yeah. That even if this tiger is so close, there's, I can't run. I can't stand still now, not yeah. here. I have to figure out a way where I would rather go down fighting. Yeah. And I think that that's the part of human decision making that is never deposited as an idea of this is an option. Yeah. That you can always choose to fight in yeah. every moment, in every situation, right. even if the certainty is death. Yeah. You understand me? Because at least you would die being alive. Exactly. You understand me? Exactly. But to freeze and or just to run, because there's yeah. times where, you know, flight is the most, you know, intelligent option right. that you have. Mm -hmm. Right? But fighting. Yeah. There's something so powerful and majestic about that because that's the human spirit 
colliding with whatever force that is in front of it. Yeah. When you see two boxers fight, those are spirits going at it. Right. And whoever has the most will will win. Mm -hmm. You understand me? Not even sometimes we have the most skill or better technique. Yeah. Sometimes it's all about who got that greatest spirit. Yeah. Because the fight is often won before you get into the ring. That's right. <laughs> There's one spirit that's already decided whether it's deep into their consciousness, mm -hmm. subconscious, where they don't even know it yet. Yeah. They've already decided that they're the loser. Yeah. You understand me? And sometimes you can try to overcome it with confidence, mm -hmm. right? What you know about yourself and yeah. my training, my skill, your overcome it with your ego. You understand yeah. me? Well, I can do this even if I can't do this. <laughs> you understand me? Yeah. But then yeah. there's mathematics. Mm -hmm. the mathematics of this person's skill, level, confidence, will, all of this is higher than your frequency. Yeah. And when these collide, this one is going to win. Yeah. And that's why I like the idea of mathematics, because mathematics really sets us upon understanding reality mm -hmm. in a very practical and logical capacity. Yeah. There's spiritual intuition and spiritual intelligence, yes, yeah. 100%. And I think that wholly on this planet Earth, men and women are disconnected between the feminine energy that exists. Mm -hmm. Men are completely disconnected nowadays from the masculine energy, but the yeah. feminine energy, because we talk about a woman's movement, but there's not a lot of feminine energy involved in the movements. Mm -hmm. And the feminine energy, you know, Mother Tanetta talked about it. She talked about the nine planets, right? Mm. And the feminine. Okay. And in the connection with, you know, the astronomy and the feminine energy. Mm. And why that nine, you know, circulates that one. Mm. Well, I told you we'll get to the one nine. Oh, yeah. We're going to always find the one oh, nine. Find <laughs> oh, yeah. But we talk about them, them, that nine circulating that one, that consciousness circulating subconsciousness and and uh, 1995, the Honorable Minister Louis Farrakhan opened up the Million Man March speech with the secrets of the number 19. And he talked about the idea that when that one is next to the nine, it represents something to be uncovered. Uh, you understand me? Gotcha. Um, and then he went on to break down that these monuments that was there representing the 16 and the third president is 19. Mm. And he said that this monument up here is 555 feet high. You put a one next to that, represents 1555 when black people came over here. Yeah. And he said that on these shores and these steps, you understand me, were a trade of black bodies mm. representing some of the Masonic secrets. Yeah. You understand me? And he was giving that breakdown in front of, of course, almost two million black men, wow. future president, future yeah. billionaires of the planet Earth, everybody. Yeah. That was a world-shifting event, but when I listened to that, I thought about the fact that, you know, the body itself, our bodies, you know, our, you know atoms, I call uh, Allah the original man, A-T-O-M, you understand right. me? I say A-G-T-C, Allah God the creator, Yeah. you understand me? But at the end of the day, our bodies, our, our carbon bodies, our melanin bodies, we are electric, you know, frequencies, you understand me? We are the most powerful electric conduits you understand me just based on our physicality yeah. and i think what happens with society number one jealousy mm -hmm. but two is the lack of appreciation of our parts we're supposed to play on this planet right you understand me that yeah we gonna always be dark melanated yeah. beautiful shiny sheen beings mm -hmm. you understand me yeah. but when you allow things like the hermetic prophecies that talked about you know, uh, 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 um, you know, when human beings developed so-called and developed intelligence, those were white human beings, and that being spread across the ecosystem of the planet Earth, yeah. 
creating a white supremacy and then validated people like, well, man, we was charting star systems and yeah. speaking in geometry and using mathematical language, you understand yeah. me, before we ever seen a light-skinned person on this planet Earth. Yeah, yeah. But you can't, if you want to do anything for race relations, you cannot forget about the story of time. Can't. And I ain't gonna ever call it history. History is just a lie. Yeah. The story of time is about what happened on this planet. The exactly. true history. The true history. And if you ever, if if if, if a white person, or black person, brown, yellow, orange, all these frequencies of colors that represent subscriptions to different cultures, ideologies, values, norms, rituals, yeah. ever want to have a place where there's commonality and trust and alignment. You have to accept the truth of reality, yeah. not the stories that was told by the winners and conquerors that fit the propaganda of the controllers and rulers, but the true story on this planet Earth. Yeah. That's the only way we get to a true compromise yeah. between the people on this planet Earth that have a treaty of understanding. Mm -hmm. You understand I always me? I tell people to pass this prologue. Until you, people say, why do you always study the past? Why are you into this ancient texts and ancient books and all because when you, until you understand what happened back then, you won't be able to build a future. The future is going to be built based on what you know about your true past yeah. and your true history. If you can't figure out at least as close as possible to what was happening back then, the future is still going to be a gray area. Aliens. Yeah. <laughs> Let's talk about aliens. Yeah. I can't have Mr. Billy Carson on here without talking about aliens. <laughs> My theory is aliens are black men. Yeah. That's my theory. Now, uh, and of course, this comes from many different sources, but I remember I was reading something, or watching it, rather, I can't tell you the difference, mm -hmm. where they were talking about, you know, spacesuits, human spacesuits, and how human beings will have to change if they were traveling in space, yeah. right? Number one, there's more radiation, so you're going to have to have darker melanin skin. With that lack of gravity, you will have a smaller, less dense body, so you're right. going to be a skinny dark skin, big head, black man or woman. <laughs> yeah. You understand me? So, yeah. you know, these are spacesuits. Right. I mean, oh, we, 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 we deal with radiation. That's yeah. what the melanin does. Yeah. You it feel me? Radiation in the heat. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. What do you, what, what is, uh, do you believe in aliens? I believe in aliens. Uh, are you an alien? Well, you know, we're all aliens. You know what I'm saying? I'm so, an alien. I might answer like that. <laughs> <laughs> Some people say, this brother be thinking, man, he might be an alien. <laughs> A lot of people say that, but I think that we are the aliens. You know, um, when you talk to the aboriginals, I went to Australia. I went on a walkabout, yeah. eight miles out into the, into the doggone nowhere, nothingness. I mean, just yeah. out there, man, with the fires. Yeah. Okay. This is right before the lockdown came. And um, I'm out there looking for these ancient Egyptian hieroglyphs mm. in uh, Karyong 9 in Australia, which mm. we found them. Mm. We sent those glyphs to the Board of Antiquities of, uh, of Egypt, and they authenticated them as being authentic proto-Egyptian hieroglyphs. And so my conversation with the elders was, you know, what is your homegrown, handed-down verbal history? Because they have a verbal history. And the Aboriginal elders said that they were seated on this planet. They said that the Pleiadians brought them to Earth, and they were the first people on Earth. Those are black Aboriginals. Who are the Pleiadians? The Pleiadians, if you look up in the sky at night, there's this area of the sky where they call them the Seven Sisters. Homer's Iliad talks about them. They're talked about in the Bible, talked about in Sumerian tablets. Uh, the Greeks, the Romans, they all look up to the Pleiades. 
Uh, it's actually, they, we call them the seven sisters because only seven bright, bright stars you can see with the naked eye, but there's many more stars there. But in that region of the sky, according to so many ancient texts and so many ancient civilizations, there was advanced civilizations there. Mm. Uh, before this area had any inhabitants, that was the region or sector of, of the galaxy that had a lot of life. But a big war broke out. And in this war, there was uh, something being used called the Brahmahanda weapon. Okay? The Brahmahanda weapon, which, which actually could destroy planets. And this weapon would, would blow up planets. And imagine if you're in a star, in a star system and there's planets blowing up, debris, planet-sized debris is crashing into your planet. So this created a space refugee situation, kind of, you know. Space refugees. Yeah, space refugees. And they started fleeing and going out to different stars. Orion, Aldebaran, Zeta Reticulus, you know, all these different star systems. Sirius, uh, Draco. This is why they had the Draco? Oh, yeah, the Draco star system is up there. That's what the, the Great Pyramid in Giza and Cairo is aligned with those, with, with Draco, uh, Aldebaran, Orion, and Sirius. Mm. And so... Uh, we were like, man, what's going on here? So you, the, the more you dig into this text, it's like, man, these people fled from war, reestablished themselves on other planets, and they eventually found this solar system and came down here and created another breakaway civilization. These were the Atlantean people. Now, when you analyze the text, it gives descriptions of these peoples from time to time. And if you look at, for example, the Sphinx in Egypt, you look at the features on the Sphinx, you can see this, it's a face of a black person, mm -hmm. right? And what's interesting is some of these Anunnaki, they were more uh, albino, not all of them. Some had albino-type skin. They weren't Caucasian white, but they had albino skin, but they had the African features. Some of them had blue eyes, but they had the knotted hair. Like Prometheus. Right, kind of like that. But Prometheus is still kind of really more almost like milk white. If you look at a black mulatto, yeah, yeah, a black yeah. or, or a black person that has that, you know, More that skin brownish condition. Glow. Yeah. yeah. And um but they had the knotted hair, knotted blonde hair, and blue eyes, a lot of them. Like the Aborigines. Yeah, like the Aboriginal. And also the people of Melanesia. Mm. Right here, you know, in Asia. And so I did a whole story on those, a whole TV show on those before. So I really dug deep into it. I was like, wow, these people are really potentially not from this planet. And so the more you analyze it and realize, wow, then other people from other star systems brought humans here. This is like, this were earth is like, like... parents abandoning their kids? No, no, what it was is like, <laughs> they were trying to find a place to keep their, their you know, their, their, their civilization going. Not, not sorry, the species going, mm -hmm. okay? And so that's why you have people that look Asian and people that look Caucasian and people that look black and people that look... There's a mixture of people, according to what I've read, that appear to be dropped off here. This is like an abandoned seed colony, this planet. Interesting. You know, and then after that, much later, these other people showed up. These other Anunnaki people showed up. Took advantage of a situation where people were in a lower state of consciousness. They were uh, not technologically advanced. We were more advanced spiritually. So when they were dropped off, are you saying that the races were dropped off? Or were they all dark-skinned, melanated people? The first people on this planet were all black. And then you find something interesting in the Emerald Tablets. After Thoth comes to the land of Kem to help rebuild civilization because the great the flood had destroyed Kem. After he does it, he tells his people that he brought with him. He brought people with him from other planets. And they went around the planet. He said, go around the planet and duplicate what we did here. Now, this is my personal belief. This is not in any text. I always tell you the difference between what I believe and what, I, what I've read. Mm -hmm. Now, these people, for example, if I'm now going to be the king or the ruler of 
Asia and I have, I look, I'm a being from a place that looks Asian, I'm going to brand those people. I think they genetically branded people to look, in other words, these are my people. Look at them, they look just like me. And the reason why I say this is because if you go and, talk and look in the genetic books, the geneticists actually discovered that the difference between a black person, a white person, an Asian person, uh, a Native American person, 2% variance in genes. But that 2% variance that makes a different race altogether could happen in 200,000 years. That's the only amount of time we've been here. So they're saying it would have taken millions, multi-millions of years for that to happen, naturally. Now, from my studies, there's no records of Caucasians past 6,000 years. See, Caucasians are the newest race on the planet. They're the newest race. If you look at the Sumerian tablets, the Caucasians came from out of the Caucasus Mountains. It says something to the effect of when they were in the Caucasus, they then, uh, he said, the, the, the exact terminology was that they, um, uh, there's a certain term that they use for that. Uh, not manufactured the Caucasian, but they said that they had, uh, uh, the word will come back to me. It's, a ter it's like they made them in a way. It, mm -hmm. It's something, it, it's, uh, it's a terminology that they use, it'll come back to me, that how they made the Caucasian. But that, they're the newest being on the planet, yeah. according to these texts. The, the other races were already here. We had blue people, green people. You had, uh, you know, black. You had uh, yellow. Yeah. This would be a great movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Now, there's a belief that, based on studying the Anunnaki, that they are coming back. Mm -hmm. You understand me? Yeah. So you tell us a little bit about that. Well, in all the texts, they always say that they're going to return. The reason why they left was there was a pyramid war. It was a second pyramid war. Amun-Ra, also known as Marduk. You can look up Marduk's name in the, in the Torah. He's in the Bible. He's in the Sumerian tablets. These guys are everywhere. He's Amun Ra. Um, he started a war because he wanted to uh, extend his kingship. He wanted to take over kingship in other areas that he wasn't supposed to on the planet, and so forth, and so on. And so that war was nuclear. They used weapons, and the reason why you know it's nuclear because the description of the way that the people were dying it was that they said the black people. This specifically says that their nails were falling out, their hair was falling out. Blood was coming out of their eyes. This is radiation sickness, obviously. Mm -hmm. And so we know that it was a nuclear war. When you go into those regions, the, the Mohenjo-Daro in the Indus Valley, the buildings there turned to glass. They're still sitting there. The bodies are, still laying, the bodies are laying in the street holding hands. Nobody's, no animals have scavenged on those bodies. They're still laying there. Uh, you go to Africa, to, to Cairo, and you go to uh, Giza. If you put your hand in the sand and pull up, every now and then you pull up balls of glass. That's what they used to carve the scarab beetles out of because they're making an ode to the gods for the war that happened. So uh, to turn sand into glass, you have to have 3,000 degree temperature blast. Right? So we know that there was a war that happened uh, that created this situation. You know? So it's just really amazing, man. The technology we have now is just a copycat of what they already had back then. And that war is what really caused them to want to flee. In one of the tech tablets, uh, Enki goes to Anu and says, can you please stop the evil wind? That's what they call it. That's nuclear fallout. He's like, there's nothing I can do. Forbode and get in your ship. And so he told him, like, turn around, man. Get in that ship. You gotta, we got to get out of here because this mm -hmm. thing is coming. And they said that that evil wind covered the land and killed all the animals, the people, and everything else. Um, and a lot of these people never came back. But they said that, you know, that they'll be coming back. And there's two ways to look at it. One way is some of the offspring are still here on this planet. Uh... You know, probably most likely maybe that ruling elite class. 
And then it's said that there will be some type of a future situation where they will return and take back claim of the rightful kingship of this planet. So, and in the Emerald Tablets, it says the same thing, which is interesting because it's even older than those tablets. It's, old, it's like 36,000 years old. And it says that far in the future, an enemy will come from deep space. So it's pretty interesting. No, it's definitely interesting. Now, what are the different type of aliens? You know, because you got the grays, you got yeah, the yeah. blacks. I want to know what's the different type of aliens. There's all kinds. You well, know, you have black people. I think most of the UFOs that are flying overhead are being piloted by black people. That's now, my personal opinion. Now, that's very interesting because Honorable Elijah Muhammad said mm. decades ago that there was a mothership up there. Mm. You understand me? And he gave a, a full description of the mechanics of the mothership, how it was piloted. Yeah. You understand me? How the people lived. Wow. Um, and he said, I believe it was made in uh, Japan. You understand mm. me? During that time. And, you know, he was the first to introduce the concept of like, aliens and telling the government, you understand me, that yeah. the mothership was going to destroy them wow. with these different type of bombs that they had and he gave a breakdown on how many baby planes that were there wow. and that there were black men and women up there mm. like it's, it's a very detailed account mm. and then after that the 1930s is when they started to create those programs towards uh, uh, um, observing UFOs and then started to create counter stories mm -hmm. of why yeah. they were UFOs yeah, yeah, right yeah, yeah. but Donald Elijah Muhammad maintained his knowledge of UFOs and the account of their existence, and so does the Honorable Minister Louis Farrakhan today. And we're listening to Willie Carson. Woman? I swear, 342, even if it's just law enforcement. So we're listening to um, YouTube, his YouTube channel. Let's see here. Sean Ryan Show. Didn't want nothing to do with life no more. Meet Lucero, a person whose vibrant spirit was thinned by dental challenges. Sometimes it can be a very fun conversation to go down the rabbit hole on topics that nobody really knows what the 100% truth is. Topics such as ancient civilizations, UFOs, extraterrestrials, all that kind of stuff. Nobody really knows. So we brought on our next guest, Billy Carson. A lot of you know who that is to have a speculative conversation about these subjects and what Billy's opinion is on how some of these ancient civilizations were formed, some of the technologies they may have had. It's a fascinating conversation, but it is speculative. Keep that in mind. If you like the show, Head over to Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Please leave us a review. Tell us how we're doing. Tell us who you'd like to see on the show. If you're watching this on YouTube, please like, comment, and subscribe. Patreon, if it wasn't for you, this show wouldn't even be possible. Thank you. You're our top supporters. We love you. 
do love you all too, though. So, everybody, enjoy the show, and I'll see you soon. Billy Carson, welcome to the show, man. Great. It's great being here. From the first time I met you and you said you'd like to have me here, I'm glad it happened. Me too, man. I've, I've been wanting to get you here way before we met, and I actually got to tell you in person I wanted you here. I wanted. Yeah. I started watching you. Actually, I think I first found you on one of Dr. Greer's documentaries. Uh, okay. And I really liked what you were saying on there, so then I found you on social, started following you and listening wow. to what you were saying, watched a bunch of your podcasts. And yeah. Your knowledge on the pyramids, just all of, I guess what you call it, ancient history, mm-hmm. is just incredible. Thank it's you. fascinating. Thank you. So yeah, appreciate it. So let me give you a quick intro here, real quick. <laughs> Billy Carson, you're the president of Forbidden Knowledge Inc. Childhood interest. You started researching aerospace at age seven. You hold a certificate study of science and neuroscience at MIT ancient civilization at Harvard. You've researched the Emerald Tablets, the Key of Time, remote viewing, ancient Egypt, all kinds of stuff. And uh, you are definitely a resident expert on all these topics. So something that I've been digging into and, you know, it all kind of stemmed. I think a lot of this stuff stemmed, we talked before, but a lot of this stuff stemmed after my first psychedelics uh, experience. And, and, um, it just took me down these rabbit holes and yeah. <laughs> I'm realizing we've been lied to about a lot of different things mm, and yes. uh, especially ancient Egypt. Absolutely. So <clears throat> I got a question from a patron of mine, Patreon. We got a subscription account. That's what enables me to do this. Yeah. And, uh, and you just sit here as well. And so I like to give them a question. Here it is. This is from Alex Tussaud. What does Billy make of the resurgence in interest, the resurgence in interest in what we are seeing now with the UFOs and UAPs? Oh, yeah. Huge question. Huge topic right now, obviously, with uh, the Pentagon coming forward, people testifying before Congress. Even right now, you see active military people be able to make a statement as to what's going on out there versus before. You know, just 10 years ago, it was only veterans that could make a statement. Mm -hmm. And so what you see right now is this resurgence of this new UFO, now UAP information. But I think it's an issue to control the narrative. It's their agenda. They want to control what's going on, what the people actually hear, what they see, what they understand about the UFOs and now UAPs. And one of the main reasons why, I think it all has to do with money. You see, I believe that there are UFOs visiting Earth from outside of this planet. That, the ancient tablets talk about this over eons. However, right now, all of a sudden, it's becoming common knowledge and openly stated as if just matter-of-factly by the U.S. government. Why is that? Well, we now have the Space Force. And why do we have the Space Force? Well, we have the Space Force because we have to find a way to make more money. All the wars have been fought. Who are we going to go invade? Who are we going to bring democracy to now? We've literally invaded almost every continent on the planet. We've done our thing. And now the next big uh, rush for super, super wealth is space. So you have to now control this UAP narrative. And you have to now say, hey, these things pose a potential threat 
to our national security, global security. We know that they've shown up at missile silos and they've shown up at these flights where they have the, the nuclear uh, you know, missiles and they've deactivated the nuclear codes. So what does that mean? Well, guys, listen, that they can deactivate them. Maybe they can activate them. Maybe they can even launch them. This is the seeds that they're planting in people's head without quite saying it. Just the manipulation of word and the manipulation of applied neuroscience. They know how to, they know how frequencies operate in the human consciousness. So now when they come to say, hey, we need to divert X amount of trillions of dollars to this space force to develop space weaponry and to defend this planet against a threat. Everyone's going to be all aboard. Hey, let's go. Let's do it. Before they were taking money and they were doing it illegally. They were transferring trillions of dollars illegally into black budget spending and then having no accountability and nobody knew where the money went. You know, Oliver North is testifying before Congress. Hey, I don't know where the money went. We're going to have to do some kind of a computing thing. Our computers aren't working properly. We couldn't work with your, your, your system, he told Cynthia McKinney one time. But now, all of a sudden, it's okay. Look, here's where the money went. We put it right over here because we're developing the stuff. Then you give the contracts to private corporations. Now, the people who sign off on these private corps to get these contracts, they're also on the board of directors or they have family members on the board of directors of these private corporations. So what's happening is they're taking it out of government to private. Why? Because now there's no FOIA, no Freedom of Information Act is going to be requested. You can't request Freedom of Information Act on a private corp. So now these private corp get trillion dollar contracts to build and develop space technologies that the rest of the world will never see, never know of. Won't, we won't even know they exist. We'll just know where the money went and that's the end of that. They'll take big payouts. A lot of these projects will never see the light of day. Most of them will be projects that are born to fail from the beginning. So they'll take a contract. We're going to develop this device or this aerospace tech. And then we'll need $5 billion to start. Two years later, well, we need another six to seven billion. It didn't quite work right. Another five, six more years later, send us another eight billion dollars. We almost got it now. And then another 10 years, maybe a few more billion. And oh, we're going to scratch this. It's not going to work. But everybody got the payouts along the way. People got big salaries, big, uh, you know, CEOs and C-suite executives took home big umbrella payments. And now let's move on to the next project that we're never going to put out. And so this is the kind of cycle. But doing it this way through controlling the UAP narrative allows them to siphon trillions of dollars into these private black budget projects that are com operating with complete no, uh, no congressional oversight. You know, I've not heard that before, but it makes perfect sense. And uh, I've, <clears throat> I've been wondering why <laughs> this is starting to see the light of day more and more of it. Yeah. The fact that, I mean, just to break it down simple, everything that you just said, basically what you're saying is the only reason this is happening is so that they can legalize the black budgets. That's it. Pretty much. That is it. If you've been in a car accident, don't call an attorney. Use this AI app instead. Do you think there's going to be any, I mean, it does sound like that they are at least at the congressional hearing, it sounds like they want more oversight over companies like Raytheon, Skunk Works, uh, Boeing, Northrop Grumman, these, these type of mm -hmm. the military industrial complex companies. Yeah. Do you think that they will achieve any type of oversight? I mean, I've, I've been, Tim Burchett is yeah. on top of it. Anna yeah. Paulina Luna seems to be on top of it. Yeah. Um, and it's the only, I went to that hearing mm -hmm. and it's the only hearing that I've, in recent times where you saw the right and the left come together and, yeah. and 
It was actually kind of nice. To see. Mm-hmm. It was very nice to see. Absolutely. Do you think that they'll have any success? I think we have to keep putting pressure. I think that success uh, won't be instantaneous, but I do think that with enough pressure, we can we can get to see a prog some progress and also some parameters being set as to what they can and can't get away with. And it's going to take some infiltration, some people working from the inside out. Uh, you know, in other words, you know, people from the inside of government and, and key positions of power, they say, you know, enough is enough. We're going to change this. People who aren't willing to take the payoffs, people who aren't scared of these private corporations threatening them or their families, because that's what happens from time to time, which keeps the whole ball rolling for these corps. So it's going to take some really brave people in positions of power to stop this and actually allow this open book situation to, to happen. Man, I just, that just, just that conversation right there. Just, I know this is going to be an awesome interview. So before we start, everybody gets a gift. Oh, wow. All right. Thank you, sir. Appreciate it. There you go. So when we met at Greer's event, we had talked about consciousness and we had talked a little bit about psilocybin and and the influx of, you know, psychedelic therapy and stuff. Mm -hmm. But that led me down functional looking into functional mushrooms and the benefits of functional mushrooms. So we, so I got you, this is from Laird superfood. That's performance mushrooms. Wow. Beautiful. And you know, it's just good for brain health, helps with cognition, helps with energy balance. Beautiful. And that's a superfood creamer that also has a bunch of functional mushrooms. I use this. Do you really? This is great. You love that stuff. I love this stuff. We take this up. We take this to Egypt with us because there's no cream in the desert. Yeah. So you can get coffee. So we put this in as cream and we, yeah, this is beautiful. Oh, that's a really great cassette. It's hilarious cassette. Yeah, there was another show that he gave him. He gave him this present, you know, gifts, give him a gift. And uh, he uh, he said the same thing. <laughs> so, uh, you know, I think it's just a funny way to um, to do an ad. Egypt in a couple of weeks. <laughs> That's awesome. Listen, right on. Listen, man, the universe knows what I love. We'll get you some more then. But, yeah, thank you. But yeah, and you know, the other thing that all of those in the performance mushrooms, all of those mm-hmm. ingredients are sourced here in the U.S. Yeah. So you don't hear that very often. No, you don't. Yes. But, um, no. Appreciate it, man. My pleasure. My pleasure. <laughs> but um, all right, so let's get into it. Yeah. Uh, one thing that I did want to ask you mm-hmm. is the more I dive into this subject, and I'm, I'm green with this stuff. Yeah. You know, I've been talking, you know, I've talked to Greer. I've had oh, yeah. him on the show two times mm-hmm. and um, had the whistleblowers on. Mm-hmm. The more I dive into this subject and I yeah. start looking at who's involved, I, I'm starting to see a lot of these, a lot of Freemasons. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What's, what's the deal with the Freemasons? I hear well, a lot of it's a stuff. Lot. There's a lot. There's a vast array of information there's only a, a few real Freemasons that exist. In other words, when I say a few, I'm talking about maybe a few hundred, maybe at the you know at the top level that really really know the ancient secrets, right? Okay. A lot of there's yeah. masonry uh, halls all around the United States. Mm-hmm. I just spoke at one in Detroit. I was doing a conscious lecture with the uh, 19 Keys. We had nothing to do with masonry, but that's what you know they rented the hall out to make money. But the people that generally typically go there, they have no real knowledge of the real ancient wisdom and knowledge that goes back into the ancient past. A lot of cities, even the city I grew up in, 
has these Freemason halls where it's just like a place to congregate, hang out, have a barbecue, pick up women, dance. There's no real true deep knowledge being translated at a lot of these places. Okay. There's only a very small, and I do mean small amount of people that really house and hold the true knowledge of the ancient past at the top level Freemasons. When did this start? Yeah, this goes all the way back to deep, deep antiquity. We're talking about 30,000 plus years ago. There were these brick masons in ancient Kemet called the Shatu. After the Great Flood, Amun-Ra, a.k.a. Marduk, he's known as Marduk in the Bible, M-A-R-D-U-K. Some people say Marduk, depending on how you want to pronounce his name. He's also in the Jewish Torah as well. Uh, in Kemet, he was known as Amun-Ra. This is why people say Amen, actually. It's to him. He actually made it a, a, a rule, a law. But he had these brick masons helping him rebuild the land of Kem. And these brick masons had the secret knowledge of space flight technologies, how to turn stone structures into advanced computer, uh, computer housing, data storage devices, as well as power generators and many other functions. A lot of the stone structures that were built were actually multifunctional stone computers. If you're going to a place with, where you only have limited resources that you can't take a factory and a whole bunch of workers with you, what do you do? You learn how to work with what's there. And they mastered stone masonry, but they also encoded and embedded a lot of the wisdom and knowledge from the ancient Egyptian mysteries and the Kemetic mysteries into the structures. Now, these Freemasons were called Shatu. As a matter of fact, the Shatu helped Amun-Ra escape. In the last, there was a pyramid war. There were two pyramid wars. The second pyramid war in the tablets talks about the fact that the Shatu helped, uh, helped uh, Amun-Ra escape through a hidden passage in one of the pyramids. And before he left, he decreed that he, he would leave the kingdom to his Ra-Kam. Ra-Kam, K-A-M, translates huh. now into shield. Kam translates into shield. Ra shield. Over time, it became Rothschilds. And so this decree came down tens of thousands of years ago. Who's the richest, richest family on the planet worth $700 trillion combined income net worth? The Rothschilds. It still is happening till this very, very day. And this masonry is part of the mysteries, the mystery schools. Only adept initiates, hand-picked people would get to learn this sacred knowledge. And then the Masons would actually encode it into structures and buildings, which is encoded all throughout the world, throughout Rome at the Vatican, uh, all throughout Europe, all throughout uh, uh, by areas like in Bosnia, believe it or not, where you have the Pyramid of the Sun there in the Bosnian Valley. How would they pick who gets the knowledge? They literally had a system in which they can identify people who they called adept initiates, people who seem to have some type of... Um, ability to perceive things at a higher level or retain knowledge at a higher level or display some type of talent you know or ability and those people were literally handpicked yeshua aka jesus was one of these students as well i picked if you myself look at the read the gospel of the holy 12 you'll find it you when he disappeared from the bible shit. where did he go he went to egypt i've taken many people to the actual bed that he slept in which is still there in egypt it's a shrine now and he was there learning the egyptian mysteries uh, and this is well-known, well-documented. I mean, that was an apocryphal text that was left out of the Bible. He left there and went to Tibet to learn uh, Reiki healing and Qigong and energy healing with his hands. And came down through India, learned the mystic arts. And then the Bible picks up at the age of 32, I call my son out of Egypt. That's what the Bible says. And he mm. ends up riding it on the back of a donkey back in Jerusalem. So that's the loop that's missing out of there, 12 to 32. That chunk is missing out of, in the Gospel of the Holy Twelve. Again, he also was, had the Mason knowledge. 
Now, the thing about knowledge is it can be used for good or it can be used for evil. You see, knowledge is just knowledge. If you know, if you have a gun and I have a car and you're trained on how to use a gun ap- appropriately, which you are, right? Mm-hmm. Well, you know how to use it, when to use it, you know, because your mind is clear, you're not going to use it on anybody just because you want. You're, you're actually trained to hit enemy targets or to save civilians, right? Don't don't shoot civilians. I have a car. I have no training. I'm, I'm using ignorant knowledge and I'm just angry. I can take my car and I can kill people just by driving my car right down the sidewalk. I can wipe out a ton of people. And you could be walking on that same sidewalk with a gun and you kill nobody. But you have the knowledge and I don't. So just a, a little bit of a metaphor there. Mm-hmm. It's nothing to do with the knowledge. It has to do with how it's applied. And so a lot of people have taken ancient wisdom and ancient knowledge when they discovered how powerful it was and how it could control masses of people and allow you to supersede them economically and, and, and everything else. Um, and they decided to use it for darkness, for negativity, for, for, for power-hungry uh, type struggles and so forth. And so we have a situation where, unfortunately, a lot of these um, secret societies, Skull and Crossbones and Illuminati and all these things that exist, they all stem from ancient mystery schools and then developed into these subordinate dark uh, entities that are now running the planet with both calls, both from the Emerald Tablets, he calls them the Dark Brothers. Okay. But all these people were Masons. Interesting. So they, they're not good guys? For the most part, not that good. Now, there are some that I actually personally know that are actually great people. Okay. Again, yin and yang, good and evil, exist throughout the entire universe. It permeates everything. Some people actually utilize it for the knowledge and the wisdom that it is and have kept it a secret and sacred knowledge. Some people that utilize it to find a way to put their boot on other people's necks, unfortunately. But that's just the, the universe we live in. There's this dichotomy of good and evil everywhere. Um, but the ultimate force behind the highest level of Mason knowledge has to do with reclaiming our birthright to space travel. You see, in the ancient tablets, there was a situation where this, the Atlantean civilization had spread around the entire planet. Atlantis were, was built by these Anunnaki people, according to the ancient tablets, not according to me. And these, these families had factions, and they were fighting each other. They went to war against each other many times. And in one case, this one faction or one side of the family came against another. And because they lost the battle, they were banished to be, to be, to be locked and, and you know, stuck pretty much on Earth never to achieve space travel again. And so they were the original founders of this knowledge of masonry to hide the knowledge of space travel and advanced knowledge and wisdom and physics and everything else into stone buildings and stone structures. Over time, we have slowly, slowly regained our right to get back into space, and we now have done it, obviously. In the last 100 years, we went from a horse buggy and carriage to putting remote control cars on Mars. We even have Voyager 1 and 2, which are about to hit into interstellar space. So what does that mean? We, we found it out. In Florida, there's only one runway at the Space Coast. It's runway number 33. Why 33? It's a Mason symbol. Why 33 Mason symbol? Well, in order to travel in space, in order to break Earth's gravity, to get past what they call max Q and transition into outer space, you have to travel 33 times the speed of sound or you will not get there. You see, anything less, you fall back. You'll stall out and you'll actually crash. 33 times the speed of sound is required to get into space. And the whole thing behind why the number 33, it's all about reclaiming the birthright to be able to become a space-bearing race again. Interesting, interesting. Let's move into... Actually, what are these ancient tablets? What caught your interest at the beginning? Why'd you start studying them? 
Well, I had an experience when I was younger as a kid, which is, you know, I'll, I'll cut the short story, but I had an experience in my backyard. I live near, near a, a private airport, and I used to watch the airplanes go over my house. And this one day, this object went across the horizon that cleared the horizon in seconds, not minutes. And I knew that it wasn't a plane. It didn't have a cockpit, you know, wings. It didn't have a tail fin, none of that stuff. And it was completely silent, and it was like a, a, a silverish glowing metal. Then it came back much lower, and then it stopped dead smack over about not 200 meters, I can estimate now as a grown man. And then it went out the way it came in. And I went from that point. That's why I got into aerospace you know, research. I started getting all the Encyclopedia Britannicas, because this is back in 1977, <laughs> on aerospace. Started studying from then, uh, trying to find what I saw. Long story short, that led me into a whole other realm, which then got me into ancient civilizations, which then I started seeing that these ancient civilizations were utilizing high technology. And I've been studying high tech. Well, how in the world did they have high tech back then? And my mother told me that in ancient times, there were people that were way more advanced than us on this planet. They had everything you could possibly think of. She said they had the ability to fly from planet to planet. They lived on top of mountains. And everything she told me in the 70s, I started finding in these ancient texts. So the texts are the Enuma Elish and the Seven Tablets of Creation, the Atrahasis Epic, the Code of Hammurabi, the Epic of Gilgamesh, which is the full and true story of Noah's Ark. Uh, Noah is actually Zazudra from the uh, from the Sumerian tales. Later, his name was converted into Noah. Um, and then you have the uh, so many tablets. I mean, there's just so many uh, incredible tablets that are out there. And also, some of these are like from the Mahabharata, the Bhagavad Gita, the Indian Vedas, um, which is a, a vast amount of wisdom and knowledge right there. The, the Mahabharata itself is a ten book set. It's all been translated already. Uh, and there's just so many other tablets that exist that you can get your hands on. And they're all translated. They've been translated since the 1800s. If people think that Zachariah Sitchin was the only person that could translate tablets and now he's dead and you know he made it all up. No, he used existing translations. And he even gives you his sources in the back of all his books. He didn't translate anything. You can go to the UCLA CDLI online cuneiform digital library. Say that fast four times. And you can drop virtual tablets into the translator and read it for yourself. No kidding. Yes. So everyone can read these tablets. You don't have to be a special expert like Billy Carson. Now everyone can read what's on these tablets and make up their own educated decision on what they believe happened in the ancient past. And what did happen, now with hundreds of authors writing about them, including myself, at some point in the ancient past, a race of people seemed to have landed on this planet and began to develop this planet as a breakaway civilization and at some point engaged mankind. See, they didn't create us. We were already here. They talk about the fact in the epic of, uh, in the uh, Enuma Elish and the Atrasis epic, they talk about, in two separate writings, by the way, that we, there was a being here and they wanted to get us to do the work for them. So they did something where they called adding their essence to us, which is some type of a genetic modification of sorts. Maybe our junk DNA is what they unplugged. But whatever it was, we ended up going to work for these people. And, and uh, they found the first gold mine in exactly where it says on the tablets at Adam's calendar in South Africa. And it's been dated now to 200,000 years old. Right when the tablets said the first gold mine happened and people started working uh, under the, you know the tutelage of these people, so it's pretty interesting stuff. And so these tablets, they pretty much encompass a lot of religious books, uh, Quran, the Bible, uh, a lot of Buddhist beliefs, um, 
you know, in pretty much almost every religion that exists, a lot of them, a lot of the roots come from these ancient tablets. Even the whole creation of our solar system is in the Enuma Elishan, the seven tablets of creation, which matches perfectly to astrophysics books at universities. Hmm. Think about that. We're talking about text that goes back tens of thousands of years. How can they be accurate down to science? Talking about orbits, gravitational pulls, uh, planets being captured by gravitational fields in the in the in the um, in the beginning stages of the creation of the solar system uh, because of the gravity being captured and t you know uh, thrown towards our sun and, and colliding with other planets creating debris. I mean, the whole thing is right there, and you can almost watch a National Geographic uh, Discovery uh, you know series on it, and you'll they'll tell you the same exact thing. Hmm. It's all based on real science. It's talking about orbits changing and shifting, how Neptune and, and Saturn shifted orbits, which is a, it's, they teach you that in natural physics in college. How did they know this? So all this knowledge is in these ancient tablets. And so I go to them because they're as close to the truth as we're possibly going to get. Like, if you want to get as close to the truth, you're not going to get to the truth, truth, because still somebody wrote them. But, man, there's so much information in there that matches up with real science, which is what I wrote in my book. It's like... It's crazy how accurate it is, and just why I go to the tablets first, because everything else to me is newer, and that's as ancient as you can get. I mean, the animal tablets are 36,000 years old, and that's like one of the oldest accounts of the great flood in history. It, it opens up talking about the flood and how the temples were coming up out of the mud, and people were coming out of the caves, and that the hairy barbarians were there. The, 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 in other words, they were at a high level of civilization prior to this flood. And so many generations had gone by, they had turned back into just basically, you know, hunter-gatherers almost again. And Thoth talks about his father sending him there, and he gets in a ship and flies up into the sky until the earth disappears. And when he gets to the place appointed, he descends down on the land of Chem. That's Egypt before it was called Egypt. And he tells the people there that he's going to help them rebuild civilization. Rebuild, which means it already was a high-level golden age, probably before this great flood. So these texts, man, they're just incredible. They have so much information in them. It's well worth taking a look at. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> I study them too. <clears throat> Let's talk about ancient Egypt. I've been looking into a lot of, I mean, talking to Dr. Greer, we talk a lot about zero-point energy. Superb scholar. Energy. Yeah. I've been looking into zero point energy, free energy. I've been researching it. Yeah. Looking into the Nikola Tesla stuff, and it sounds like Nikola Tesla got his information somehow from yeah. ancient Egypt. Mm -hmm. A lot yes. of people say that the pyramids were some type of a some type of a power plant. Yes. Not all the pyramids, some of them. So some pyramids have different functions, <laughs> right? So the Great Pyramid at Giza, for sure a wireless power plant amongst other things it was it was a multifunctional stone computer and a wireless power plant it was also a communications device 
So you look at old images, or old pictures uh, of the Great Pyramid area at Giza, you'll see that the Nile used to run right up alongside of those pyramids. Now it's meandered miles and miles away. One of the main reasons why they don't want you to know if there was an ancient war that happened, that war, that second war I told you about, uh -huh. that's why there's glass in the sands at the Giza Plateau. When you dig your hand in the sand, you'll pull up balls of glass. That's 3,000 degrees to create glass out of sand. That's weapons fire. And there's still evidence of weapons fire on the Bent Pyramid right out there at Giza as well, which I've documented many times. It's coming out my new TV show. But nonetheless, the water would run underneath in these gigantic aquifers. The tubes for those aquifers are still there. You know, sometimes I've gone down in them. Even kids play around in them and everything. But when you have running water underneath magnetized crystal granite, which is what the base is made out of, you create something called physiostatic electricity. Then those ions rush <laughs> up into the uh, Grand Gallery area, and there were these resonating rods going up the Grand Gallery to the, to the King's Chamber. Now, the, the rods are gone, but the slots where the rods sat are still there. They can't take out the slots. The slots are embedded in the, in the stone. Then also, when it got into the King's Chamber, it's surrounded by t thousands of tons of magnetized crystal granite in a specialized box with a two-to-one ratio. Now, at some point, something happened where they had Let's to install jump. this extra box. It's a granite box that's inside the king's chamber. People were saying, oh, this is a sarcophagus. I can't even lay in that thing. My, my knees have to be bent. It's not a sarcophagus. What it is, it's the same exact dimensions as the Ark of the Covenant. The Ark of the Covenant was a power, a power plant device. We know this based on the descriptions in the Bible. And it's been replicated at two different universities by two different groups of people and it generated so much power they had to shut it down just based on the biblical information and instructions when you take those measurements it fits directly inside that box and why did it fit in the box because the pyramid at some point had lost its ability to generate the maximum amount of power and so that was needed to add an extra piece to fix the problem and that's exactly what they did then the energy would shoot up through the apex the obelisks are all made of crystal granite what do you mean the, the obelisk? What you is know, that? those giant stones that stand up with the points at the top? Okay. Those are obelisks. Okay. They're all around the region. We have one at the White House, right? You know, we have one in Rome at the, in the center, courtyard there. They took them and put them all around. The one in, in, in Washington is obviously, it's man-made, but the other ones all around the world are all come out of Egypt. But what's interesting is those obelisks, they capture the ambient electricity from the atmosphere, and then if you have something called a jed, it looks like a Tesla coil. I'll send you some photos of this stuff so you can utilize it. It looks like a Tesla coil, and it's all over Egypt. Everywhere you look in hieroglyphs, it's everywhere, and they have cables coming out of them, electric cables. They were connected to their electroplating devices, and anything else they needed, uh, light bulbs, anything that needed electricity was connected to the jed. The jed would capture the ambient electricity from the obelisk. The obelisks were like um, wire, well, you know, electric wire poles in your neighborhood, basically but just doing it all wirelessly. And by that method, they were able to transmit the wireless energy all around the region. And the Jeds would capture that energy and they can power whatever they wanted. And so, you know, now what's also interesting about the Great Pyramid, a small amount of that water would be pushed up into the pyramid and down into the Queen's Chamber. Now the Queen's Chamber, when you analyze it and look at it and look at the x-rays of it, you discover something interesting. It operates like an electrolysis machine. Why electrolysis? If you use electrolysis with running water, you can extract the hydrogen atoms out of the water. 
Hmm. which is what we do in uh, different types of engines that we have right now. The Navy has a, a ship that never has to come back for gas because it just takes the water from the ocean, extracts the uh, hydrogen atoms, and pushes it into a chamber for engine combustion, and they run on hydrogen. They don't run on gas anymore. Matter of fact, that's the wave of the new future. We have Rolls-Royce developed the airplane engine that runs on hydrogen, and all the cars, including all the EVs, are going to go in the garbage can. All cars are going to be hydrogen-based in the next 10 years. Watch, mark my word. Remember today. So what they were doing, though, they were utilizing for what astrophysicists use it for, communication. Astrophysicists communicate and send information out into space to connect with ET or talk to ET on the hydrogen frequency, the most abundant most abundant frequency in the universe. Now, when you look at the Great Pyramid, it's got these giant shafts on the sides that align with Orion, Aldebaran, Arcturus, and all these other star systems on specific time frames, Sirius. And so what's happening is on specific alignments, they were transmitting on the hydrogen frequency updates, in my opinion, this is now my own hypothesis, updates to those star systems because why have those shafts pointed at star systems and why have the, why have them have the capability of shooting hydrogen through those shafts to me it's a communications device the same way we're using right now today in modern astrophysics hmm what are we using in modern astrophysics we take the hydrogen frequency and we piggyback our data zeros and ones on it and we send it out into space Looking and hoping that another race of beings, I think that they already know who they're sending it to. They're just saying, we're hoping. I think they're communicating, but that's a whole other podcast. But sending it out into space, that another another race of people can pick it up and then decode the uh, the zeros and ones and, and, and you know decode the message, basically, and then transmit the information back on the same frequency. What makes you think that they've already made communications? Well, to me, just based on... The advancement in sciences and what looks and appears to be of NASA as a front, the fake space agency, in other words, doing all the things that are that have already done in the 1950s, 60s, and 70s, and still utilizing that same those same techniques today, knowing that we're we know that never a straight years answer ahead of us technologically. They meaning the private corporations. Well, why aren't we seeing any of that tech being used? So, I just believe that you know, and I know this three hundred years ahead from my private meetings. So, I have a tech company called First Class Space Agency. Now, I was privy to a TS clearance for private space meetings at the Space Symposium in Colorado a few years ago. And in this room, I'm sitting there with some of the top tech companies in the world in space, uh, you know, travel and also ancillary uh, parts for space, like you know, radiation hardened computer circuits and everything else, and they're all talking about how advanced, you know, they are. And the number is 300 years ahead of the, the general population. So if they're 300 years of the general population, 300 years ahead, then what in the world are we doing with chemical rockets going up into space and all this kind of crazy stuff? Mm -hmm. So to me, when they say that they're communicating, I say, let me extrapolate a little bit more. They're, I mean, they're trying to communicate. Let me extrapolate. You, you are communicating. This is just my, the way, I, the way I decode it is there's something going on. They've probably made there's some kind of type of contact on. at some point because there, they keep there, transmitting there, there. nonstop, up and down, up and down, nonstop. There's even a dish on the moon that we transmit via laser information. on the moon that we transmit via laser information to every single week. Who, who, who are we talking to on the moon? Mm -hmm. This has been going on for decades. 
Why are we doing this? So you got to pay those people to do that. So it's costing money. So there's a reason for this. So my hypothesis is that they may be communicating with somebody already. But I do believe that's what the Great Pyramid was used for, power generation. And when I say uh, other things, you can calculate based on the base size of the pyramid and the height and the size of most of the stones average. You can actually calculate a lot of things. You can calculate the distance of the Earth to the moon, the distance of the Earth to the sun. You can calculate the speed of the Earth on its own axis. How can you, hold on, how can you calculate all this? Well, when you take, I have all these calculations broken down, which have been analyzed by college professors, and they're blown away. I'll send you a, a sheet that you can show on the screen for this, the breakdown of the mathematics, how to, you know, how to times and square all these numbers. Uh, to come up with these calculations. You can calculate the, the tropical year, the sidereal year. You can calculate the speed of the Earth around the sun, the speed of the sun around the Milky Way. You can even calculate the speed of the Milky Way around the local cluster of galaxies that are out there. All this can be calculated by the construction. This is the brick masonry. This is the Freemasonry encoded into the, into the Great Pyramid. This is the Mason information. It's all about astrophysics. It's all in there. It's all built into the pyramid, all in the construction process. Now, think about that knowledge you have to have. You have to say, I want to have this, 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 and this, and this, and this, and I want to have it all built into the construction. Let me input this into my whatever kind of computer program they utilize to do this, and then it spits out this blueprint and they build it according to that blueprint so that all this information is encoded in it at the same time it's being built. Wow. Yeah. Wow. With, when it comes to, you had mentioned a little bit earlier that you think that all vehicles are going to go to hydrogen. Yeah. Called the president show. Oh, yeah. Hydrogen. Right. Hydrogen. Hydrogen. Excuse yeah. me. The hydrogen, hydrogen atoms. Yes. Somebody already developed this. Yeah. And they're no longer here. Stan Meyer. Stan Meyer. In the night, I remember watching that commercial live on TV as it aired on the news station, standing right next to my mom, that he was drove this little buggy he built. Brands of run on water. You can go from New York to California on one gallon of gas. He said, you can piss in it. You can spit in it. You can put snow in it. <laughs> this guy was going in. I was so amazed. I was like, this is crazy. This is incredible. Of course, he went to a, a restaurant where he met with some Pentagon officials. And then uh, he ran outside and screamed, they poisoned me. And he died right there, right in front of his brother. And so at the time, they wanted to do away with it. We got to a point now where the world is fed up and tired of these pipelines and, and invading countries to take over their resources and trying to build pipelines through the middle of countries that don't want the pipeline. It's a, it's a big thing. It's a big, big problem right now. And it's <coughs> Just wondering. Um wondered if they clones me when they kidnap me. <gasps> Oops. Um, I wonder what songs come up with Billy, Billy Joel. Uh -oh. 
shorts if you dress like that and you get raped and i'm on the jury he's going to go free on man's on man oh my god what a fucking pig people of this congregation <clears throat> says what a fun pig people of this effing <clears throat> effing pig fucking pig tired of shit <clears throat> anyway, get back to the show tree step. And now, Billy. It's driving economies up and down. It's causing mm. billionaires to become millionaires. And when it starts affecting their pockets, something's got to change. Mm. So now we have this big push, right? This EB thing came. EB still use what? They use gas. They still use fuel. Why? Because when you plug that, that car in, down the street, the power station is using oil to yeah. give you that electricity. And then the infrastructure will never be good enough to to um, to house you know billions or millions of cars in the U.S. economy. It just won't happen. Um, just one hurricane in Florida, you'll see it'll be a nightmare because you won't be able to evacuate. Because when you get to about a hundred miles away from your house, you got to turn around and go back home, and you can't get in a line to charge your car. The lines will be longer than gas lines. Yeah, so it's a nightmare waiting to happen. The push now is going to be all hydrogen. Everything will become hydrogen. All cars, EVs will die. The, the batteries are not recyclable. The cobalt and the lithium are made with forced child labor, right, oh in third God. world countries. Kids literally mining with Workers. their bare hands, pulling this ore out of the ground, getting caught in collapses and mine collapses and dying and everything else. All that's got to come to an end. All we need is for one rogue nation to take over one of these biggest lithium and cobalt mines and hold the world hostage for the cobalt and the lithium and everything comes to an end right this prices will super skyrocket there'll be a shortage of, of, of batteries and cars and you can't recycle them because elon musk made it open source battery so everyone who's, who created a battery created them slightly different there's no one mechanism or method to, to take these batteries apart and recycle them so they're they're filling up in landfills by the thousands and, and even in china there's right. already millions of <clears throat> landfills and they're more toxic for the environment electric than a, cars a regular old-fashioned uh, you know, crankshaft yeah so it's pretty dangerous china there's already hydrogen all cars evs will die the, the batteries are not recyclable Cobalt and the lithium are made with forced child labor, 
right, in third world countries, kids literally mining with their bare hands, pulling this ore out of the ground, getting caught in collapses, mine collapses and dying and everything else. All that's got to come to an end. All we need is for one rogue nation to take over one of these biggest lithium and cobalt mines. So it's pretty dangerous stuff, and it's leaching into the, the water supply. We're drinking <clears throat> this this poor. Cars will go the way of the dodo hydrogen. By the way, I invite Billy Carson to be on my show. Um, let's see, Billy Carson, 4BK, let's see, it's 4BK, tag 4BK. Oh, how come 4BK, 4BK, knowledge. Oh, oh man. Weird thing. Knowledge, here we go. Is that him? Uh-oh. <clears throat> Billy Carson. Not sure what, uh, oh, good. The hell? They don't want me to not be able to tag him. Okay, so I'm going <coughs> to. Why uh, it's not coming up? They don't want me to connect with them. Lithium. Uh, President show. Fucking is awesome. Superb scholar. Do 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 Uh, you know, crankshaft. Yeah. So it's pretty dangerous stuff, and it's leaching into the the water supply. We're drinking this this poison and everything else. It's going to shorten our lifespans. They got to get away from that. They're going to go into hydrogen next. Interesting. What do you think about? <clears throat> you talked about those boxes of uh, that that produce energy. Yeah. Why do you think this hasn't been replicated? Well, you know, they have been replicated, but they've been. Um, 
they've been, uh, what do you call it, uh, eminent domained by, by the government. A lot of people who create these incredible inventions, they don't go about it the right way. They think they're going to be able to patent these items, to patent these inventions, and then put them out and become a billionaire. That's their dream. Well, they're crazy. It's not going to happen. You have to do what Elon Musk did with the battery, right, with the Tesla battery. You have to make it open source and create an industry and and just take your We have the technology. Let's use it. See who gets the most. uh... He and I should both run for president and um, and then between us, like if we both win, then. Whoever wins the most votes gets the gets to be president. Well, I wouldn't mind being vice president. It'd be great. Latest news. Okay. In industry, and just take your fair share of what comes your way. Don't try to become the king of this technology, you know, so you can, you know, 20 generations can be trillionaires. That's the wrong mindset. The right mindset is don't patent it. Make it open source. Release it to the world. Let everybody develop it. Then who are they going to come kill? Everybody? (laughs) You see, my tech company, we're doing the same thing. We're doing everything open source. We start our laboratory ended up closing down because of the whole global sickness thing that came. We, we were just getting ready to start it, fire it up. We had a an astrophysicist, we had a um, a quantum physicist, and an engineer. But now we're gonna restart again in 2024 and redo the lab and, and get everything cranking up again. But every every concept, every idea, every theory, every uh, everything we create is all gonna be open source. We're not looking to become trillionaires off of on a great idea. We're looking to free the world from its bonds. Mm-hmm. And when you go with that mindset, your abundance is going to be guaranteed because you're operating in the right frequency. You're doing things right. And so you, everything will be taken care of. All you have to do is just find a way to create these incredible technologies and release them to the world and let everybody have the schematics. And you'll find out that you'll still be able to eat. I guarantee you there's enough abundance for everyone to eat. But people think there's scarcity. There is no scarcity on this planet. It doesn't exist. This universe is abundant in every way you could think of. I mean, with free energy, I mean, it doesn't kind of make the... Whatever currency you're using almost, I wouldn't say 100% irrelevant, Mm -hmm. but... Yeah. Pretty it's gonna close. it's gonna help lead us and guide us into a brand new economy, which has to come at some point. We know that no empire can persist forever. I mean, just just read a history book. You'll see that I mean the Romans, they they're gone too, right? Mm-hmm. And so there's this cycle where no matter how big you get, there's always always a, this recycling, this cyclical civilization, rise and fall of governments and everything. It, it just happens. it's just part of life. And this economy that we're under right now, it, it will not persist forever. At some point it will evolve. That these technologies are developed and people are able to get access to free energy and clean water and evil, evil, even the playing field a little bit, 
Um, you know, I think that the economy will shift. Global economies will completely shift out of what we have right now, where we have a small amount of people. We have less than 100 families controlling 8 billion people. Think about that. 8 billion people being controlled by less than 100 families. This is why the aliens don't talk to us directly. <laughs> I mean, think about it. If I'm a super advanced race, I'm a class, you know, a type three civilization or type two civilization, and I fly by and I look at the earth and I see, oh, they got uh, 29,000 nuclear bombs aimed at themselves while they're still on the planet. And 8 billion people are being controlled by this many tiny people, and they can't see how to take back control of their own planet and love one another. Why would I even stop by? So we have to at some point realize this is not the way. Our economy's got to shift. It's got to change. It's probably going to go to a a credit-based system, not credit like like your credit score, but credits of some type, whether it's through crypto or blockchain technology, some way you have access to, uh, uh, you know, digital wallets, but that you're really, your status in society will be how good you are at what you do and how much you help people and also will eventually harness the power of AI and robotics to free the burden of humanity instead of putting us to become eventually their slaves or maybe even worse. <laughs> I think when we have the right idea and concept of how to utilize these technologies, that people will be free to travel, explore. If you want to work somewhere, you can work somewhere. There'll be programs set up where if something takes your job, like an AI or a robot, you'll be then your bills have got to be reduced. Your 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 you know personal responsibilities have got to be wiped out in some way, shape, or form. All this is rough ideas, but something has to be thought through that will lead us into an economy and a world where people and human beings can thrive. Because after all, the most important thing is for human beings to thrive, not for a small amount of corporations to thrive. Mm -hmm. To 100% agree with you there. Let's get back to ancient Egypt. Yeah. <clears throat> Some of the things that really caught my attention was, it's, and we're not just talking ancient Egypt. I had, I had read or saw or heard that from multiple sources that, a lot of these what do you, wonders of the world, mm -hmm. Easter Island, Machu Picchu, yeah. the pyramids, uh, Stonehenge, mm -hmm. there's probably more. Oh, yeah. But I've read that they're all, all these unexplainable ancient structures mm -hmm. are all sitting right on top of fault lines. Is there any truth to that? They're not on fault lines. They're actually on energy grids. And the majority of them... an energy grid? An energy grid is where the magnetic field of the Earth whips out of the planet. So a lot of these structures are literally, literally sitting directly on top of these high-energy magnetic fields. Really? So if you take an... Or if you go and get the... Uh, from USGS.gov and take the Earth's magnetic field map and then lay it over a map of, like, a lot of these megalithic structures... All of a sudden, you go, oh, my God, they're all sitting on top of, like, high-energy magnetic portals, basically. And what's interesting about that is how in the world did they figure this out? Like, what type of tool do you use to measure how much magnetism is whipping out of the Earth here from the core or 100 miles away? How do you distinguish which one is the one, you know, the spot to put it in? They had to have had some level of advanced technology that had the capability. Now, we do it through satellite technology. So how in the world were they able to do it? We have a satellite that orbits the planet in a da, polar da, orbit. Da, da, it orbits da, this da, way, not da, this way. And as da, the Earth spins da, on its da, axis, da, da, it's taking swaths of data. Magnetism, electric magnetic fields, it's taking topographical data and so forth and so on. 
uh, minerals and so forth. We know everything that's on Earth from a polar orbiting satellite, which is why I believe that that's exactly what was used. Because if you look at the Great Pyramid at Giza, where is it located? Directly at the center of land mass on Earth, not the center of the Earth, the center of land mass. There's only one way to get that calculation. You have to have a satellite orbiting in a polar orbit, scanning the planet as it spins on its axis to pick up all the topographical data to, able to, to be able to calculate the land mass and to find the dead center of the mass of land. And only that, of course, it has one of the biggest magnetic fields coming right out of that spot too. So boom, dead center, they drop it right there. And then also the Great Pyramid, the height of it matches the average height of all the peaks on Earth. Again, how can you do that? Polar orbiting satellite, as it's, the Earth is spinning, it's calculating the, the all the peak, peaks. The peak of the pyramid yes. is the average of all the peaks on Earth. On Earth. All the natural peaks on Earth. It's the average height of all the natural peaks on Earth. I mean, there's so many things. <laughs> there's so many things with the pyramids yeah. and these other structures that just... I mean, it's, it's mind-boggling. I mean, I was taught that these seven-ton bricks yeah. were, you know, they used sticks. Sticks and, and, and to, ropes and mud and elephants. Up. You know, the mud ramp theory had a little, it took over for a little while. But then uh, some real good physicists said, ah, I don't know. You would need, they did some calculations. You would need more mass than the pyramid in mud to be able to create the mud ramps to put the brick. <laughs> it just didn't, it didn't add up. Yeah. So the mud ramp, uh, you know, and, and then the, the lack of, obviously, lack of trees and lack of timber and so forth to roll these, rolling these, you know, 15-ton <laughs> stones in some cases on top of uh, wooden, I mean, come on. It just, it just sounds crazy. Yeah. Uh, and, and when you go to the Serapium at uh, Saqqara, which is Enki's Halls of Amenti, it's these underground halls that are there that I take people to every year. That has this incredible hallway carved out of solid stone underground, and these alcoves are in there. And inside of each alcove, perfectly fitted, snight and tight and snug. Hi, we're listening to the Sean Ryan show with Billy Carson as guest. That's fine. Exactly how many? But they say many, many years rebuilding the land of Kim. He tells that crew, that team that came with those original, that original team, to spread out around the world and duplicate what we did here. Then all of a sudden, what happens? Pyramids pop up all around the world. Megalithic structures, megalithic temples all around the world, all using the same exact building technique. Thoth himself even leaves Africa, takes Olmecs with him, and leaves his brother Amun-Ra in charge, and he goes to Mesoamerica and builds a Teotihuacan civilization and builds that whole Teotihuacan pyramid complex which, by the way, is aligned with Orion, the same exact formation as the ones in Africa, at Egypt, right, at Giza. And also what? Built on top of an aquifer. The base of the... is aligned with Orion. He's known as Tehuti. Structures, megalithic temples all around the world, all using the same exact building technique. And what happens? Pyramids pop up all around the world. Megalithic structures, megalithic temples. Team. To spread out... around. Him, he tells that crew, that team that came with those original, that original team to spread out around the world and duplicate what we did here. Then all of a sudden, what happens? Pyramids pop up all around the world. Megalithic structures, megalithic temples all around the world, all using the same exact building technique. Thoth himself even leaves Africa, takes Olmecs with him, 
and leaves his brother Amon Ra in charge, and he goes to Mesoamerica and builds the Teotihuacan civilization and builds that whole Teotihuacan pyramid complex, which, by the way, is aligned with Orion, the same exact formation as the ones in Africa, at Egypt, right, at Giza. And also what? Built on top of an aquifer. The base of the Pyramid of the Sun is exactly the same size as the base of the pyramid, Great Pyramid in Giza. And the height is exactly 50% the height down to the millimeter of the Great Pyramid at Giza. Again, down one, to the millimeter? Down to the millimeter. Kim, he tells that crew, that team that came with those original, that original team to spread out around the world and duplicate what we did here. Then all of a sudden, what happens? Pyramids pop up all around the world. Megalithic structures, megalithic temples all around the world, all using the same exact building technique. Rebuilding The base events. of the Pyramid of the Sun is exactly the same size as the base of the Pyramid, Great Pyramid in And the height is exactly 50% the height down to the millimeter of the Great Pyramid at Giza. Again, down one, to the millimeter. The base of the Pyramid of the Sun is exactly the same size as the base of the Pyramid, Great Pyramid at Giza. And the height is exactly 50% the height down. He tells that crew, that team that came with those original, that original team, to spread out around the world and duplicate what we did here. Then all of a sudden, what happens? Pyramids pop up all around the world. Megalithic structures, megalithic temples all around the world, all using the same exact building technique. Thoth himself even leaves Africa, takes Olmecs with him, and leaves his brother Amun-Ra in charge, and he goes to Mesoamerica and builds the Teotihuacan civilization and builds that whole Teotihuacan pyramid complex which, by the way, is aligned with Orion, the same exact formation as the ones in Africa, at Egypt, right, at Giza. And also what? Built on top of an aquifer. The base of the Pyramid of the Sun is exactly the same size as the base of the Pyramid, Great Pyramid, at Giza. And the height this is, is exact, how all base the... of the Pyramid of the Sun is exactly the same size as the base of the Pyramid, Great Pyramid, at Giza. And the height is exactly 50% the height down to the millimeter of the Great Pyramid. I think we should um,
again. Four BK. What the hell? Billy Carson. Billy Carson and I should run for president. architect again showcasing his talents and going all around the world this guy is known everywhere i've gone on the planet i went to africa i went to he's obviously all throughout africa he's known as tahuti jahuti both right uh, according to the ancient egyptians he ruled for sixteen thousand years one person in china he's wang di the first emperor of china who came down on a fiery dragon sounds like a flying ship ruled over to china for for decades or not for several hundred yeah for several centuries and then just got on this flying dragon and disappeared again. In Mexico, he's known as Quetzalcoatl, Lord Pakal, Kukulkan. He comes in on again a what? According to the Mayans, a fiery dragon. And he's there. What he built? Chichen Itza, Teotihuacan, Cobo, all these places were developed. The Mayans didn't build anything. They inherited what was already there. The Aztecs didn't build anything. It was already there. And that's even in their own records. Matter of fact, they didn't even know who the people were originally that built some of this stuff, so they gave them the name Teotihuacans. But in the Emerald Tablets, it tells you exactly who it was. And so uh, I was out in Australia in the outback, in the middle of nowhere, a gigantic petroglyph of who? Both, out of Kemet, in Australia, carved into rock in the ground. They call him Thothamabi in Australia. The Aboriginal people call him Thothamabi. And he's on a ship flying through the Milky Way galaxy. That's what it is, a giant disc. And he's you know, sitting on this thing. And they say that's him flying through the Milky Way galaxy. Wow. And, you know, so the more you look into it, these structures, they were built, they were built by people, not aliens. In other words, Thoth, in my opinion, wasn't from this planet according, and also his relatives. But they had the people doing the labor. They taught the construction techniques, and they had the blueprints on how to do this. They weren't going to get out there themselves and do all this hard labor, but they had the blueprints, they laid out the foundation, and they said, hey, this is how we do this, and we're going to do this all this around the entire planet. I mean, how do you think it was built? I mean, I've had people that I have a lot of respect for and know mm -hmm. for a fact that they are ex extremely intelligent individuals. Yeah. One of them yeah. I've had on the show, his name's Chris Beck, mm -hmm. and he was talking about the exact same thing, the aquifers, yeah. the crystals, yeah. the energy. And, um, I mean, he, he, he was like, well, how do you move, you know, yeah. how do you, how do do you move things? Yeah. Frequency and vibration. That's it. And if you think about it, if I put a subwoofer under mm -hmm. a glass top table and I put a, a brick on it, mm -hmm. it's going to move. It's going to move. You know, and so do you think, is that how it did? Did they create some type of frequency and vibration, which... Yeah. There's a famous Sumerian cylinder scroll. I'm going to send you a copy of this image. You see an Anunnaki god, you call him a god, with a location. It, ain't, it ain't the god god. Okay, we know God is a god for real, but that ain't the god. They call him a god because these people didn't understand. These people had advanced technology. He's sitting on this box. This box has a symbol for magnetism on it. Okay, and this ancient Sumerian tablet. And then, so he's sitting here with this, with this box. There's this tripod thing up in the air, and it's got this disc 
Underneath the disc is a gigantic stone table, and as human beings, you can tell a human because of height compared to this guy, they're tiny, and a human is picking it up with one hand. That disc is a cymatic frequency. You can perfectly match. I found the exact frequency, and I have a video on that frequency, which creates that exact same cymatic pattern. And so that cymatic pattern and magnetism in some way reduced the weight of that gigantic stone table, allowing an average normal human being to pick it up with one hand. I'm gonna send you this image. Pretty interesting stuff. So when you now say, well, how do they do all this? Cymatic frequencies and magnetism, electromagnetism and cymatic frequencies, in some way together, they combine those two things to reduce the weight. They didn't make them completely weightless, but they significantly reduced the weight of a lot of the stones. The second thing is, both gives away something else in the animal tablets. He utilizes cymatic frequencies and photons to manifest solid matter. Now that sounds crazy in ancient tablets, but guess what happened two years ago in a laboratory in the, in the world we live in right now? Scientists got together and they combined cymatic frequencies and photons and for the first time ever created solid matter. That's in physics.org. Wow. So where, where did that happen? That happened, I believe it was in the UK. Okay. Yeah, and I'll give you the link to, to all this stuff. So pretty interesting, right? So the tablets I'd keep getting so. proven by modern science. <laughs> this is why I keep going back to the tablets, because wait a minute. This guy says this then. You know, you've heard of the active denial system in the military. It's this dish that sends out a beam of frequency towards people that are looking to be, you know, do harm, right? Mobs. And it make you, it'll make you stop in your tracks. It'll make you feel like you got a vomit. It'll make you feel like you're on fire. It, it can even put voices in your head. It's called the active denial system in the military. Well, in the Emerald Tabas, those have this group of people coming at him because they don't know who he is when he lands his ship. He says, I raised my staff and sent out a ray of vibration which stopped them still in their way. tracks. Sounds like the active denial system to me. Same technology, just diff, you know, just a different year. So I go over all. I keep putting these 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 um these things in my book to show the commonalities between the two, because what we're doing now we're just simply rediscovering everything that already existed. Yeah. <laughs> we haven't done anything new yet. Everything was already done. Everything has already been done. We're just rediscovering what we lost. Could you describe? I was watching this documentary last night trying to get spun up on all this stuff again. <laughs> and um, they talked a lot about how the pyramids, mm -hmm. how a lot of these structures are measured in the metric system. Yeah. However, the, and they're perfect. I, yeah. I don't know the exact me measurements, mm -hmm. but yeah. the, the stones are in the perfect metric system. Yes. Let's say it's three meters by three meters. Mm -hmm. The doorways, perfect metric yeah. system, maybe three meters by two meters. Mm -hmm. You know, the base of the pyramid. Yeah. The, the, it's all based on meters. The whole thing. The metric system wasn't developed for another 2,000 years. Listen, even the Grand Gallery, the location of the Grand Gallery inside the Great Pyramid, when you look at the, um, the, the longitude, it's the same exact digits as the speed of light in meters per second. How is this possible? Well, I started asking the same question. And I said, wait, I got to find some kind of link to this. And I found it. Guess what they found in Mexico decades ago? They found proto-Sumerian cuneiform tablets and pottery and everything else. What is proto, meaning pre-Sumerian, stuff doing in the Americas? But not only did they find that, this is even on Wikipedia. It was a metric system. 
it was their metric system. So the metric system is thousands and tens of thousands of years old. Forget thousands, tens of thousands of years old. We only rediscovered what already existed, or probably the guy, I forget his name now, the French man who came up with it, probably found these tablets or, or, or the existence of these tablets and said, oh, I can make this whole metric system out of this. It already existed. The metric system is ancient. We only rediscovered what it was recently. That's all. That's the only thing I can give you. How about the golden ratio? Yeah. What is the golden ratio? Uh, the golden ratio is a specific numeric equation that gives you 3.17. It gives you the Fibonacci spiral. It also gives you the uh, the golden rectangle and the and the golden uh, triangle, which no matter which way you look at them, you can always get the perfect spiral to fit inside, and that spiral. For whatever reason, because that spiral is in everything that's in life, it's very beautiful to us. So the most magnificent structures are always set on the Fibonacci uh, spiral or pie, right? And so even the Great Pyramids built on pie. All these magnificent, magnificent structures were built on pie because for some reason it taps into our inner consciousness, our inner being. Our fingers, if you take your fingers and look at the space between the digits, you'll get pi. And you can get the Fibonacci's code based on the, the space in the digits of your own hand. The distance from your eyes to your nose, the distance from the top of your, uh, in between your eyebrows to the tip of your nose. All this is all the same thing. Over it. Just keep repeating. The, the distance from your elbow to your wrist, the distance from the wrist to the tip of your middle finger. It's all pie. Are you, are you kidding me? What I'm do you mean? It's the whole pie. human body is designed on that number. You mean it's the... What you, do you, you mean? Get, it's, it's pie. You can get the, if you look at if you calculate the distance in the space in between your digits and your elbows and your joints and everything else. I'll send you a diagram on this as well. You'll get the Fibonacci sequence built into the human avatar body itself. It's in everything. I mean, I don't understand how it could be pi because yeah. if it's pi is what three point one four, repeating yes. forever. Right, but you see, when you when you calculate, well, pi creates a Fibonacci spiral, or allows you to place a Fibonacci spiral inside of anything, right? And so when you start creating these calculations, and you start doing the measurements of these distances, you start finding out that they fit perfectly with that number, and that you can get the Fibonacci sequence is built into the human avatar body. And I'll give you a complete diagram so you can see how it all breaks down. Okay. I'm still, I just want to figure it out right now, because my mind's blown. So... <laughs> I mean, obviously, the distance from my eye to the middle of my, whatever this is, nose, yes, right, top you know, of your nose, yeah. is completely different than from my elbow to my wrist. Right, but there's a ratio, and when you apply this specific ratio, you'll find that this is the reason why this is um this this distance is the average distance, and this distance here is the average distance. In other words, they can calculate based on how many inches or millimeters or centimeters it comes out to be a perfect, when they make the boxes and connect everything, it comes out to be like the golden rectangle, the golden triangle, and you can fit the Fibonacci sequence right inside, or the, or the Fibonacci spiral right inside of them. When they begin to make all the connections, like connecting dots, all of a sudden, everything fits perfectly. And I'll, I, like I said, so like in other words, if I, if I take the distance from this digit to this digit, and this digit to this digit, and this digit to the top of my finger, all of a sudden, I'll find that when I look at it underneath the connected rectangles, that Fibonacci will fit inside of these digits. So the Fibonacci sequence, which is now we find in almost all life, is actually part of fractals. So we're living in a fractal-based universe. Everything is a fractal of, of something else, something bigger, something grander. But also, it's also a fingerprint. 
So the fingerprint of God is the Fibonacci sequence. It's the evidence that we're living in a creation that we also are created. Interesting. Let's take a quick break and then yep. we'll dive back in. All right. I've spent more time than I would like to no, admit researching. Not say we did. It healed Ukraine, the border, at 936. This may vary. Consult with your tax attorney uh -huh. or financial professional before making an investment decision. All right, Billy, we're back from the break. Yeah. This discussion is blowing my mind here. <laughs> but um, I wanted to talk to you about CERN, too. Yeah. So is there any... Is CERN learning anything from ancient Egypt? Yeah. CERN being, can you describe what CERN is? Sure. CERN is the LHC, the Large Hadron Collider. It's the largest machine in the world located in Switzerland. And it's all underground. And it uses this gigantic track, this underground tube that's connected. And they send atoms in opposite directions and speed them up to, you know, a percentage of the speed of light and then let them collide. And then they analyze the collision to see what comes out of this collision between atoms, you know, quarks and muons and everything else that they discover. But something else they discover in this in the process is that they create microscopic black holes. Oh, now, really? Yeah. So originally, a lot of people were getting scared about this because they were like, man, if you guys create a black hole here on Earth, will it suck the Earth in? I mean, kind of fair to assume, like... Black holes are supposed to be pretty deadly things. Even light can't escape them. Mm -hmm. So why create one here on Earth? But I think, in my opinion, again, this is nothing that I've read, but my hypothesis is that part of the work going on at CERN is to learn how to create stable wormholes. What Einstein and Rosen called an Einstein-Rosen bridge, where you take space and you fold it and make a hole, punch a hole in between to make a connection, a shortcut through space-time. And so it could be you know, learning or trying to experiment either by accident or on purpose, how to create a stable wormhole. How do you create one and hold it open? The hold biggest on. thing is holding it open. Hold on. Can you sit? Can you? Let's backtrack. Yeah. I'm slow. <laughs> so, I don't have a degree in astrophysics, and I don't have anything from MIT or Harvard. So you're, you're talking about your folding, folding space yeah. and creating a hole through it. So right. I'm envisioning... Yeah. You take a piece of paper. Dr. Greer kind of showed me this. Yeah, I you think. just bend it like this. Bend it like this. And if you had a pencil, you could poke a hole right through. So you can go from point A to point B. Instead of traveling over the length of that sheet of paper to get from point A to point B, you now just arrive at point B almost instantaneously. Okay. You see? And Einstein and another professor, another theoretical physicist named Rosen, they, they call it the Einstein-Rosen Bridge was a theoretical name for this um, for this type of hypothesis on how to create a wormhole or what a wormhole would be, how it would operate, how it would work. The biggest problem that we have is not creating the wormhole now because we can create them, but how do we keep how do you keep it open? How do you make it stable for something to pass through without collapsing? Now NASA recently discovered something called X points around Earth and also around the sun. These are naturally occurring portals portals that open and close every single day all around the outside of our planet. The FEMA satellite system discovered these portals a few years back, and I've been analyzing and watching them. Some of them create direct pathways to the sun and even to other planets in our solar system. So these are called X points. They exist all around the outside of our planet. They're where magnetic diffusion points hit and cross 
like our magnetic fields hit and cross. In some way, combining that crossing of electromagnetic fields with charged particles from the sun opens up a portal. So portals naturally can occur in nature. You don't have to make them artificially. So that's pretty interesting. All we have to do now is learn how to harness that power and we can travel through space. We can go great distances without having to put ourselves in hibernation ponds and things like that. But now what's interesting is, you look at some of the pyramid structures and also read the ancient texts. If you go to one of the Sumerian tablets, they talk about having something called a Duran key. It was called a bond heaven earth. And Enlil talks about walking from his home world directly to earth and walking from earth directly back to his home world, bypassing even getting in a spaceship. You go fast forward a little bit more. The ancient Egyptians talk about something called a Jed Pillar Ankh. They have a Jed connected to the inside of Ankh. People think the Ankh was like for decoration or represented rebirth and, 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 and the womb of a woman and all that. It kind of did. Now we just Nowadays, it's just decoration like jewelry. <laughs> but it also represented something more technological in the ancient times. When you go to the super ancient texts, you discover that that Ankh and that Jed were a oscillator that would resonate to the atomic frequency of the owner. That was the code programmed into the actual Ankh. The actual portal that they would walk through to travel wherever they were going, it would only let you walk through it if your frequency was programmed into the portal. That was your key. Without walking through with that, you would be obliterated. That's how they kept people from just getting into these portals. Only the elite of the elite had access to these portals to, to travel all around the world. There's one in Mexico, in Tula, Mexico, where Thoth, the Atlantean, who came from Africa over there, he would stand there, and this looks like an indention in a wall, and he would literally walk through it, and he would reappear somewhere else in the world, and he would come back from time to time and so forth. But again, he would have the Jed Pillar Ankh in his hand. Then you look at Bosnia in Europe. There's a pyramid there called the Pyramid of the Sun. Just like the one, there's, there's one in Mexico called the Pyramid of the Sun. There's one in Bosnia called the Pyramid of the Sun. It's massive. In this valley, there's like five massive pyramids, all covered with brush and trees and debris. Well, they started digging this thing out. They said, oh my God, these are solid stone blocks. There's tunnels underneath that are connecting the pyramids. The same exact tunnels that are in Teotihuacan in Mexico connecting the pyramid structures there. But inside of this one tunnel, they found this gigantic crystal it's called a K2 megalith. And on it is written in runes, an ancient writing. It says, we must sta stand in defense until we can open the gate. Well, what gate are they talking about? I believe they're talking about the Stargate to get from wherever they were to get out of this war. There was a war going on. Again, that second pyramid war I told you about. It was a global war. It was only global. It was interplanetary as well because it went to the moon and also to Mars. But that's probably going to be another podcast. But the evidence of it is available in scientific data. But this, this K2 megalith, this gigantic crystal, it has something to do with activating the portal at this pyramid of the sun in Bosnia, which at some point they were defending it and trying to thwart some people from getting access to it until they can get it activated so they can walk through themselves. Pretty interesting stuff. And this is well documented. The K2 megalith gigantic crystal. So CERN, in my opinion, is researching and learning about technologies that already existed. Again, we're just rediscovering everything. When you go to CERN, right outside the front door is this gigantic uh, picture of uh, this Indian god that is standing inside of a portal walking through.
So I think they kind of knew what they were going to be doing when they started this whole building and started this whole uh, project. Um, but they just kind of kept it low-key to the general public. And they only released tidbits of information as to what's going on. There was something interesting before we go on. There was a, a field trip of sorts where they let the tour to let people come in and look around. And as one person was looking around, they saw these gigantic clear panels. They don't know what material they were made out of. And I have a picture of them leaning up against the side of a part of the machine with these hieroglyphs on them. So they sent these hieroglyphs out. Everyone, including I, sent the hieroglyphs out. Nobody can decipher these hieroglyphs. Nobody knows what in the world these are, what they mean, where they came from, who wrote them, what writing, what ancient culture are they linked to? Nobody knows. Massive, giant, clear plates leaning up against the machine. Um, I think it were four of them, if I remember correctly. Pretty interesting. I thought that, I just thought that was a weird thing that you know to happen there. But they have at the front door gigantic portal, a representation of a portal with one of these ancient Indian gods walking through it. What do you, I mean, what do you think they're doing with these mini black holes that you think that they're yeah. creating? All experiments. Have they documented this? Yeah, yeah, they, they have. have. They have, yeah. People were trying to stop them from doing it because it was going to you know, destroy the planet and everything else, but they just kept working anyway. <laughs> they didn't care. But um, they are shit. just, in my opinion, <laughs> learning about these creation of portals, learning how to create st stable totally wormholes. Um, just like all experiment, just trying to figure out how do we, what type of energy can we inject into a, a one of these holes that will stabilize it, maybe even expand it. And where where do they lead? Where do they go? Like when we go through them, where will we end up? Maybe they're sending small probes through or things through to take a look. Maybe they're sending nanoprobes into them. Who what knows? Do you, what do you think about this? Are you are you for this? Are you against this? What do you think? <laughs> this type of research without complete oversight. To me, it's scary stuff, man. I mean, Too. you don't even know what can come through. Like, I do believe in life in other worlds and also life in even other dimensions. We know that based on theoretical physicists like Michio Kaku and many other well-respected physicists that were living in the universe based on 11 dimensions. They theorized based on the mathematics that without 11 dimensions, this universe would collapse. Okay. What, okay, so can you... <clears throat> I have a tough time wrapping my head around yeah. different dimensions right. as well. <laughs> yeah. I've talked to a couple different people. They broke it down mm -hmm. fairly well for me. I yeah. would like to hear you break down what what is what is a dimension. Yeah. Well, dimension is um, is a realm that exists at a different frequency. So right now we're in the third dimension. We only can control the first and the second. All right. The first dimension is a line. The second dimension is connected lines. And because we're in the third dimension, we, we, we're like the God over the second and the first. We can control and manipulate those dimensions from the outside. If people were living in those dimensions, like one dimensional people or two dimensional people, they would be at complete awe of what our capabilities were because they, they, first of all, they wouldn't be able to see us as a third dimensional being. All they would see is the manipulation of their environment. And they would wonder what's going on. All right, so that's kind of power we would have. Now, extrapolate fourth dimension the fourth dimension used to be said it was time it's not time that's just a hypothesis that einstein was trying to correlate time to the third the fourth dimension is a tesseract a fourth dimensional hypercube from the fourth dimension and all the way up things change completely so we're in the third somebody in the fourth dimension an entity in the fourth dimension can see into everything they can see through this ceiling and watch us sitting here right now all right they can see the past present and future all at the same time. In other words, when I first walked in a building and you greeted me, you know, they would see that. 
in another room they would see us taking photos and in this room they would see us doing this interview but they would see all three things happening at the same time it's like having a house and living different parts of your life at the same time in different years in the same house right hmm. and then above that you have the fifth sixth seventh now these dimensions are compactified and yes that's an actual real word compactified they <laughs> <laughs> yeah, look look it up guys whoever's looking will look up the word they're stacked so tight on top of each other that they're like a plonked universe distance away from this universe right and now the only way to get into one is to move into a right angle at a different frequency you have to obtain the subatomic frequency of that dimension so if there are beings in higher dimensions that have developed the ability to understand and get the actual subatomic frequency number of the third dimension in this universe they can theoretically walk from their universe or their dimension directly into ours what, what do you mean the frequency okay Every universe has a specific frequency. Every dimension in that same universe also has a frequency. Every atom resonates at a specific frequency. Nothing ever rests. Everything is always vibrating. At the subatomic level, we know that when you dig deep into the nucleus of an actual atom, what's in there is a tiny vibrating string. So we're living in a symphony of music, and the music that's jingling and making this noise is creating the illusion of physicality, the illusion of solidity. Even the illusion of distance, which doesn't even exist. And so that's what we're living in. Now, if, if I can obtain, for example, let's say there's a cancer tumor in a person's body. Mm -hmm. the, the cells in that cancerous tumor are now operating or vibrating at a specific resonant frequency. We know this for a fact. If I have a device that actually can match the frequency of that tumor, I can send a cancellation frequency to that tumor. You're talking about a rife machine. Something like a rife machine. I can destroy it without destroying the surrounding tissue, right? So imagine having the capability of now understanding on a more grand scale, a dimension, fifth dimension, like somebody there obtains the frequency of the third dimension. They can just come right on through. This could be some of the reason for paranormal activity and things like that. It could be Entities or entities or beings having a peek into our world, into our dimension. It might not be anything scary at all, you know, in some cases. Will it scare us? Maybe, yeah, because we can't perceive them as to what they truly appear and look like, but it could be a higher dimensional being coming coming to have a look around. They could be on vacation. I mean, theoretically. <laughs> you know? I don't know who the hell is gonna come on vacation to this world, buddy, but, <laughs> but it's uh... something to look at. It's a we're this is a reality show. Okay. Yeah. We're on season 2023. <laughs> That's just the way it is, man. Yeah. 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 It's <laughs> so there's 11 frequencies, 11 who, dimensions. Who came up with this? Oh, big time theoretical physicist, uh, Michio Kaku, uh, Professor James Gates Jr. and many other super, super symmetry experts. Uh, and then now I've been talking about the fact that if there's 11 dimensions that our mind connects to also 11 dimensions for over a decade. And if you go back and look at some of those old posts, people were calling me a kook, a crazy, a tinfoil wearing hat, pseudoscientist, blah, blah, blah. Well, two years ago, <laughs> scientists at the Brain Institute discovered that the human mind connects to what? 11 dimensions. So now my theory was accurate. Science has proved it. And theoretical physicists say that there are 11 dimensions. So our minds, our consciousness is multi-dimensional and everything that everything that exists in the third dimension that we had a part uh, we took part in creating it started all in the multi-dimensional platform 
So this chair that we're sitting in right now, a person thought about this chair first before, before it manifested as solid matter, but they thought about it on the multidimensional platform, higher dimensional thinking, the original platform before all these other platforms came out. And in that realm, it existed and was constructed in a higher dimension. Then what happens is the person who was thinking about creating this chair collapsed it from multi-dimensions into two dimensions. How? By drawing it on a piece of paper. Then it went from there probably into a computer nowadays, which is a CAD, Computer Assisted Design, which is still 2D, even though it gives you the illusion of 3D in the My computer. All computer that. screens are just two-dimensional objects. And from there, it gets sent. Now the data from it gets sent to an engineer who now crafts it into a three-dimensional object that we can maneuver in XYZ axis in space-time. So this chair that I'm sitting in and you're sitting in started off, it was created in multi-dimensions and then collapsed into a three-dimensional structure that we're sitting on right now. Very interesting. Very interesting. <clears throat> Let's talk about... Way, I got a I whole list of stuff to, to talk about with it. Let's talk about uh, the wrong. Book of Enoch. Oh, man. The Book of Enoch. I taught a shit. Bullshit. Man, the Book of Enoch. Powerful book. You know that Enoch was a real powerful man because he's talked about in the Bible. Yet his book is not in the Bible. <laughs> it was left out by accident on purpose. And the reason why is because he's talking about and he calls these beings by their names. Beings that were not from earth that came here from up above and engaged mankind. They taught us how to build weapons. They taught us about perfume and makeup. They taught, taught us how to make jewelry and beer and all this other crazy stuff, right? So these beings uh, were physical, corporeal beings. They actually, at some point, even went to war with humans against other humans, putting on clothing and getting swords and everything else. They were having sex with humans. So these weren't like the angels that we're thinking with the fluffy wings and these were people. I think there was a misconception in some cases as to what is an angel and what is a person based on the level of technology and, and the consciousness of that, of those beings. I think that the people were, uh, became like a cargo cult. In other words, they deified some of these people, even though they weren't deifiable, they were just people with more advanced knowledge. Um, and so these beings did this, they engaged mankind. They also gave Enoch an appointed date that they were going to take him into space to go meet the master. Who is Enoch? Enoch is, uh, well, he's a, he's, he's a half human, half Anunnaki, according to some of the texts. So one of these, he's a quote unquote demigod, supposedly. So he was the, the, the his, his father was a God with a lowercase G and his mother was a human being, supposedly. This is what. The stories say how mythological is that we can't really understand it, but he was special. He had offspring. He had a family and these beings that came to visit gave him an appointed date that he would be taken away from Earth. And so he got taken away from Earth and he, he didn't describe the shape of the Earth, the big, the size, the color, everything from space, a gigantic blue glowing sphere. He's then brought back at some point in the future. He went away for a while, then comes back. He left the, the he left the, um, the, the, the I guess, his estate to his kids, his, his, his sons. So they were waiting for him to leave, and they was also waiting for him to come back. This was planned. It wasn't like some mystical thing. In the Bible, it seems as if he just disappeared from earth, and he was taken into heaven and never came back. But that's not the case. In the, in the book of Enoch, you find that he was brought back. Pretty interesting. <laughs> 
but also what's interesting about Enoch is uh, he came back with some advanced knowledge and understanding about construction techniques. Okay. So all of a sudden, this guy understands and knows how to build megalithic structures. Who taught him this information? Wherever he went, he became a student. And they brought him back, and he had this knowledge and this wisdom. There's only one Bible that exists with the full book of Enoch in the same Bible, and that's the Ethiopian Bible. It's a really, really old, old Bible, long before the Sinai Bible, long before the King James Version, uh, out of Ethiopia, right where actually a lot of the Jewish people are. There's black Jews in Ethiopia, which I'm going to go see them next year when I go down to the Lalibela Temples, which is a mountain that was carved into a temple from the outside going in, just like Abu Simbel and Petra Jordan. And so, ironically, right there in that same area, they've got the Bible with the Book of Enoch inside of it. But the reason why it was left out is because he was taken away, taught an advanced construction knowledge that nobody had the capability of knowing. And he was also, um, you know, he, he also had a record of these beings that were engaging the people um, in a way that it didn't seem like it didn't seem too godly. Let's put it that way. And so that part was left out as well. Why did he why do you think Enoch was chosen? It may have been chosen because according to the ancient records, his you know, his father wasn't human. In other words, he was half Anunnaki or Atlantean in some way. Just like Zeozudra, a.k.a. Noah, was also half Anunnaki or Atlantean. Uh, in the Epic of Gilgamesh, same scenario, I believe it was Enki that was his father. And when, when Noah was born, or Zeozudra is his real name, when he was born, he didn't look like his you know brothers and sisters or his family members. His hair was different, his eyes were a different color, his skin was a different color and everything else. So it's pretty interesting. And so again, he was spared. And when he got spared in the ancient Sumerian tablets, Anki and Enlil, they had a big fight. Because Enlil wanted the people to be wiped out, and Anki saved enough people that they can survive and re-kickstart civilization. I want to move into some of the other ancient ruins. Yeah. Easter Island. Oh, man, Easter Island. Easter Island really catches my attention. In fact, I looked at getting there. It seems like it's... It's hard. It's it's not easy. They don't have... There's not very many flights going in and out of there no. at all. I've been trying to go to Easter Island for the last 10 years. You can't get in? Not only can you cannot get in, you, when nobody's going to get in now because they just went there. Somebody went there and lit that place on fire. Yes. What? They burned down the majority of the Moai heads. They they put some type of a chemical on the Moais and lit that on fire, which melted solid stone. When did this happen? That happened in uh, October of 2022. If you've been injured in a car accident, don't call an attorney. Use this AI app instead. That's what I did, and it's how I got this off. A little bit. All right, Billy, we're back from the break. Yeah. This discussion is blowing my mind here. <laughs> but um, I wanted to talk to you about CERN, too. Yeah. So is there any, is CERN learning anything from ancient Egypt? Yeah. CERN being, can you describe what CERN is? Sure. CERN is the LHC, the Large Hadron Collider. It's the largest machine in the world located in Switzerland. And it's all underground. And it uses this gigantic track, this underground tube that's connected and they send atoms in opposite directions and speed them up to, you know, a percentage of the speed of light and then let them collide. And then they analyze the collision to see what comes out of this collision between atoms. 
you know, quarks and muons and everything else that they discover. But something else they discover in this, in the process is that they create microscopic black holes. Now, really? Yeah. So originally a lot of people were getting scared about this because they were like, man, if you guys create a black hole here on Earth, will it suck the Earth in? I mean, kind of fair to assume, like, black holes are supposed to be pretty deadly things. Even light can't escape them. Mm-hmm. So why create one here on Earth? But I think, in my opinion, again, this is nothing that I've read, but my hypothesis is that part of the work going on at CERN is to learn how to create stable wormholes. What Einstein and Rosen called an Einstein-Rosen bridge, where you take space and you fold it and make a hole, punch a hole in between to make a connection, a shortcut through space-time. And so it could be you know, learning or trying to experiment, either by accident or on purpose, how to create a stable wormhole. How do you create one and hold it open? The hold biggest on. thing is holding it open. Hold on. Can you sit? Can you let's backtrack? Yeah. I'm slow. <laughs> so, I don't have a degree in astrophysics, and I don't have anything from MIT or Harvard. So you're ta- you're talking about you're folding folding space yeah. and creating a hole through it. So right. I'm envisioning. Yeah. You take a piece of paper. Dr. Greer kind of showed me this, yeah, I you think. You just bend it like this. Bend it like this. And if you had a pencil, you could poke a hole right through. So you can go from point A to point B. Instead of traveling over the length of that sheet of paper to get from point A to point B, you now just arrive at point B almost instantaneously. Okay. You see? And Einstein and another professor, another theoretical physicist named Rosen, they, they call it the Einstein-Rosen Bridge was a theoretical name for this um, for this type of hypothesis on how to create a wormhole or what a wormhole would be, how it would operate, how it would work. The biggest problem that we have is not creating the wormhole now because we can create them, but how do, we keep, how do you keep it open? How do you make it stable for something to pass through without collapsing? Now, NASA recently discovered something called X-points around Earth and also around the sun. These are naturally occurring portals Portals that open and close every single day all around the outside of our planet. The FEMA satellite system discovered these portals a few years back, and I've been analyzing and watching them. Some of them create direct pathways to the sun and even to other planets in our solar system. So these are called X points. They exist all around the outside of our planet. They're where magnetic diffusion points hit and cross, like our magnetic fields hit and cross in some way combining that crossing of electromagnetic fields with charged particles from the sun opens up a portal. So portals naturally can occur in nature. You don't have to make them artificially. So that's pretty interesting. All we have to do now is learn how to harness that power and we can travel through space and we can go great distances without having to put ourselves in hibernation pods and things like that. Mm -hmm. But now what's interesting is you look at some of the pyramid structures and also read the ancient texts. If you go to one of the Sumerian tablets, they talk about having something called a Duran key. It was called a bond heaven earth. And Enlil talks about walking from his home world directly to earth and walking from earth directly back to his home world, bypassing even getting in a spaceship. You go fast forward a little bit more. The ancient Egyptians talk about something called a Jed pillar Ankh. They have a Jed connected to the inside of Ankh. People think the Ankh was like for decoration or represented rebirth and, 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 and the womb of a woman and all that. It kind of did. Now we just Nowadays, it's just decoration like jewelry. <laughs> but it also represented something more technological in the ancient times. When you go to the super ancient texts, you discover that that Ankh and that Jed were a oscillator that would resonate to the atomic frequency of the owner. 
That was the code programmed into the actual Ankh. The actual portal that they would walk through to travel wherever they were going, it would only let you walk through it if your frequency was programmed into the portal. That was your key. Without walking through with that, you would be obliterated. That's how they kept people from just getting into these portals. Only the elite of the elite had access to these portals to, to travel all around the world. There's one in Mexico, in Tula, Mexico, where Thoth the Atlantean, who came from Africa over there, he would stand there, and this looks like an indention in the wall, and he would literally walk through it, and he would reappear somewhere else in the world, and he would come back from time to time and so forth. But again, he would have the Jed Pillar Ankh in his hand. Then you look at Bosnia in Europe. There's a pyramid there called the Pyramid of the Sun, just like the one, there's, there's one in Mexico called the Pyramid of the Sun. There's one in Bosnia called the Pyramid of the Sun. It's massive. In this valley, there's like five massive pyramids, all covered with brush and trees and debris. Well, they started digging this thing out. They said, oh my God, these are solid stone blocks. There's tunnels underneath that are connecting the pyramids. The same exact tunnels that are in Teotihuacan in Mexico connecting the pyramid structures there. But inside of this one tunnel, they found this gigantic crystal. It's called a K2 megalith. And on it is written in runes, an ancient writing. It says, we must stand in defense until we can open the gate. Well, what gate are they talking about? I believe they're talking about the Stargate to get from wherever they were to get out of this war. There was a war going on. Again, that second pyramid war I told you about. It was a global war. It was only global. It was interplanetary as well because it went to the moon and also to Mars. But that's probably going to be another podcast. <laughs> but the evidence of it is available in scientific data. But this, this K2 megalith, this gigantic crystal, it has something to do with activating the portal at this pyramid of the sun in bosnia which at some point they were defending it and trying to thwart some people from getting access to it until they can get it activated so they can walk through themselves pretty interesting stuff and this is well documented the k2 megalith gigantic crystal so cern in my opinion is researching and learning about technologies that already existed again we're just rediscovering everything when you go to cern Right outside the front door is this gigantic uh, picture of uh, this Indian god that is standing inside of a portal, Shiva. walking through. Hmm. So I think they kind of knew what they were going to be doing when they started this whole building and started this whole uh, project, um, but they just kind of kept it low-key to the general public, and they only released tidbits of information as to what's going on. There was something interesting before we go on. There was a... A field trip of sorts where they let the tour to let people come in and look around. And as one person was looking around, they saw these gigantic clear panels. They don't know what material they were made out of. And I have a picture of them leaning up against the side of a part of the machine with these hieroglyphs on them. So they sent these hieroglyphs out. Everyone, including I've sent the hieroglyphs out. Nobody can decipher these hieroglyphs. Nobody knows what in the world these are, what they mean, where they came from, who wrote them, what writing, what ancient culture are they linked to. Nobody knows. Massive, giant, clear plates leaning up against the machine. Um, I think it were four of them, if I remember correctly. Pretty interesting. I thought that, I just thought that was a weird thing that you know to happen there. But to have at the front door, gigantic portal, a representation of a portal with one of these ancient Indian gods walking through it. What do you, I mean, what do you think they're doing with these mini black holes that you think that they're yeah. creating? Oh, experiments. Have they documented this? Yeah, yeah, they, they have. have. They have, yeah. People were trying to stop them from doing it because it was going to you know, destroy the planet and everything else, but they just kept working anyway. <laughs> they didn't care. <laughs> but um, 
they are just, in my opinion, learning about these creation of portals, learning how to create stable wormholes, um, just like all experimenting, just trying to figure out how do we, what type of energy can we inject into a, a one of these holes that will stabilize it, maybe even expand it. And where, where do they lead? Where do they go? Like when we go through them, where will we end up? Maybe they're sending small probes through or things through to take a look. Maybe they're sending nanoprobes into them. Who what, do knows? You th- what do you think about this? Are you, are you for this? You against this? What do you think? <laughs> this type of research without complete oversight to me is scary stuff, man. I mean, me you don't even know what can come through. Like, I do believe in life in other worlds and also life in even other dimensions. We know that based on theoretical physicists like Michio Kaku and many other well-respected physicists that we're living in a universe based on 11 dimensions. They theorize based on the mathematics that without 11 dimensions, this universe would collapse. Okay. What, okay. So can you, <clears throat> I have a tough time wrapping my head around yeah. different dimensions right. as well. <laughs> yeah. I've talked to a couple different people. They broke it down mm-hmm. fairly well for me. I yeah. would like to hear you break down what... What is dimen- What is a dimension? Yeah, well, dimension is uh, is a realm that exists at a different frequency. So right now we're in the third dimension. We only can control the first and the second. All right, the first dimension is a line. The second dimension is connected lines. And because we're in the third dimension, we can, we we're like the god over the second and the first. We can control and manipulate those dimensions from the outside. If people were living in those dimensions, like one dimensional people or two dimensional people. They would be at complete awe of what our capabilities were because they, they, first of all, they wouldn't be able to see us as a third dimensional being. All they would see is the manipulation of their environment. And they would wonder what's going on. All right, so that's the kind of power we would have. Now, extrapolate fourth dimension. The fourth dimension used to be said it was time. It's not time. That's just a hypothesis that Einstein was trying to correlate time to the third. The fourth dimension is a tesseract, a fourth dimensional hypercube. From the fourth dimension and all the way up, Things change completely. So we're in the third. Somebody in the fourth dimension, an entity in the fourth dimension, can see into everything. They can see through this ceiling and watch us sitting here right now. All right? They can see the past, present, and future all at the same time. In other words, when I first walked in a building and you greeted me, you know, they would see that. In another room, they would see us taking photos. And in this room, they would see us doing this interview but they would see all three things happening at the same time. It's like having a house and living different parts of your life at the same time in different years in the same house, right? Huh. And then above that, you have the fifth, sixth, seventh. Now, these dimensions are compactified. And yes, that's an actual real word, compactified. <laughs> <laughs> they are, look, look it up, guys. Whoever's looking, look up the word. They're stacked so tight on top of each other that they're like a plonk unit of distance away from this universe. Right. And now the only way to get into one is to move into a right angle at a different frequency. You have to obtain the subatomic frequency of that dimension. So if there are beings in higher dimensions that have developed the ability to understand and get the actual subatomic frequency number of the third dimension in this universe, they can theoretically walk from their universe or their dimension directly into ours. What, what do you mean the frequency? Okay. Every universe has a specific frequency. Every dimension in that same universe also has a frequency. Every atom resonates at a specific frequency. Nothing ever rests. Everything is always vibrating. At the subatomic level, we know that when you dig deep into the nucleus of an actual atom, what's in there is a tiny vibrating string. 
So we're living in a symphony of music, and the music that's jingling and making this noise is creating the illusion of physicality, the illusion of solidity, even the illusion of distance, which doesn't even exist. And so that's what we're living in. Now, if, if I can obtain, for example, let's say there's a cancer tumor in a person's body. Mm-hmm. The, the cells in that cancerous tumor are now operating or vibrating at a specific resonant frequency. We know this for a fact. If I have a device that actually can match the frequency of that tumor, I can send a cancellation frequency to that tumor. You're talking about a Rife machine. Something like a Rife machine. I can destroy it without destroying the surrounding tissue, right? So imagine having the capability of now understanding on a more grand scale, a dimension, fifth dimension, like somebody there obtains the frequency of the third dimension. They could just come right on through. This could be some of the reason for paranormal activity and things like that. It could be entities or entities or beings having a peek into our world, into our dimension. It might not be anything scary at all, you know, in some cases. Will it scare us? Maybe, yeah, because we can't perceive them as to what they truly appear and look like, but it could be a higher dimensional being coming coming to have a look around. They could be on vacation. I mean, theoretically. <laughs> you know? I don't know who the hell is going to come on vacation to this world, buddy, but... <laughs> But, it's uh, something to look at. It's a, we're, this is a reality show. Okay, yeah. We're on season 2023. <laughs> That's just the way it is, man. Yeah. 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 It's, so there's 11 frequencies. 11 who, dimensions. Who came up with this? Oh, big time theoretical physicist, uh, Michio Kaku, uh, Professor James Gates Jr., and many other super, super symmetry experts. Uh, and then... Now, I've been talking about the fact that if there's 11 dimensions, that our mind connects to also 11 dimensions for over a decade. And if you go back and look at some of those old posts, people were calling me a kook, a crazy, a tinfoil wearing hat, pseudoscientist, blah, blah, blah. Well, two years ago, scientists at the Brain Institute discovered that the human mind connects to what? 11 dimensions. So now, my theory was accurate. Science has proved it. And theoretical physicists say that there are 11 dimensions. So our minds, our consciousness is multidimensional. And everything that everything that exists in the third dimension that we had a part uh, we took part in creating, it started all on the multidimensional platform. So this chair that we're sitting in right now, a person thought about this chair first before before it manifested as solid matter, but they thought about it on the multidimensional platform, higher dimensional thinking, the original platform before all these other platforms came out. And in that realm, it existed and was constructed in a higher dimension. Then what happens is the person who was thinking about creating this chair collapsed it from multi-dimensions into two dimensions. How? By drawing it on a piece of paper. Then it went from there probably into a computer nowadays, which is a CAD, Computer Assisted Design, which is still 2D, even though it gives you the illusion of 3D in the computer. All computer screens are just two-dimensional objects. And from there it gets sent, now the data from it gets sent to an engineer who now crafts it into a three-dimensional object that we can maneuver in XYZ axis in space-time. So this chair that I'm sitting in and you're sitting in started off, it was created in multi-dimensions and then collapsed into a three-dimensional structure that we're sitting on right now. Very interesting. Very interesting. Let's talk about... I got a whole list of stuff to talk about with it. <laughs> Let's talk about uh, the Book of Enoch. Oh, man. The Book of Enoch. Powerful book. You know that Enoch was a real powerful man because he's talked about in the Bible. 
yet his book is not in the Bible. <laughs> it was left out by accident on purpose. And the reason why is because he's talking about, and he calls these beings by their names, beings that were not from earth, that came here from up above and engaged mankind. They taught us how to build weapons. They taught us about perfume and makeup. They taught us, taught us how to make jewelry and beer and all this other crazy stuff, right? So these beings uh, were physical, corporeal beings. They actually, at some point, even went to war with humans against other humans, putting on clothing and getting swords and everything else. They were having sex with humans. So these weren't like the angels that we're thinking with the fluffy wings. And these were people. I think there was a misconception in some cases as to what is an angel and what is a person based on the level of technology and, and the consciousness of that of those beings. I think that the people were uh, became like a cargo cult. In other words, they deified some of these people, even though they weren't deifiable. They were just people with more advanced knowledge. Um, and so these beings did this. They engaged mankind. They also gave Enoch an appointed date that they were going to take him into space to go meet the master. Who is Enoch? Enoch is, uh, well, he's a, he's, he's a half human, half he's Anunnaki, half according to some of the text. So <laughs> one of these, he's a quote unquote demigod, supposedly. So he was, the, 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 his, his father was a god with a lowercase g and his mother was a human being, supposedly. This is what the stories say. How mythological is that? We can't really understand it. But he was special. He had offspring. He had a family. And these beings that came to visit gave him an appointed date that he would be taken away from Earth. And so he got taken away from Earth. And he, he didn't describe the shape of the Earth, the, big, the size, the color, everything from space. A gigantic blue glowing sphere. He's then brought back at some point in the future. He went away for a while, then comes back. He left the, the he left the, um, the, the the I guess his estate to his kids, his, his his sons. So they were waiting for him to leave, and they was also waiting for him to come back. This was planned. It wasn't like some mystical thing. In the Bible, it seems as if he just disappeared from Earth and he was taken into heaven and never came back. But that's not the case. In the in the Book of Enoch, you find he was brought back. Pretty interesting. <laughs> Uh, but also what's interesting about Enoch is uh, he came back with some advanced knowledge and understanding about construct 